Hey, welcome to the 195th episode of The Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is the podcast about random things in a world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. And if you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Last week, I talked about a taxi driver, Martin Scorsese's taxi driver from 1976, classic movie talk. I was going to do some other movies, but... Long story short, I want to squeeze in another story arc, comic book story arc, before I do some more movies uh, in the summer. So I'm going to be looking at a class. I'm spoiler. I'm going to be looking at a classic uh, Batman four issue story arc. So I won't say anything more than that. But you can find out by becoming a patron. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com/gmanfrombeck. And you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. And that is ko-fi.com slash G-Man from Heck. All right, what is going on in the world of news? I guess we should start off uh, last, I think, I forgot it was Sunday last weekend. There was a trailer for Snake Eyes Origin. Um, I don't know how, I'm, I'm conflicted with this. So we, we have – this is a – one, this is a, a Snake Eyes movie before he's Snake Eyes. So that means we see him without his mask. We hear him talk. That to me just seems to go so against the whole nature of who Snake Eyes is because for the longest time, we had no idea what he looked like underneath. And then, uh, you know, we, we find, if we go by the comics, wasn't like issue 26? Was that the first time we, we found out that he was like a blonde dude? He's like, he's this white dude and he's wearing this mask and, you know, he gets blasted in the face and, you know, his vocal cords are burnt and his face is all scarred. So that's why he's wearing the mask and everything. So we have that. And then on top of that, he's no longer a white dude. So he's going to be played by an Asian actor. Now, so here comes the thing. Does it matter that he's not played by a white actor? The traditionalist in me, because I loved the G.I. Joe comics, the Larry Hama comics, Snake Eyes was the first G.I. Joe action figure I bought, the Hasbro figure. I got Snake Eyes and Rock and Roll. So it, it doesn't really matter on one hand. But, you know, part of his story is, is he was this American kid, whatever. He grew up, you know, his best friend Tommy and everything was raised by, you know, and uh, everything. It doesn't matter. But I saw someone refer to it as they're avoiding the backlash, like what Netflix and Marvel got with Iron Fist, because everyone's like, oh, instead of, what's the dude's name, Finn, Finn something? Instead of hiring a white actor, you could have hired an Asian actor. Yeah, but... This is, I mean, this is the whole whole race thing. You know, when, when you look at the character, the character was a white dude. So to me, it feels like... The actor should be a white dude, but then we have so many white dudes in so many movies. You know, this is an opportunity to cast an Asian lead, which is awesome, which is great. So uh, that that's how I feel about it. I'm, I mean, I'll watch it. I, and Samara Weaving is going to be in it, so that's cool. But 
I don't know. We'll see. I just hope for the best. I just, but to me, the big thing is we shouldn't see Snake Eyes' face. If we don't see Snake Eyes' face, it doesn't matter who's under the the, the mask, you know. But what actor wants to not be seen? And also, if you have a lead character who can't talk, then it might make the movie a little hard to move. You know. I don't know. We'll see. I, I <laughs> um, some <laughs> DC news. Uh, there's the, the next animated movie after Long Halloween, so we're getting a Long Halloween Part One and Part Two. And uh, Part Two, the date was just announced uh, as July 27th on digital, and then August 10th on um, what you call on Blu-ray, H4, 4K, HD, all, all that stuff. And then the next movie after that is going to be an Injustice movie. No other information is available, so we, we don't know what, what this is going to be dealing with. I just wonder, you know, is it going to be straight-up story from the game? We had so many comics. You know, Tom Taylor wrote, like, a lot of comics. Brian Bucciolato wrote, you know, some comics. So I, I just wonder. I, I feel like they'll go with the game story. <laughs> so it's like, are they basically just saying, like, story mode from the game and... We'll see. I mean, I mean, part of me feels like, like, oh, they're, they're taking the easy way out, you know, doing something like that. But you know, when you're that, like, Long Halloween, obviously, it's, it's a comic story. So why should Injustice be any easier? To, I don't know what my problem is, but we'll see. I, I mean, it, it'll be good, and it'll give us a chance to see the characters in a slightly different, you know, world, different motivations, and. And personalities because of everything that happens. So it, it could be cool. We'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, the Batgirl movie is going to be directed by the Bad Boys for Life dude, the, the two directors. And apparently they also were the co-showrunners for Ms. Marvel. I must have missed that or I just not put two and two together. They're also doing this other show. And, oh, they're doing something... I th- uh, Beverly Hills Cop 4, I think they're doing for Netflix. These guys are, are, are busy. And they're going to be doing a Batgirl movie. So the, the the script was being worked on by, what's Christina? I forget her last name from Birds of Prey. And um, it's apparently going to be an HBO Max movie. So, okay, that that's fine. I mean, that doesn't have to be a bad thing. But I, I'm just wondering who who's going to be cast. Do we know who's going to be cast? Because we know, we know who's going to be cast as, as Batgirl, as Batgirl. Barbara Gordon in the Titans. So it'll be interesting. We'll have two different versions. That's that's fine. There is also going to be a Batman animated series, Batman Cape Crusaders. So this will be on HBO Max. I think it's also going to be on Cartoon Network. And it's going to be the executive producer's Bruce Tim. So that's awesome since he uh, he's done a couple other Batman-related things, right? animated series if you know what i'm talking about and then uh, jj abrams and max reeves are also involved with that so that's um that's going to be interesting and along with uh batman there's also going to be a superman animated series on cartoon network hbo max my adventures with superman i kind of like the the art style looks looks kind of slick and it's going to focus on like lois clark and jimmy and, and so forth so that could be interesting we'll see i mean it feels like it's been so long since we've had a Batman or Superman animated show. It's like, why why haven't we? It's, it's, it almost seems like it, we should have had one. David Ramsey. So David Ramsey played Andy Diggle in Arrow. And apparently he's coming back to the CW for some... He's going to be making some appearances. 
And he's going to be popping up in Batwoman, Supergirl, The Flash, Superman and Lois, and Legends. So it's interesting because I, I, as, as we watch Superman and Lois, it's kind of like, is this in the same universe? Because it almost feels like it's separate. It's supposed to be, but it almost feels separate, which which is fine. Uh, but so I guess what's going to be happening when we last saw Andy Diggle, he got this box with some green glowing object in there. What could that be? Was is it a Green Lantern? Why would it be in a box? So <laughs> was it in a box? Anyway, so uh, they I don't think they they straight up say that it was a Green Lantern ring, but whatever this offer was, he apparently turns it down because he you know he has his family back and you know he just wants to hang out with them and taking this offer would take him away from that. So I think we're going to see like some of the repercussions of his decision and everything. So it'll be interesting if it is a Green Lantern ring or not, or if it's something, you know, they make up some other, I don't know. So we'll have to see. With uh, HBO Max or whatever, Dune was supposed to come out in theaters and HBO Max same day. There's like, nah, we're not going to do that anymore. Because I, I, know, I know the... I forgot who was in charge of Dune, but they weren't too happy when that announcement came out, and I'm sure a lot of people weren't. But I guess even though Warner Brothers said all of 2020, or all the movies are coming out both, but now they're like, okay, we're not gonna, we'll we'll make that exception. Okay. And uh, just while I'm talking about DC and that, uh, as far as comics, there's gonna be um. A Fear State event in the Batman comics. It starts in August. So if you've been reading Batman, you know you know there's stuff with like Scarecrow. Is it Scarecrow? Is it not Scarecrow? And the Magistrate. A lot of stuff that's like leading into the Future State comics, which that kind of scares me a little bit. So that's going to be starting up. And uh, kind of speaking of DC, not really. So John Ridley, you know, he's done the, been doing like said the next Batman whatever comic. He he did something. Did he do a Wolverine story or something? But he's gonna be doing. He's gonna be writing a new Black Panther comic series, and uh, I think the art is gonna be Juan Cabal. So I forget when that starts up. And uh, Jenna Ortega, <laughs> Jenna Ortega has been cast as Wednesday Adams. So I think I mentioned it before. There's gonna be a Wednesday Netflix show. So Wednesday Adams is getting her own show. Tim Burton is directing, I think he's, a, is he a showrunner? <laughs> I don't know why I'm asking you. It's like, you, you should be asking me. But he, he's directing the first episode. And Alfred Goh and, and Miles Miller, Miller, they're involved. They're like producers of the show as well. And so Jenna Ortega, who is Jenna Ortega? She, oh, what was she in? She was in, I think she played young Jane and Jane the Virgin. And she was in, uh. Or something else, and I'm totally drawing a blank on. I don't really know her from anything, but um, and then I'm sure some people will be like, like, oh, diversity, whatever. Who cares? You know, I mean, no, I mean, yeah, it is. It's a big deal. It's it's, it's cool. I just hope that I say I as much as I, I'm happy for her. I'm happy. I'm thrilled for her. I don't know her. I'm overjoyed. Congratulations, Jenna Ortega. It's awesome. You're getting your own show. I hope it's awesome and successful and you get lots of money, <laughs> lots of fame and success. But what it comes down to, I hope when it came to the casting process, they didn't necessarily say, let's get a Latinx actor. You know, they. I hope that they said, let's get the best actor for the role. And then Jenna Ortega came in and kicked ass on her audition and got the job. Whatever. If it's not the case, who cares? I'm sure she's going to, you know, she did a great job. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. And again, a reminder, I am, I guess, technically, I'm, I'm Latinx too. So I'm not 
I'm saying, I'm just, you know what I'm saying if you've been listening to me. And then uh, I apparently, possibly, Marvel's What If, I don't think this is official, but it looks like it might be starting in August. So that's awesome. It would be animated uh, stories based on the comics, like, you know, what if, like, what if this happened? What if that happened? <laughs> you get the idea. So that's going to be cool. Okay. And apparently Henry Cavill might be in a Highlander reboot from Lionsgate. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I, I was, I was a fan of the original Highlander and uh, I'm trying to think of how many, which ones were good and which ones weren't. Second one was just kind of weird. I was, I was so confused and whatever. So as far as reboot, I mean, I, I guess it's going to happen sooner or later. And I know, like diehard fans would be like, you know, why, why bother rebooting it? You know, the original is so good, good and all that stuff. But at the same time, you know, it, it's long, not dead, but inactive or whatever. You know, we're not going to get anything else with that. And rebooting it isn't going to take away from the original ones. And, you know, we could maybe hopefully see something some cool stuff added to it not just a rehash of the same thing or whatever so it'll be interesting to see what what they might do with that now as far as far as henry cavill i i i enjoy what henry cavill does i i think he's he's a really good actor and you know i had no vested interest in like the witcher and i ended up liking that and you know he's a good superman but he doesn't really, really get the chance to actually play superman etc etc and you know mission impossible he was good so while i'm i guess i'm a little concerned because like him being attached to this plus you know with with the witcher you know he's and i think is he gonna i don't know if he's gonna be in mission impossible again i don't know if he can be hint spoiler but uh it's just like with him getting into another potential franchise i want i want to see him in an actual superman movie but i guess the reality of it is there's no plans for that because you know they want to do black superman and there yeah so i guess good for him you know and let's let's keep him busy give him you know something good and uh, we'll see uh yeah so i'm not super crazy but the idea of a reboot but i'm i'm okay with it i'm down with it and i'm curious to see what they would do with it i don't know how i would feel if it was something like we're going to reboot Twin Peaks. I mean, that, you know, that's a t totally different thing. You can't do that. And plus, you know, would David Lynch be part of it? Would he give his okay? And so I, I get when people are passionate about certain things, but whatever. <laughs> and what I'm just saying, and whatever, what I mean by whatever is like, I, I need to shut up and just move on to the next thing. Titans season three has, finally has a release date. So they released a, a video. Where was, where was it? At? Was it on Instagram? Was it on Twitter? But it, it it was kind of annoying, the way because they, I I get what they're trying to do and it's fine. You know, I was watching. This, I was like, I just want to know the release date. When is this coming out? So this video shows all the actor or most of the act, a lot of the actors because they're still filming. They're still on set, so they're not done. And it's basically whether they're reading a script or not, and then you know they're they all read certain parts, or maybe they all read the same script and then they just chopped it up or whatever. But it's like, you know, them like finishing each other's sentences or what it's, it was, it just, it felt like it took so long and it was just like, just, just tell me when it's coming out because while it's kind of interesting seeing the different actors, cause some of them look kind of different when they're not in costume or in makeup and, and all that, 
Because at first I was like, wait, who is that? And they, they kind of introduced themselves. So it is cool to see that. And you see, like, you know, who's playing Barbara Gordon or, and and uh, Tim Drake and that. So when is it coming out? <laughs> August. <laughs> That's all we know. I, I was like, I had heard it was coming out August. I'm like, August what? And I'm like watching this video, and then it's like, okay, they don't even tell us. They maybe they don't know yet. I'm hoping it's towards beginning of summer rather than than the end of summer or end of August, because you know with school starting up and all that, it's like just I I don't like when video games or movies, you know, they wait till school starts and then we're gonna put all this content. It's like no, we need stuff to do over the summer. And um, it's of of course I don't know if I mentioned it's gonna be HBO Max, so that's their new home since it's there's no DC Universe thing anymore. And uh, the last bit of news, uh, CW, I guess, released an image of Jordan Fisher as Impulse for the Flash TV show. <laughs> I actually, I got a, I got a, a message from, uh, was it, I think it was Garrett. And, and he, he's like, I, I, I legitimately, I thought this was one of your Photoshops. And, <laughs> and when I look at the little thumbnail, and in my 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 thing whatever and it, 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 i have to admit it kind of looked like me like if i would have photoshopped my face on there and uh because you know i'm dark complected or whatever so i mean it's pretty close and and <laughs> i look at it's such a bad image it is it's like photo I and mean, not just a photo not just a head on, on this body but just a position but i mean it doesn't look real and then you know you got all the special effects or the, like the speed stuff and lines and it looks like the you know uh, um, page from the, the Flash because I saw Joshua Williamson you know he tweeted he was in he tweeted it side by side with the, that last page the the reveal when uh, they they finally said Impulse is is alive exists in comics so it just it's a, it's a bad shot I, in my opinion it doesn't look good and uh, that yeah that's it so that's gonna be the news for the week. Okay, with comic books at Image Comics, Home Number Two came out. So Home is a story of a family, a mother and son from Guatemala, trying to come to the United States. They're going to live with uh, the mom's aunt, but then they get caught at the border. They get separated, which is just mind-boggling that they would do this and you know take them to completely separate. Uh, locations and not even so it's like I can't imagine being separated from my kid like you know a child and having no clue where they're at I, I just I I don't understand but then through the midst of all this the kid develops superpowers and you know he's in this child uh, camp which is just like freaky or whatever. And then suddenly he starts like developing, like, you know, he, he's able to escape. It's like, what's going on here? So kind of, I, yeah, I don't know where the story is going. And um, for me that the art, the arts, it's fine. It, it, it's not my, it, it bugs me a little, I guess, but uh, well, I'm curious where the story is going to go. And I don't want to spoil anything more, but there is a, a little more possible kind of sort of explanation, like what, what, are, why, where are these powers, what does that mean? So we, we find out a little bit about that. Jules Verne's Lighthouse Number Two of Five. I like the first issue, so I talked about the first issue. The second one, 
I just I couldn't get into it as much. And for I that happened on like a few different comics this week. So I don't know if I just had a bad week. So don't let my again, these are my opinions. Take it as take it or leave it, but I'm assuming you're listening, so you're you know you, you you're curious what I have to say. But there's something about this issue, and it was like the main character, you know, this girl with this like robot, and you know they they were attacked by uh, space pirates and everything. So the lighthouse is supposed to be like this space station thing that you know that helps ships come and go through like you know wormholes or whatever, and. She was just kind of annoying with this, uh, you know. She, because she, I think she took some of her meds or something, or she was there. Maybe she took some drugs or one or the, the two, and she was just not. I don't know. She was just a little, little annoying. But then what we kind of see is there might be more to her story than we realize, like some stuff with her past. So yeah, I, I was like kind of reading it, and I was like, I don't, I kind of don't feel like reading it. And I was kind of skimming a little bit, but then I was curious what happened at the end. So I kind of was reading at the end. So it's just kind of crazy this possible revelation of something more about this this girl than than we knew. So we'll, I don't, we'll see about that. Radiant Black issue four. So this is a Kyle Higgins comic, and uh, I. Absolutely, do don't don't want to spoil this, but you should be reading this one because for two reasons: one, because Kyle's a, a great guy, and two, because this is a, a really good story. So this dude kind of down on his, his luck writer moves back with, at home at home with his dad because you know he's in debt and everything, and he's struggling to get his. Uh, I think he's writing a novel. You know, he's just struggling with it. Writer's block. He gets comes across this like superpower things, black hole harness, armor suit powers, and there's this other one too who seems to be a little little darker. So we're we're seeing more, finding out more about the radiant black and like the, the the abilities and everything. And all I'll say, kind of like your spoiler warning, something pretty pretty intense happens, pretty like crazy and unexpected, something that probably wouldn't happen like in a Marvel or DC comic. And uh, that's that's kind of the cool thing about having, you know, create your own book or independent, whatever you want to call it, is you, you can do whatever the heck you want. And that, that ups the game because, you know, you can't just sit back and be like, okay, yeah, this is what's going to happen or it doesn't matter, you know. You, you kind of know where things are going to end at the end of the day, at the end of the issue or story arc or whatever. So something pretty pretty nutso happens here, and uh, it's 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 definitely like a game changer. So um, I would recommend reading issues one, two, and three. Um, the third printing for issues one and two came out. Second printing for three also came out. So chances are your comic store still has copies of one, two, and three, and four. And if they don't, you could always read them like through Comicsology. So you should definitely be reading it. Um, Scumbag issue eight. I kind of fell behind on this. Um, I I have the issues. I know I should be reading them, but I just struggle with the main character. And I don't know if it's gotten any better or not, but I just, I didn't like the guy. So it was like hard. And that's the point. You know, he's not a likable character, but that was the hard part for me. But I love Rick Remender. Uh, I love his writing. I don't love. Well, I, do I love Rick Remender? He's 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 another good guy. So I want to read this. I want to. So please don't you know give it a, a shot. <laughs> don't just listen to what I'm saying. Oh, do listen to what I'm saying and give it a shot. But 
I need to get caught up on that. Stillwater came back uh, after a little tiny break. Stillwater issue seven. And uh, the last issue, things got pretty heated. You know, there's a, the judge and the, like the sheriff, whatever, they're kind of ruling it. So Stillwater is this town where basically everyone's immortal. And they, they heal and all that stuff like that. But they're trying to keep it contained. You know, they don't want outsiders to come in. They don't want people to leave and stuff like that. But there's a lot of people that are feeling like, hey, these guys are kind of not being tyrants or whatever, but, you know, they're kind of you know, ruling a little too harshly. So there's this slight op opposition and then things just kind of explode. And uh, when someone decides to bring in some outside people and um, sort of powers that be to, like the governor or whatever and the sheriff, you know, they're they're kind of going all out to make sure they keep things run the way they're they've been running it. And uh so our main character who is new to Stillwater because he left as a as he was taken out as a kid or as a was is he a baby and then he came back and then he discovered the truth and all this. So there's there's a there's some heavy duty stuff happening. And he's like kind of in over his head. Stray Dogs issue 4 um was there a different art in this issue? I forgot to check. So Stray Dogs this is a this is a, a I love this comic. So you know, it's Bill is like a Don Bluth story. It's like Don Bluth and Silence of the Lambs or whatever they're saying, where these dogs, there's a bunch of dogs living with this dude, and we're pretty sure that the dude is going out killing people or killing women and taking their dogs. And you know, the dogs they they're kind of forgetting stuff because you know short term memory or whatever. But now they're starting to suspect that you know one of like this dude killed my my lady, killed my owner, or whatever, and you know they're locked in his house. So what can they do? Because they're dogs, they, you know. So yeah, and uh, last issue, one dog, you know, they're they're trying to get into this, you know get some evidence or whatever, and uh, one dog kind of got in trouble and uh, paid the price. And uh, <laughs> then they, when the the other dogs try to figure out like what's in this secret shed and uh, that wasn't good for them okay then over at dc so we had batman fortnite zero point issue three say what you will i know a lot of people don't like fortnite some people are like just anti-fortnite for whatever just on on principle i'm i'm enjoying this comic it's it's, it's it is it's kind of silly but you know batman being stuck in a fortnite world universe and everything keeps resetting every 22 minutes which sucks when does you know what when does he get to sleep you know or do they keeps does it keep resetting during the night i don't know so every time it resets you, you, you lose your memory and you can't talk in this world so catwoman was able to get out and so now batman's there He's trying to deal, you know, and he's he's not necessarily evolving, but he's like learning and he's getting, you know, he's beating everyone. So they send in Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes from, from J. Joe. It's like, how is this even possible? So um, it's it's pretty, pretty, pretty cool to, to see Batman and Snake Eyes. And, you know, Harley Quinn is still like around there as, as well. So um, it's worth checking out, I would say. Uh, Catwoman 31 came out. Uh, this is one that I kind of skimmed through. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm not totally digging the, the current Catwoman storyline, whatever. But, you know, she's trying to 
rescue Poison Ivy, who was taken, you know, so they can make drugs out of her or whatever and, and stuff like that. So there's more on that. Uh, the Flash 770. So we still have Wally West kind of flipping, you know, going around through time into different speedsters. He's supposed to be fixing things in a timeline, whatever, and maybe he'll get back to his, his body. Where is his body? Can he come back to his body? So now he ends up uh, during World War II, and he's in, in Jay Garrick's body, and they need to stop Hitler because he has a spear of destiny. Yeah, so things get, get kind of intense there. Then there is uh, Justice League 61. So to Justice League, they have gone over to Naomi's uh, universe. So Brian Michael Bendis is the character he invented. And things are a little different here. You know, it's it's a like a war, like post-apocalyptic world. You know, something has gone by. There's people with intense powers. So there's this dude who's been like popping into the universe and he kind of like wants a ruler, wants to take over, whatever. So they, the Justice League has been fighting him off, but he's he's pretty strong and everything. But some things are weird, like uh, Black Canary, her powers are like amplified, and you know she uses her scream. And uh, then Superman was also kind of like like out of control, like super intense, and you know he like has to zip up into like the sky because he you know, he can't control his heat vision and stuff like that. So there's some interesting things. But then at the same time, because, uh, you know, there's a point where, like, I think Superman's getting beat and then Black Adam comes up. But what's weird is, like, you don't see it. And then, like, the next page or whatever, they're both defeated. So it's like, that's that's saying a lot if you can beat Superman and Black Adam. So there's some other stuff. But and another thing, like, uh, Hawkgirl, she's like, I feel fine. I feel great. So I don't know if it's affecting her at all and why it's only affecting some and not others. But okay, then there's uh, the next Batman, Second Son, issue 12. So more on uh, the stuff going on. And, and I, I kind of go like up and down with this series where, you know, some issues I, I really dig and others. Like the last, last issue with Katana, I thought it was all right. The ones before that, so we, we see like what is the deal with, with Jace, Tim, and, you know, the stuff that he did. So now here, you know, it, it's back to the present, and um, it was it was okay. You know, we're, we're seeing more, and it's getting closer because you know, with the the next Batman from the Future State comics, you know, there, there's some stuff that we know happened, and things are kind of getting closer to the next step. Like uh, Jace is kind of investigating some things at at the. There, was it Wayne? Are they at Wayne Enterprises? Now it's like Fox Enterprise. I don't know. Even know what what this. He finds a secret basement, basically. So it's like, hmm, what's down here? It's not not on the records and and that. So he he's gonna find something out down there. Uh, Nightwing issue eighty. This is uh, I, I love this series. So Tom Taylor is doing a great job. Um, Bruno Redondo is amazing art. And not only do we still have Barbara Gordon here, but we have Tim Drake come in so that that is fantastic you know dick Grayson and tim drake swinging side by side so there's lots of cool things here superman red and blue issue three i i wasn't super excited for this i was like reading it and the superman stories are they're fine stories it almost feels like that it's it's more for the casual readers i you know maybe because 
I don't know. I feel like I've read so many Superman stories just to read these random Superman stories. They don't really do a whole lot for me. And I don't, is that like selfish? Is that stupid? But I, I just, I guess when I'm reading comics, you know, I, there, there's, I mean, you should be reading comics for enjoyment. But I'm also looking at if I'm going to read Superman, I want to see like the big picture, like Endgame. You know, where is this going? What's what's going to happen? And just saying like, oh, here's Superman. Why is Superman? I know Superman's awesome. I know he, you know, he does great things, noble things, and sacrifices and all that. That's what these these stories are about. They're showing all that. But I kind of feel like it's like I don't need to see that because I already know all that. It is it's a good reminder so people don't forget, so people don't think that he's this, you know, intense, horrible, you know, powerful <laughs> brooding hero that will s- snap someone's neck because he doesn't do that. So I don't know. Uh, but it, it's a it, you know it's, it's a great chance for other writers and artists to work on it. The the red and blue theme is okay. It's a, I'm getting a little tired of all this you know, red, white, and blood or red, white, and black or, you know, whatever they're, they're calling, you know, the different like Harley Quinn and the Wolverine and, you know, Batman black and white. It just, it, it feels very gimmicky, but whatever, that's fine. So if you like Superman, you'll, you'll enjoy this or you might enjoy this. You kind, you'll kind of enjoy it if you like Superman because I just kind of enjoyed it and I really like Superman. And then Wonder Girl, I really liked Wonder Girl. I, I kind of wish I wrote a review for this. I wanted to write a review. I just didn't get around to it. So this is written and drawn by Joelle Jones. Jordy Beller does a color. And I'm I'm totally on board with this character. I totally rolled my eyes when I heard about this character. So I'm like, here we go. Latinx Wonder Woman, Wonder Girl. And at first I thought that they were trying to replace Wonder Girl. But no, it's a different character, which is the awesome thing. That's what I want to see. You know, if, if you're going to, you know, I'm, we need ethnic diversity. We, you know, we should have other characters. We shouldn't just have white characters, but let's create new characters. You know, when you take like a movie like Snake Eyes and make a white character Asian, you know, just to make it more diverse, that's one thing. But, and again, that's movie, so that's totally different. But in a comic, you know, you want to just like, okay, because they were supposed to do a, a CW show. They wanted, you know, they, I think they did a pilot and it got passed on with the Yara Floor. But rather than say, okay, this here's this actress, this Latinx actress, she's going to play Donna Troy. They're like, no, she's playing this new character. So I'm, I'm totally down with that. And I'm intrigued with her origin, with the story. And we as we see her, you know, because she's, she doesn't know like really what's going on. So she's trying to find out about her past and everything like that. So I'm really down with it. And, and I just, Joel Jones, I love her art. And so, and we just, the color is just amazing here. So I'm totally, I, I, I dig this comic and does, should it be taken away the wonder girl name? It doesn't really matter. I mean, I, yes, I want to see Donna Troy and I, I want to see Cassie Sandsmark. You know, we hardly see them. We don't see them enough, but that's fine. You know, we could we have all of these. So I, I enjoyed it. So you should definitely check it out. You know, tr- pick up a copy, and you know, I I think you'll dig it. Over at Marvel, so Amazing Spider-Man sixty-six. There's a a little bit more with a like Kingpin. You know, so he used a the tablet of life he brought someone back 
and then there's there's a lot with spider-man you know he's trying to deal with the betrayal that he um suffered uh was it in king's ransom story so there's more stuff like that i just wonder um since he's not working for the what's the, the newspaper uh mass and menaces is that what it's called so you know he he took the suit you know j jonah jameson gave him a suit with the camera and all that live feeds and streaming and they were paying him money but he's like i that's that's just not me so we knew it wasn't going to last we should have known it was going to last but now they never really talked about how he got paid his apartment got blown up randy it looks like maybe moving out fred is definitely move, moving out so peter is alone now can he afford an apartment on his own does he have to pay to fix his apartment and how long is that going to take you know where's damage control where they usually fix things overnight so i don't know what's going to happen there but then there's more stuff with with harry osborne uh, and kindred and norman osborne so um and then there's a little uh twist at the end so it's like okay what does this mean so it's going to lead into some other stuff captain america issue 29 and uh, this was i mean there there's some stuff with like sin in here and um what's the lucan's wife's name i forget that that lady's name so things are, are moving along i i thought this was okay but it's it's weird to think about sin i i, I feel like you know she's been in her current form for so long it's weird to think that this was mother superior like totally different character and because it's weird to think about like how can sin be the red skull's daughter you know that's gross and you know how's that happen everything but i the stuff with with uh red skull now and alexander lucan and his wife and it's just all weird and bizarre so i don't know uh champions issue seven the champions are trying to are still trying to fight roxon because roxon was like involved with the the kamala act you know trying to get young heroes banned and all all that so now they've started a new app rocks on and they're, they're trying to get you know social media kids and stuff like that so the champion's like well we need to infiltrate them and try to figure out what they're doing and stuff like that so miles and sam alexander they interviewed to be interns because you know they're the only ones that can do it because like viv can't and kamala she just doesn't want to put her face out there because you know she became the the face of the what was that called that not outlaw outlaw was a series uh whatever so, you know, she doesn't want to be the spokesperson for anti young heroes in that and yeah so it was fine some of the art here though it's like you know looking at sam and even miles it's like they look like they're like eight years old and you know a couple of panels and it just kind of threw me off and uh, whatever I, I maybe i'm being a jerk for saying you know making a comment like that but say it like i see it i guess <laughs> or whatever daredevil issue 30 i'm digging this so daredevil's in prison he's being stubborn about it he got he got stabbed. He's, he's almost dead, but you know he's taken to the hospital. Elektra is still working Hell's Kitchen as Daredevil, but now she's just kind of being like, like whatever. I'm Natasha. Not not Natasha. What's her name? Is it? It's not Natasha. Not not. Why am I not remembering Elektra's name? No, Elektra is her name. Elektra Nachios. 
she walks into this, this there's this club where there's this like uh kind of new mob dude working in hell's kitchen and she's like i own this building you know she's dressed as daredevil she's like i own this building so i'm you know kind of come in type of thing and so then the word gets to the dude that who Electra is and you know, Electra's never really had a secret identity but it just seems weird to just put that out there like that and so Electra's also she's taken in this young girl and she's kind of training her and, and stuff like that so there's something that, that goes on there but Daredevil also gets an opportunity to help out and possibly get his his uh, prison sentence shortened but he's like I'm not taking you know I'm serving my time and He's just being stubborn about it, but it's like you're you're doing some good. So you know, if you get less time, there's, it's not like you're cutting corners. I mean, that's how things work. Fantastic Four Life Story issue one. Uh, this is by Mark Russell. He does the um, and then Sean is is does the the art. Um, it was okay. So the the idea here, what what's the idea? Traditional Spider-Man life story and celebration of FF 60th anniversary comes the series setting the lives of a fabulous foursome in real time across the years. So this is basically like the 60s. Does it say that in the cover? Uh, yeah, it does say that in the cover because the next issue, it, it reaches the 70s. So we're, we're seeing uh, kind of jumping around different points in the characters like throughout this decade. And, you know, they're getting older. So obviously, when we get to issue two, they've been the Fantastic Four for you know close to ten years, and, and that so things are are changing, things are going on, and um, it's interesting to you know because it, it while everything is kind of familiar in, in, a, in a to an extent, there are some obvious differences that are going to change little things here and there. So it's not like you're just reading the Fantastic Four's origin again, you know, because there are going to be some some changes here. So so it, it's interesting. And then there's Heroes Were Born number three. I had a hard time getting into this. It because um, you know some of the hero like hero Heroes Were Born stories, like the Hyperion one, I didn't care so much for. Was it last week? But the Peter Parker one, I did enjoy. This one just feels like it's more about um, Blur. That's his name, right? And. The idea of him going up against the Silver Witch. So the Silver Witch is basically Wanda, the Scarlet Witch, with a Pietro Speed. There's a reason. And so that was kind of interesting. But other than that, it was, I just I, I don't care about the Squadron Supreme characters so much, at least not, not here. And then there's a little bit more with Blade. You know, he's trying to bring back the Avengers. So, you know, he found Captain America. They come across someone else in this, this issue. So that that's kind of interesting. That that's more of what I want to see. But there's that. Um, Immortal Hulk, Time of Monsters. Uh, okay, so I started reading this, and then I, I I this was another one I couldn't get into. Al Ewing and Alex Pacnadel introduced the original Hulk ten thousand years ago, and I just I yeah I was like I don't care about that. Um, so it could be an interesting story. I stopped reading, sadly. I don't know. And the same thing with the Valkyries. <laughs> I told you, there, there's a, I had a hard time this week. Um, Valkyries issue two, I started reading it, and then I just, I don't know what it is. And I, you know, it's the same thing before with, with the Jane Foster comic. I love Jane. I'm glad to see Jane as, you know, still have some abilities, powers, you know, being involved in the superhero world. But, yeah, I, as Valkyrie, well, I don't know. 
So I, I should probably go back and try to read that again. Runaways 36. I did enjoy this, so it's not like I'm down on all comics. Uh, this was, was interesting because Gert, a future Gert comes, you know, just a, as Chase is kind of moving on with his life because young Gert is, has hooked up with Victor Mancha. And so he's, he's, he's ready to move on. And then future Gert comes and, uh, this kind of, kind of interesting. And, um, I don't really want to say much more than that. And then there's at the end, there's like a, uh Oh, part. So I, uh, yeah, so I enjoyed that. I, I like that. Shang-Chi issue one. And, uh, this is supposed to be Shang-Chi versus the Marvel universe. And I know that it's not Shang-Chi. Is it, is it something else? I don't know. Um, so Shang-Chi is, is like the leader of some, you know, his, his family's organization thing or whatever. And, you know, he's trying to, you know, try to deal with all that and, you know, try to turn things the, the right way. So he's a, uh, the leader of the five weapons society. And he, you know, he, his quote unquote younger sister, you know, she's just like wants to kill people for, you know, to, to solve problems and everything like that. So he's dealing with that. And then Spider-Man gets involved. So, What's nice is they they mentioned the two of them because Spider Man trained with Shang Chi a little bit when he lost his spider sense and so it's nice that they they brought that up because it almost feels like did that actually happen is it still in in continuity or whatever so we we have stuff going on there um, Spider Man Bounty Hunters issue twelve so this is supposed to be a, a prelude for the the Han Solo crossover thing I just I have a hard time getting into uh, the main char- character because balance. Um, I I don't know. I don't know what. I don't think it's. I don't think I'm. I'm showing uh, not racism against the cyborg or <laughs> but bias. What what am I trying to say? But I don't know. We'll we'll see. I mean. He's was friends with Han Solo. We see a flashback, and some things don't go so well. And you know, he's he's working with Dengar, and Dengar maybe kind of betraying him. And I don't know. Way of the X issue two. This was another one that was just kind of weird. Um, and and I think the main problem for me is because Legion is in this, and I just I don't really like Legion. He's another character that's always kind of bugged me. And I know some people love Legion, and people love the Legion TV show, but I'm just uh, I don't I don't really care so much about Legion. And then there, you know Nightcrawler is in here, and you know there's some big stuff that happens with him, so that's important. Doctor Nemesis is just annoying, and uh, um, there's stuff with like Fabian Cortez. So it was okay, but the I just it, for me it was hard because of the Legion stuff. But there's definitely some important things that are happening here. And then Wolverine issue twelve, uh, this was okay. First, I was like, who is Wolverine with? He's with this uh, Louise. <laughs> like, who the heck is Louise? And she's uh, she was turned into a vampire, so she's like you know struggling working with that. There's, it's so there's still all this vampire Dracula stuff that they're that's been kind of going on for a while, and and then uh, all this some stuff with like Omega Red where it feels like this the story's been happening and then they it stopped like there's no mention and then it comes back. So 
Yeah, was, and, and you know we we don't even have Adam Kubert art here. We have Scott Eaton, which I mean it's it's good, it's slick, but yeah. So that that's going to be comic books for the week. Uh, hopefully, I'll, I'll be more excited. Wonder Girl, I liked Wonder Girl. I really like that comic. So read it. Support the Latinx characters for real. And I, I wish that they got a TV show. Anyways, this comics for the week. All right, with uh, the Nevers. Season one, episode six, true. Let me just say it, uh, <laughs> Sunday Sunday night, man, it was uh, pretty nuts. So the Nevers and Mayor of Easttown, just, just crazy. So hopefully, since uh, we're a week behind as, we, as I talk about this, hopefully if you're watching it or listening, you've avoided spoilers because it was just crazy. So with... Uh, <laughs> with the nevers you know they they do the recap at the beginning and as i'm watching i'm like you know i'm watching i was like okay what's what's going on then i'm like am, am i did i click on the wrong show and i was like no i'm not watching the wrong show because they showed the recap from last week with the uh, malady and the hanging and, and all this i was like wait what's going on and then i you know so it starts off you see some soldiers parachuting out of a plane and i was like wait what, what's going on here? And then I, I started asking myself, I was like, is this the future or something? Because you see some soldiers on the ground and they have gas masks, but there's like kind of like blue lights on the side. And and while we do see some modern technology from Penance, you know, the stuff that she's built, but these are soldiers. So it's like, wait, what's going on here? And as these soldiers are, are walking around, there's like these, this, you know, loudspeaker announcements, you know, repeating, we are marauders, we are God's men or whatever like that. And then there's this like this this uh, dead soldier, and she like you know she's laying on her back with her head kind of like hanging over a ledge or whatever, and she just uh, sits up, raises her head, and starts shooting, and then she like rolls over and throws up like three glowing blue balls, and it's like, what's going on here? And then it says chapter one stripe, I'm like okay, so we then we see these like soldiers inside some futuristic sh- building or something like that. I was, I was like, is this a building? Is this a ship? And there's, there's some people, there's like a Crescent, Biner, Knitter. These are different people. They have this prisoner, uh, Major Greenborn. And one is asking another, is like, what is a Stripe doing down here on their own? So Stripe is, Stripe ends up being the the soldier, the woman who came to life and sh- started shooting and, and uh, threw up the stuff. Another um, says that, you know, she was playing possum and she watched her throw up the things. Then she's asked about the coolant pods or whatever, so I don't know if these are these things because they're they're like that the heat change will shred your organs if you don't relax. So like, is your stomach coated? And she just nods. And they they say that the stripe hasn't called out colors. So you know where she's from, and she's like outside of Edinburgh. And they're like, no one's made it outside of Edinburgh. And you know, so they're trying to figure out like who is this this woman, this stripe person. So they they examine um, uh, stripe. I think knitter was the one woman. And I was looking at it, I was like, she kind of looks like Harriet, but I was like, is it? Is it not? Anyways, so Stripe gets examined, and then, so that this woman's kind of, kind of older, kind of longish hair, kind of grayish. She's got this big scar on her face, like going across like her, by close to her eye and everything. But as she's sitting there, she starts doing the the finger thing, the, the finger twitch thing. So then I'm like, this is Amalia, right? Is this Amalia in the future? Did she somehow 
have longevity or whatever. So, you know, it's like, and I'm trying to look at her. It's like, is that her with makeup? It's like, I don't think there's makeup on. So it was actually a different actress, but I was like, that's gotta be Amalia. Cause she's doing that, that, that of uh, the finger thing. She's asked if she gets temporals or flashbacks. And she says that she's not even sure that this is now, which again, makes you wonder about, is this somehow, did something happen? And, while Amalia jumps to the future, did she jump, you know, or she sees glimpses, you know, she falls into her future self for like a moment and then, you know, comes back. As I like, could she have somehow fallen like way into the future? So then they, they mentioned that their their mission is looking for a Galanthi. So there's our, our connection to the regular, the past, whatever you want to call it, the past slash present or whatever. So then she says, so, or they... They ask her what what her name is, and she, she just kind of laughs at that. She's like, well, that's pretty forward. And she's like, I was married for three years, and I never told either one of them. So something about the name is like, you know, it's, it's the whole thinking. That's like a precious thing that, you know, you don't reveal what, what your name is. So she refers to people as spores. And this lady, I think this was Knitter, she says, uh, it's like, oh, you shouldn't call them that. And so they're talking about the spores. So I think the spores are the blue lights that we saw the people who are touched get and uh they say something how the spores are translators that they activate the mind and stuff like that then there's this noise in the other room and you hear some yelling so stripe this stripe slash amalia she goes out and uh two soldiers have their guns drawn and they're in a greenhouse and there's tomatoes growing but there's like not they're, they're surprised that there's actually food there and they they go into this door supposedly this door is not supposed to be there or something like that and uh I don't know if I, I what at which point there was. There was one point. I think it was when they were doing an examination. When Stripe was getting examined, there was like these like little compartments, and they had some like Victorian things, almost like like it was like a little mini museum in these little sh cupboards or whatever. So, anyways, they go through this door on the other side of the, the greenhouse, and there's like this big shaft, and there's something hanging above it. It looks like there's some bodies there, and then one dude says like, "Oh, that's the science team." So then they're, they go looking for other doors that shouldn't be there, more exploring. And in, in this room, there's kind of like this big spherical shape on the ceiling. It's like glass. It's it's not not a full, it's not even, it's like less than half of a sphere. It's just like this curved, you know, whatever glass thing. And they, they mentioned there's like human blood inside, but there's also something large in there. And you see an eye looks at them and blue tendrils start reaching out for them. Stripe slash amalia gets a flash and we see that she was attacked and she gets a the cut scar on her face and then she snaps back and does more of like the finger twitching so again it's like this this has to be amalia somehow so it's like we still don't know what's going on and then uh so while they're in this bunker place or whatever apparently both sides of this war that's going on have called for full strike so that means like nuclear attacks or something like that the prisoner dude says that, you know, they, they could put the, the thing out of its misery and close the portal. So this is the Galanthi thing. So the Galanthi must be like this alien thing. So there's something about this portal that's open and maybe that's where these aliens are coming from. So he's this dude's like, you know, you put an end to it and save lots of lives, including their own. Then we see this other dude. He's watching this video of a scientist dude, like filming a report. And there's this giant creature, like kind of walking and standing next to him, you know, kind of bumping into him. And it looks like a cross. How do they describe it? In the, in the it just so it kind of has like elephant skin, but it's also kind of squid-like. 
And there's one part, they, they said one part was kind of like a T-Rex. I didn't really quite see that. So it's this big kind of creature thing. So that lady knitter keeps uh, talking to Malia and, you know, asks her to care about what they're fighting for. Because she's just very, like, you know, matter of fact, or just like, you know, whatever you know, type of thing. Then there's, you hear some distant gunfire. So uh, Stripe slash Amalia and uh, the other lady, they go to check. The, the guy that was guarding the prisoner, so he's kind of like a younger guy, he's dead. And the prisoner has, like, his blaster rifle. Amalia shoots the sphere thing and it, it like ricochets off the glass and it hits him. And then this other dude says that the Galanthi has locked them out. And then uh, the lady tells Amalia that, you know, she was right, that it was always going to end like this. And she gets shot by one of the other soldiers. So I guess this other soldier was turning on them or I don't really know what's going on. So Amalia shoots this guy, Amalia Stripe or whatever. And um, but what's weird is that at this point, She's still listed as Stripe in a closed captioning. And usually, usually you know, there's one reason why I like having a closed captioning on. Because a lot of times it, it reveals things before, you know, it's revealed. But they're, they're, so they're calling her Stripe. So then she asks uh, the medic lady knitter if, if um, she wishes to tell her her name. And she says her name is and then she dies. So that's what made me think. It's like, wait, is that supposed to be Harriet? But that doesn't make any sense. So then uh, Stripe, she goes off on her own. She has a, a couple containers or something, and she just kind of like chugs them. And, you know, she's like slumped on the ground. So she's actually like killing herself. She's like drinking this, something like that. And then uh, these blue tendrils start like floating around her and kind of like wrap, wrap around her. And then the light floats up and she's just laying there. So it's like she's dead. And then you see like the blue light go up in the sky. Then it cuts back to the past, which is like where the show is normally going on. And so again, as I'm watching this, I'm like, what the heck is going on? So then we see Amalia, so regular Amalia that we're used to, walking down an alley with a basket. And that, that's kind of how it started for her. Like in the first episode, we see that when she like jumps into the river, River Thames, Thames and uh, tries drowning herself, whatever. So then it says, chapter two, Molly. So Amalia, Molly, and Molly is what Malady called her, if you remember. So Amalia is working at a bakery. She made these French cakes, and uh, so the, the other, this other lady that works there calls her Molly, and she she gives a a cake to this dude. So um, forget what his name is, but anyway, she's uh, she's clearly got a crush on this guy. I think his name is Varnum. That's maybe that's his last name. And uh, it's weird to see Molly because she's like all smiley and everything like that. And then the other lady, Gert, the I don't know if she's a store owner or whatever. She asked Molly if she's going to marry this one dude. And she's like, you probably won't get a better offer. And she's like, you need to start thinking about your future, not the one in your head, which plan words here, maybe or something like that. So Molly likes that other dude who she gave the cake to, but he doesn't have a lot of money. So it's just like, you know, you got to think about your future and your place since woman blah 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 at the time period and all that so she marries a uh, the big this big dude thomas because he came in and he, he was he's a bit of an ass he's kind of a jerk and, and then he takes her to see his mom who's lying in his in bed and you know he's like mrs this is mrs true and obviously you know amalia they always refer to her as amalia true or mrs true herself and so um Malia, then she she goes to the bakery with the basket, and she has like some stomach pains or something like that. And Thomas, her husband, 
he he mentions just like very callously like how she's lost two already like two kids and she you know so she's making deliveries with uh the baskets because or he says something about that he how he's not going to get an error at the rate she's going or something like that so it's like no sympathy or anything like that so she's making these these uh deliveries but then uh something then i guess uh thomas passes away and he had a lot of debts so she's kind of left with the debts so he you know he had some place like he had the house because you know his mom's still there but you know she has to deal with that so she's still delivering you stuff for the the bakery the bakery the bakery (laughs) then uh molly or gert tells molly so again gert's the lady that works at the bakery she tells molly that she ran into barnum so this is the guy that she liked and this so this is i don't know how much time has passed but she says how he's in charge of the whole office now or whatever and apparently he asked about molly or or something like that so then a, a doctor's checking on uh mrs true and asks how he asks Molly how she's doing, and Molly says, uh, "You know, she's she's fine, or whatever." And she's feeding Mrs. True, you know, just like soup and everything like that. And it's like she's the only one that can really care for her, or whatever. Then we see uh, later Molly's making like more of those French cakes, and she leaves them outside uh, Varnum's door. And there's a like a she puts a note like wishing your family well because I think I think his wife he so he ended up getting married. And I think he, his wife was ha- having a baby shower or something like that. But Molly, since she's had some, you know, a couple miscarriages, it's kind of like bad luck. So she can't be there or something like that. So she can't even like talk to the dude or whatever. So then we see Molly delivering and she's carrying her basket. She's down the alley. You know, she takes a left, but then stops and then turns around and goes to the dock, which is what we've seen before. And she jumps in. So Molly is brought out of the river and she's taken to like a, an asylum because she tried to kill herself or whatever. And then while she's there, she has a flash. And then now it's it's obvious what we, we discover, it's stripe in Molly's body. And I was like, you know, it wasn't like totally clear at this point. But then it says chapter three, the mad woman in, tame, in the Thames. So... Uh, Amalia, Molly, Stripe, she asks, she's like, is this a sim? And she's like cursing, like cursing up a storm. And then the the matron, this big lady, she like slaps her and slaps her again. And she says there's rule in the house and she should have a civil tongue. And so now Amalia, she's like, oh, I know the rule now. And then she hits the lady, whatever. And then a couple guys like grab her and take her down or anything like that. She wakes up in a bed and she has restraints. And this this uh, lady Sarah is standing over her. So Sarah is Malady, and uh, so Stripe in Amalia's body is trying to figure out where she is. And she's like, "I should be dead." And then uh, then she like looks at her hands. You know, she's pulling on the restraint. She's like, "Why are my hands so tiny?" So she's like struggling and everything. And then Sarah tries calming her, and then Amalia starts sobbing. So then later, Sarah talks about the big thing shaped like a dragonfly with sparks. And Stripe says, Stripe slash Amalia is like, spores? And Sarah's like, no one else will believe me. And Stripe's like, I believe you. And she's like, I want to know, you know, how it all went down. So then uh, Dr. Horatio Cousins, so the doctor that we know, he's there for her physical examination. And she gets a flash of them having sex. So this is hasn't happened yet. Um, during the exam... 
he she asks him if there's been any word of a light from the other day. There's some screaming outside, and this lady is screaming. You know, one of the other patients is screaming that they took her baby away. And um, so um, Amalia Stripe goes out there. You know, she has this knife, and uh, she slashes at, at Amalia, and she takes her. And she like kind of twists her wrists and bends it, and then you know she drops a knife and stuff like that. And then she's like, "I've done this before," and she's like, "You know, that's why I thought this was a sim." So then uh, Doc. Kausen's uh, Horatio, he's looking at, at her arm, it just, so there's a big gash on her arm, and then his hands start glowing, and he like kind of pulls back. He's like surprised by this. So then she grabs his hands and kind of pulls him back to her, the wound. So they, they talk later, and she's like, you know, it's a lot to take in. You know, the spores don't normally cause random powers, and she says that, you know, there's no one there to guide them or tell them what to do, and he kind of looks at her, at her, you know, when she says this, and she's like, she's like, F you. She's like, I made my mistakes. I did my time. She's like, why would I put, I put back here? So basically, you know, he's like looking at her. She has, the, of everyone, she has the answers. You know, she's already, she knows what's going to happen, but she's like, I've already fought in a war. I've already done everything, you know, all this stuff like that. And she was just done with everything. That's why she tried killing herself. And now she's back here at the, at the beginning. So uh, then we see Dr. Haig. So he's the dude that I called like the mad scientist, the mad doctor dude. He's, he's there uh, as Amalia slash Stripe and, and Sarah slash Melody are like talking and he says that he's heard of them. He asks, he's like, which one is Amelia? And she's like, it's Amalia or Molly. And he says that they may be touched. That's what they're calling it. And he's looking for someone to do a special study at his place or something like that. And then he, he wants a minute with Molly and Sarah, but he wants to talk to Molly first. So he's like, oh, they say, they, you know, they tell me that you can see the future. And she's like, no, it's more like I can feel it. It's like I'm falling down. And then he asks her about the the lights the lights in the sky and she's like i didn't see any lights because i fell into the river or, or she jumped or whatever you know she doesn't remember and she turned then she turns it on sarah and she says that well she you know she really believes she saw god in the sky and she's saying all this stuff about malady and she's like she wouldn't stop talking about it you know she thinks that they're on a mission and she thinks you know things are getting better and he's like oh interesting he's taking this all in and then as you know she goes to leave the room as as sarah's coming in and stripe so stripe tells sarah she's like you know tell him what you saw you know he's going to help you but this is like the betrayal so this is uh this is why malady is like so mad at amalia because they were kind of friends or you know sarah thought that they were friends and then amalia just kind of like turned on her and then so whether uh, this mad doctor dude, Dr. Haig, took her away or whatever. Because, you know, we see her, you know, she was at the, no, we saw her when she was being brought into the asylum. Okay. Um, so then Stripe is getting some, like, English lessons from an old lady. You know, her hair is all done. She's basically learning how to be a lady type of thing. And, uh, you know, how to eat like a lady with the proper utensils, walking with, like, a book on her, her head. And we see her, you know, she's calming other touch people. Like there's this lady with claws that's like threatening like an orderly or whatever. And she kind of like calms her down, you know, puts her hand away. And we see her like doing push-ups, you know, to try to build up her, her weak frame or whatever, you know, her little frame. And then we see her, she's all dressed and proper. Uh, she's told, okay, the board will see you now. So she's trying to get out of the, the asylum, whatever. But then it cuts to the next scene where she's in a padded cell. And uh, Lavinia is there talking to her. And she's as she's sitting on, on the floor, uh, Stripe, Amalia is doing her finger thing. 
And uh, so Lavinia is like, you know, others say that you practically run the place. And, you know, Lavinia think that she sabotaged herself. You know, she's like, I think you could have been out of here months ago. And then Stripe's like, then you know, where would I go? And Lavinia is like, well, that's where I come in. And then we see uh, she's lying with, with the doc. And Amalia says that, you know, she's starting to like this body. And, you know, she mentions penance, you know, this like genius person, what a smart person who's going to come, whatever. Then it cuts to chapter four, true. And we see them. So this is where what happened during the last episode. So they're fighting underground. There's like, you know, red coat soldiers, whatever. And uh, the, the ground kind of gives away beneath Amalia or, or like, and she's like in this other like sub cavern, you know, whatever. And uh, there's kind of a cave in. So she can't really see like what's going on like, up above her. And as she kind of walks a little bit and, uh, you know, she has like a little glowing orb thing, it must be something that Penance invented. And she puts on a gas mask and it's, it's like an old timey gas mask, whatever, but you know, it's, it's still there. And, you know, she's, she's moving forward. She, you know, she has to crawl a little bit and then she ends up in the, the big cavern with like the big blue sphere that we've seen them. And then she goes up to it and you know, she's under it. She's like all this time and you're still in the effing ceiling. And she moves closer and gets like underneath it, like puts her hand she's on it. She's like, so now what? She's like, you know, I've been telling everyone that, you know, you're going to save everyone, that you're hope. But, you know, there's no hope for Lucy or Mary. And I forgot if she said someone else. And she says, you know, I, I keep leaving people. I left penance because, you know, it. you said, find me. I left my heart to come and talk to you. She's like, why are you hiding? Why did it go so wrong? You know, she's like, was it me? Did my wreck of a brain cause all this? And, you know, she can't think of what else to do. She says, you know, I woke up in this body that I can't fit into. She's like, who is this? Who am I? And, you know, she says, you, you should have brought Knitter. You know, she was a believer. And she's like, you know, anyone else. She's like, someone not broken. And then the sphere starts kind of crumbling or kind of vibrating a little bit. And then Amalia kind of gets knocked back because, you know, she's like up on this like ramp thing or whatever. So she's like slowly falling back and she's getting like lots of flashes. Like during this, there's a man's voice that says, like, did you think you were the only one to hitch a ride? So that part right there must mean that someone else came from the future. And since it's a man's voice, it makes me think, it's like, could it be Lord Masson? I, I, don't, I can't imagine who else it would be. If it's Maybe it's someone we haven't met yet, or it's him, because he, he seems like, you know, he's he's onto something. Then we see her with penance, um, you know, she told her the future is grim. Penance sees uh, it as God has given her a gift. There's more flashes, more memory. And then uh, I don't remember if the closed caption said Myrtle was was saying something or whatever. Because, you know, uh, she's like, you know, this is a long time from that cave. I need you to forget. So there's some woman's voice said this. That. So then uh, Amalia hits the ground. She's like, She says that she knows this is the part where she has to fight off these like you know there are a bunch of like black clad shock troopers or whatever things come up so she's fighting them she gets into elevator she goes up she makes it to the outdoors a couple guys come after her but then they're attacked by a flock of birds so then we see august augustus is there and the others are waiting outside in the carriage so all the, the people you know her people whatever so then we it cuts to the scene from the last episode i don't think i mentioned it, but when she was getting all those flashes there was some other woman with like short hair that was like standing there. So I don't know if, if that's someone new too. So 
I don't know. Anyway, so it, it cuts to the scene from the last episode where um, Penance comes back from from the the hanging whatever and sees them sitting like outside the orphanage, like whatever that that square area. And she Penance goes up to Amalia. She's like, "Go all right." And Amalia nods. She's like, "You." And Penance like, uh, "It was a riot." And then Harriet's laid on a table because you know she's injured, whatever. And then Penance says that she's like, "I didn't save Malady." And Amalia's like, well, I'm glad you tried. It was the right call. And she's like, I didn't find out who our enemy is. And Pennant says, but you found something else out? And she nods. And she says that, you know, it's time to tell them everything. The future, the Glanthe, the fight that's coming, it's coming soon. And she says to Penance, you know, so they're, you know, like sitting next to each other. She's like, my name is Zephyr. Zephyr Alexis Nadine. And Penance is like, well, I'm very glad to meet you. And she's like, me too. And they're just sitting here with like their elbows locked because so this is kind of a big deal because, you know, Stri- Stripe's whole thing is that she didn't want to tell anyone her name because, you know, that's, that's like such a precious thing or whatever. But now she finally decides to tell her. So we know Penance knows the whole story. Doc Cowson knows the whole story. And I feel like there is someone else. I don't know if Lavinia knows. And, and the thing is, Lavinia, I don't know if we can trust her either. You know, maybe maybe she knows. I don't know because you know she's been down with the sphere with the Glanthe, so I don't know. But yeah, so that was just crazy that we find out that Amalia, who we thought that wasn't even Amalia, that that was really striped. So some someone from the future is somehow came back into the past into Molly's body. So it's just like, and I don't know what we're going to see it's like are we going to stay in this time period are we going to see more of the future is it going to jump back and forth but it was just it was pretty pretty nuts i was just like whoa and and now so that that's the last episode for now so it's not the full season there's you know this is like supposed to be half the season but because of covid and the delays or you know whatever i don't even know it are they still in production now? Are they filming the other ones? Or you have no idea when it's coming back. But that was, yeah, that was crazy. I wasn't expecting that. I thought it was all going to be like Victorian time. But apparently not. Okay, then uh, Mayor of Easttown. So this, this, oh my goodness. I was just like, holy crap, with the way this, this episode ends. So, uh, Mayor of Easttown, season one, episode five, Illusions. It starts off, we see this car hit like a light pole, and there's like a power transformer that's sparking. And at first, I'm like, what's going on? Because you don't see anyone in the car, because like, apparently they're just an angle or whatever. You know, the, the airbag went off. You know, we, we do see later. So, the power goes off across town. And I, and that, it seemed kind of like a weird scene, because like Mayor's brushing her teeth, the, you know, the lights go out. Drew is kind of scared. Um, you know, Frank comes over with extra batteries, whatever. And then Lori, Mare's friend, uh, is walking down the hall. And she overhears, I think, her husband talking to their son, Ryan. And he's like, it's our secret, all right? Only us. So it's like, okay, what's what's this going on? Secrets in this show is not a good thing. So you got to watch out. Uh, there's a, a cop investigating the, the car crash. It's that squeamish new cop that, you know, can't stand the sight of blood. Um, he opens a door and a purse falls out. So he's just like very like hesitant. Um, he like tries to check a pulse. And then the ID says it's Betty Carroll. And he's like, oh God. So he calls it in. She's no pulse. You know, so she's dead. 
So Siobhan, they said her name. I think I've been saying her name wrong. Saban, Siobhan, Siobhan. Anyways, she's talking to her dad and she asks, how are things with Faye, his fiance? And he's like, well, they're not totally great at the moment. And he's like, well, how are you? And she's like, fine. And you know, he's like, you know, he's like me and, and your mother or whatever, you know, we got so caught up in our own crap and you know, with Kevin's issues and everything. And it's like, I just, you know, we just would forget how to ask you how you're doing. And then she tells him, she's like, well, I met someone. So uh, Mare's, oh, she's looking for Drew's turtle because it was out of its tank when, when the lights went out. So they have to find it. So I guess no one steps on it or anything. And uh, she, she's looking around. She sees Seabon's computer's still on with a, Kevin's video, you know, the project thing that she's working on. So she starts watching it, and it's a video of him as a kid at, at the beach. So it's like his birthday. So then the next day, Mary drives to the therapist, and, you know, she's talking about her son, Kevin. You know, he was a normal kid. He was diagnosed with Tourette's when he was eight. Then he had the mood disorder. You know, there's one point where he hit his sister, and then he hit Mare. And the therapist asked if his behavior was ever scary. And she's like, sometimes, you know, he, so he's, he went on medication, but then, you know, like the one medication, he, you know, he begged to, you know, get off of it because it just, you know, was messing him up or whatever. And uh, the therapist asked if, if there's a history of mood disorder in her family. Mare says that, you know, her dad was depressed. You know, he was never officially diagnosed with it, but, you know, you can tell. And uh, the therapist asked, well, what about her? She's like, you know, have you had any periods of depression? And she's like, uh, yeah, you know, sometimes. She's like, you know, uh, you're just like, maybe I was, uh, I probably was. She's like, after Siobhan was, was born and, you know, Kevin was, was difficult. She's like, you know, my mom was busy and, you know, I didn't want to burden her and stuff like that. So, and she talks about her dad. Her dad uh, shot himself and she was 13. The therapist asked, you know, how it made her feel, and she says if she felt like she wasn't enough for him. So Mary talks about, you know, reading articles that maybe, you know, like the suicide stuff is passed down from, you know, generation to generation through genes or whatever. And so basically she's hoping that it's not going to get passed to Drew, and she admits that she's terrified that, you know, it might. So Helen is talking about Betty Carroll. And, you know, she's like, oh, poor Betty. You know, she's going out for cereal and she had a heart attack. And and Lori and Ryan, her son, are over to and uh, Lori's looking at at her son and wonders, like, what's up? You know, what's the secret thing? And, you know, there's some other people that are over. I forget who. So there's a girl with like Down syndrome. I don't remember if that is Ryan's sister. You know, is that Lori? And John's daughter, too. I'm trying to remember because she was in the first episode. Um, oh, the Saban's uh, DJ girlfriend, which I, I, I don't know what her name is. I keep forgetting. She's over, and because, you know, she's like, uh, she was either doing, putting makeup on or, or fixing that other girl's hair, the girl with, the, with Down syndrome. And uh, she tells Siobhan that she watched her, her documentary about her brother. She's like, it was really good. And she's like, you know, I had a media lab teacher my freshman year who accepted a position as a head of the department at Cal Berkeley or whatever. And she's like, I think you should talk to her. And she's like, well, I already applied at whatever school. She's like, yeah, but, you know, I, I think, you you know, you should talk to her or whatever. Lori um, tells Mayor that they visited Kenny. So Kenny is Aaron's dad. 
and uh, her husband, John, is Kenny's brother, if I remember correctly. So they visited Kenny in county lockup because he shot Dylan. Uh, and uh, he asked if they'd consider taking in DJ, uh, the, the baby. And Mayor's like, take him in, like adopt him. And Lori's like, yeah. She's like, I, you know, we, we said we'd think about it. Then Mayor asked John if he thinks that if Kenny ever hit her, hit ever hit Aaron. And John's like, uh, he's like, you know, Aaron was tough, like her mom. And but then apparently at one point Aaron moved in with Billy. So Billy's there too. Billy's the other brother, uh, uh, Ken, Kenny's other brother. And she he moved in. Aaron moved in with with Billy like three years ago for a period because her mother had just died and Kenny was drinking a lot. And Mayor asked, she's like, how long did did she stay? And Billy's like, oh, I, don't, I think it was just like a few weeks. Lori's like, no, it seemed like it was it was more than that. Like maybe it was like a couple months. And uh, Billy's like starts getting nervous and he like looks at the time. He's like, oh, you know, I, I got to get going, whatever. And then uh, Mayor like looks at his beer. I think that like he didn't even drink any of it. Or so there's something going on there. So then we see Daryl and Brianna. They're like sitting out on the porch. You know, I don't know if they're smoking a cigarette or a pot or whatever. And they're talking. He says that his parents met with child services because his parents want to keep the baby. And she asks how he feels about that because it's, um, which is going to be interesting. We get a custody battle thing because now they they have no relation. You know, they're not related to him anyway. So if Lori and John take him in, you know, they're DJ's aunt and uncle. But so so Brianna asks how he he feels about that. And uh, he says he doesn't know that it's weird. And he uh, asks about her. Her lawyers think that she can plead down to a misdemeanor for like, you know, beating up Aaron or whatever. And but she's like, you know, I won't be going to college next year. And, and I think she talks about, you know, she's like, maybe I'll go to beauty school and stuff like that. And then um, you know, she's kind of thinking, she's like, you know, must have been scared what happened. So probably with like Aaron's dad, you know, everything, all that, that stuff like that. She's like, you know, if you ever want to talk about it, and there's like just like a pause and he's like i have other friends then he's like just because we were dating a couple months before all this happened you know you don't have to keep coming around if you don't want to and so she's kind of hurt like insulted by this because there's a pause and then she's like there are things from that night she's like when i woke up you weren't in bed and he's like oh i was probably out f feeding dj and she's like no you weren't then he's like well then maybe i, I was out here smoking She's like, I walked around the whole house and you weren't there. She's like, where'd you go? Then he's just like, you should probably leave. Get the F out of here now. So the night Aaron died, Dylan wasn't there. So he's not in the clear yet. Uh, so Katie, so Katie is uh, the girl, Don's daughter, who was kidnapped like, like a year ago. She's tending to the new kidnapped girl, Missy. And uh, Missy asks her, like, how long she's been there. She's like, well, you know, if I had to guess, you know, maybe a year. And she's like, there was this other girl here, Hillary. She took care of me while I was going through withdrawals. And Missy's like, well, where'd she go? And Katie's like, she got pregnant by him. And he didn't like that. So she's like, you know, one day I woke up and, and she was gone. And Kate says, you know, they, they hear some noise outside. She's like, oh, you know, he won't come over, you know, tonight. Friday's his poker night. And he, she says, you know, whenever someone comes over, he, he ties us up so we'll be quiet. And then he comes in with like a couple like gags or whatever. So Katie just takes a cloth, put, you know, ties it around her mouth. And he like ties up her hands or whatever. 
So then uh, Mare, she goes to talk to some lady, Tammy, and she shows her a picture of Katie. And she's like, you know, you remember talking about her last year? So I think Tammy used to be a prostitute. You know, she's an older lady, you know, not super old, but I don't think she's still doing. She said, I don't remember she's got a job or she did something, she's doing something else. So I don't think she's she's doing that anymore. But uh, so Mare says, you know, since she talked to her last year, two more girls are gone and one's dead. And, you know, she doesn't know, you know, as she, she sees a picture of Aaron. She's like, I don't know this one, but I've seen the other one. And she's like, you know, I've seen her hanging out in some places. And uh, she asked Tammy. So the other one I think is Missy. So she asked Tammy, she's like, well, will you ask around, you know, if there's anyone suspicious on the street and, you know, stuff like that. Then it cuts to the high school. So uh, the girl with Down syndrome comes out, you know, it's during lunch, it's cafeteria, she's got a tray of food, and a kid throws like a piece of food, it hits her in the face, and as soon as it hits her, she like, she drops her tray, and, you know, they're kind of laughing, it's it's horrible, you know, she's like picking up, you know, pick, tries picking up her food, and, it's, you know, a, a couple like potatoes or whatever fell on the floor, and she picks them up, and then they throw another piece, and it, it hits her in the face again, and they're like laughing. Ryan's like watching in, in horror, so again, I can't remember if, if Right, it's they're related or not, but they're they're close. They know each other in the same circle. So then uh, the kid's getting ready to throw another piece, and Ryan comes up. He has like a plastic food tray. Just like hits him, and he starts like wailing on him. You know, the kid's down, and he keeps like beating him with it. His teacher comes running up to stop Ryan, whatever. And then we see Lori's picking him up. You know, they're outside, and she's like, "What was that about?" And he's just like silent. He won't say anything. So they get in the car, and she's like, "Does this have to do with dad?" She's like, I, I saw you guys in a room, and you know, did he ask you to keep a secret from me? And she's like, is he doing it again? And then Ryan like opens up the car door and like gets out. So he's at this park, and he has his head down on a picnic table, and he's like crying. So Lori, you know, finds him. Which, you know, she goes up to him, and and she's like, is it the same woman as before? And he slowly nods his head, and she just like kind of hugs him. So then, uh, it's Betty Carroll's wake, and. Uh, Helen asked Mare if she's spoken to Frank lately, you know, and Faye was supposed to check out like this banquet hall, but she didn't. So Faye's not happy with, I guess, getting accused of, you know, being the father of Aaron's baby. Um, but then Betty's husband, you know, he he's kind of goes up a couple steps and he wants to talk to everyone. And he's like, there's something I want to get off my chest. He's like, I was going to tell Betty, but I didn't get the chance. He's like, I had an affair with Helen Faye. <laughs> And so Helen is is Mary's mom. So she's like eating, she's kind of like starts like choking on the food, or whatever. Then it cuts to the next scene. Mary and Helen are in a car, and Mary is like laughing hysterically. And uh, Helen's like, oh, she's like, an affair is a strong word. She's like, it happened twice. She's like, three times top. And she's and then she's like, what kind of ass makes an announcement like that at a funeral? And Mary's just laughing about this. So it's like totally unnecessary scene. And it's the same thing with, with Betty's death and all that. It's like, what does this have to do with anything? It's just add a little more character, you know, humanizing them or whatever. I don't know. So Mary's getting ready for a date. And she has makeup on and everything like that. And it, it turns out it's with uh, Zabel, which I think Zabel, I haven't been saying his name right. So he's like at the door. And he's like, holy, you know, when he sees her in the car, uh, she asks him if he's heard back from the dating site. And he's like, yeah, you know, we interviewed three guys. They all had alibis. And she's like, solid? And he's like, yeah. Then she's like, well, what about the ballistics on the bullet we found at the park or whatever? And he's like, you know, I could get suspended for telling you all this since, you know, she's suspended or whatever like that. 
But then he's like, he had reports coming in on Monday. And he's like, you know, can we talk about something else? And he's like, this is a date, right? And she's like, yeah. So then we see Carrie is over helping uh, Drew with his bath. And, you know, Helen's there and everything. And Helen's like, uh, she says that, you know, it could be good, you know, to help him with his routine and everything like that. And then a little later, Carrie's like, you know, why are you helping me? And Helen's like, you know, it's purely selfish reasons. And she's like, you know, I'm afraid if, if you get custody that you'll cut us out of his life. So during a date, they're eating dinner. It's, it's kind of awkward. You know, he he's talking about different things. And, like, you know, he wants to try being a more adventurous eater because, like, he's, you know, whatever mayor order, he's like, oh, you know, I was, I was going to get that, but I changed my mind at the last minute or whatever. And then she's like, I just thought of something. And he's like, oh, what? Like, he, I think he thought that she was going to share her food or something like that. And she's like, there's a girl from Jersey, Hillary something. You know, she had a, a similar story to Missy and Katie, you know, drug habit, prostitution. She's like, you know, they, they, he's like, I thought we were going to talk about something else. And then he asked her why she didn't tell him that she went to Deacon Mark's old parish and asked about him. She's like, I didn't tell you because, you know, he didn't have anything new to say. You know, she starts saying, you know, what, what he said. He's like, oh, I know what he said because I went there and questioned him myself. Um, and I look like an idiot or whatever. And he's like, you know, the point is I'm showing you all my cards and you're not showing me everything. And she, I think she says, it's like she tells him to grow up or something like that. She's like, I'm trying to help you out. And he's like, help me or help yourself. Then he's like, you know, my mom said that you're going out with me just because you want to, you know, be close to the case. And she doesn't say anything. And then he's like, this is the part where you tell me I'm wrong. And she just gets up. And she's like, good night. So then we see Lori's like sitting in a room. John has some bags packed and, you know, Ryan's in the living room on a, on a couch. And he tells Ryan, he's like, you know, this is all my fault. He's like, and I'm going to fix this. He's like, just hang in there. But then Ryan like won't look at him. He's like, okay, Ryan, whatever. And then he like leaves. Mare is back home. She's tucking Drew in. You know, she's thinking back to Kevin, like yelling at her when she was in the corner or whatever. And the next day she's talking to her therapist. She's thinking about the day at the beach. And we see Daryl is in a car with a friend. Um, Aaron's friend comes out of her apartment to sort of want to talk to, to Mare about the dating site and all that. So she gets in and he asked her what she told to the detective. And, you know, she says, I, I told her the journals were in her old hiding place, but apparently she told her the wrong place. And then they, they asked about a necklace and he's like, what'd you say about that? She's like, nothing, just like you said. He's like, okay. So it's like, what's all this? So Daryl is in charge of this stuff. So, yeah, I don't know what, what's what's going on about this. And, you know, she's the one that told police that Frank was the father. But, I mean, obviously that was a surprise to Daryl, too. So, anyways, Daryl, um, his friend and the girl, so they, they end up going to Aaron's because I guess, you know, no one's home there because uh, Aaron's dad's in, in, in jail. And she shows Daryl where the journals really are. So he, he takes them, he passes them out, whatever. Uh, but then he he's like oh, we're not reading them. He's like we're gonna go, but uh, he has he's looking for some stuff. He finds an envelope that says DJ ear surgery money, and he sticks it in his pocket. So I was like, okay, are you really gonna keep that, you scum? And then they leave because he's he's like you know we're not gonna read them whatever. Then we see Mare driving, and she sees a hoodie guy in the alley. So she gets out. She starts running after him. He goes in his house, and she just, like, walks in after him. And he starts going up the stairs. She pulls him down, and it's this old man, Dennis. <laughs> then we see Deacon Mark. 
he's at a restaurant picking up food and this girl's she's with some other guys and she's like oh look that that guy's a creeper or whatever and you know she's saying some stuff you know and then the guy when he uh, deacon starts starts going to his car the guys start going after him and calling him a pervert and everything like that and they like throw a can at him and start chasing him so then we see dylan he's burning a journal in a fireplace and you know uh aaron's friends like reading one and she like finds something i don't know if it was a picture or something like that and Dylan and his friend, you know, they're they're looking at the fire. Then he's like, "Why are you reading that?" He's like, "Bring it over." And then they put it in the fireplace. So I don't know why he doesn't want anyone to see the journals because that could reveal who's the father of the baby. But he doesn't want to know. So there's got to be something more going on there. It just it doesn't make make any sense. So then uh, Mary's sitting outside. An ambulance is taking Dennis away. The chief. Talks to Dennis's wife, and then he talks to Mary. He's like, so he has, uh, the the wife says he has dementia. Sometimes he wanders and forgets which house this is. So when the chief talks to her, he's like, you know, what the hell were you thinking? He's like, you know, what I, you know, tell you about staying away. She's like, I forget. He's like, don't give me that poop. He's like, now get your ass home. So then we see Mark, you know, the deacon. He's washing him in the bathroom, and then Father Dan, Mary's cousin, he like knocks on the door and checks on him, and he you know comes in. He's he's like just leave me alone, and he, then he's like you know he's like really he's like what's going on? He's like I told you to leave me alone, and he starts crying, and Dan's like you want me to call the police? But Mark's like no, and then he's like I was with Aaron tonight. She was killed, and he's like with, and he's like she called you know she was upset. I went to pick her up, and, you know I went to the woods and put her bike in my trunk. And then she got a message to meet someone at the park. And, you know, she asked me if I would take her. So I agreed to. And then she got all hysterical and ran off. He's like, I didn't tell anyone because I have a previous accusation and I have had her bike in my trunk. He's like, I was scared. So I threw it in a river. And Dan's like, did you do it? He's like, did I kill her? Then he's like, if I said no, would you believe me? So then we see Zabel's eating breakfast with his mom. And she's like, well, why is she coming over? And, and she's like, you know, is it a good idea to talk about the case? And, you know, she's like, I know you like her. She's like, I can tell by the way you look at her. And, you know, she tells him to be careful. He's like, my whole life is being careful. He's like, look how far it's gotten me. So Mara's outside. You know, she just pulls up in the front to pick him up. Then Zabel's mom just, just like standing in the doorway. Look, they just like lock eyes and look at each other. Don't not even like a wave or anything like that. Like not, no friend, nothing friendly there. So they go to talk to that girl, Tammy. And uh, there's this other girl. She brought this other girl. So she says that, you know, there was one time a guy pulls up. She got in. They parked. She went to go in the back seat. And before they could do anything, his hands were around her neck. She started blacking out, but she was kicking and fighting. And she's like, I must have hit him because then, you know, I opened my eyes and, and he was like holding her face or something like that. So she was able to run out of the car and get away. So she's like, he was white. He had a beard and he smoked Winston's. So the vehicle was a van. She's like, it was like uh, maybe a work van, and it was blue. She says she also wrote down part of the license plate, so she gives it to Zabel, and he's like, was that a PA plate? She's like, yeah. So he gets, you know, he calls someone, whatever, from the county sheriff, and you know, to look into the partial plates, and then he tells Mayor it'll be like two hours tops. So then they're out by the river, whatever, and she says, sorry for the other night. And he's like, well, you know, you're just being honest with how you feel. And she's like, you know, I just can't do all that, like what you want. And he's like, how do you know what, what I want? And she says, you know, I'm, I'm about to lose custody of my grandson. 
I still have issues with my son killing himself. My ex practically lives in, in my backyard. So, and then she's like, you know, sure, I don't know what you want, but I'm pretty sure it's not all that. And he's like, you know, you could have just said that when I asked you out. And she admits that, you know, she can't stop thinking about the case. She's like, you ever one of those cases just gets inside you? And then he's like, I didn't solve that case. The the case from before, the, the one that made him like famous or whatever. She's like, the, or he says that the parents called in a private investigator because they weren't working fast enough. And then he started, it was like this old retired cop or whatever. And he started ignoring the notes. But then one day, you know, he stopped by the the victims or whatever, the, the sisters and, uh, or the, maybe it was investigator's sister. But uh, the because the guy was in a hospice, his liver gave out and there was an envelope with Zabel's name on it. So there was one guy whose alibi didn't match up and he missed it. So then he called in a search warrant and all that stuff like that. And that's what, what cracked the case. So Mary's like, well, so why'd you do it? And he's like, I, I just, I wanted to do something great just once. And so then she admits, she's like, I stole drugs and planted them on my grandson's mother. And she's like, you know, that's why I'm on leave. And he's like, whoa. <laughs> then his phone vibrates. So it's about the, the the partial license plate. There's seven matches in that area. And um, so she's like, let's go knock on some doors. And then uh, he looks at her. He just like kisses her. And she's like, what's that for? And he says, he just like, how do you know what I want? So they, they knock on a uh, lady's door about the van she says she's had it for about four years, just her and her sister drive it. The next house, the lady said it was her husband, and they're like, is he home? And she's like, he died two years ago. The next is some dude named Mr. Potts, and he's like, well, what's all this about? And there's like a lot of dogs and noise outside. Mary's like, you know, it might be easier if we just stepped inside. And as they go in, the camera kind of pans around the, the, the building, the house, and you see like a boarded up window, and then you see the, the, the tavern sign like outside. So this is where uh missy when we saw her get taken so they're asking about the van and inside there's some like loud music she's like you could you possibly turn that down and inside the house it's like it's messy zabble sees on a, on a like a table there's some winston cigarettes and he like points it out to the mayor so she reaches for her gun but she doesn't have one so zabble click you know un unclick unclicks his and as uh, Potts turns the music down in the other room, he grabs a gun and puts it like under his shirt and his in the back of his pants. So he comes back. Zabel asks him, he's like, is that a bar back there? And he's like, yeah, it belonged to my uncle. You know, he wanted to turn it over his son, but, you know, he, something happened. He didn't want it. He's like, I got it in like 2016. Upstairs, Katie hears some voices. She's like, he wasn't expecting anyone. So she starts like clink, you know, banging on, on a pipe. And, you know, downstairs, he's like, oh, it's busted radiator or whatever. They keep pounding and more and stuff like that. And Mare notices there's a camera in the corner. She's like, what's with the camera? And he's like, oh, my uncle had them installed to keep an eye on the cash register or whatever. So then uh, then they're like, the pipe is really shaking, everything like that. So then Zabel pulls out his gun, but Potts pulls his out and shoots him. And you just see blood push against the wall. So I'm like, holy crap, did he shoot him in the head? I was like, I even rewound it. I was like, did he shoot him in the head? <laughs> so, and then uh, he shoots at Mary, but she like runs uh, out of the room. And uh, I don't know if she, I think she got sh shot too, because, uh, or something, or she, like her wrist, there's like blood, or so she must have got shot in the arm or something like that. So then uh, uh, she goes upstairs 
and Potts is like like calling whatever. Missy and Katie are knocking on a, on a window and a door, like asking for help. And she tries getting them to be quiet. She texts someone. I'm assuming it was a chief. I mean, maybe it said or whatever. She puts the address on there, and she has like a scarf or something, and she like wraps her wrist. And then um, he's looking on his phone on an app, so he can see her. There's like other cameras in the house. And when she's upstairs in this one room, she sees a camera up there too. So you know, she tries moving, and she looks like through a hole in the floor and she sees Abel just lying there. So I don't think he's going to make it, you know, as we're watching this, uh, pots is, he's outside a room. He starts like shooting in a room and then he goes in there. She's not there. So he keeps looking, he shoots some more. And then she comes running and hits him with like a metal platter or something like that. She hits him again. She goes to run. He stumbles up, shoots some more. She goes downstairs. She's now she's back by Zabel. She grabs him. He comes running around a corner. She shoots him like five times. And then, you know, as he's sliding out, she shoots him like another time. So then at this point, it's like, okay, Zabel's he's definitely dead. There's like a bunch of blood around his head. And she's just like on the floor now. You hear sirens and then the cops pull up outside. They run inside and they're trying to talk to her. And she's just sitting there, and she starts thinking back to Kevin's birthday at the beach. And then fade to black. And we have two more episodes. But it's like, holy crap, they killed. Zabel just, like, it's just like, bam, shot in the head. It is just, holy crap. Oh, man. So poor guy. And, and the, the, the what he just said to his mom, you know, she's like, be careful. He's like, you know, I've been careful my whole life. We're like, look at where it's gotten me. So now that he's not careful, he gets killed. Because the only reason they're there is because Mare was pushing it so much. You know, otherwise they would have backup or, you know, something. But, you know, they're kind of doing this on the sly or whatever. You know, he's not even working with the other dude that's been assigned to him. So it's just like, holy crap, man. So, yeah, two more episodes. I was not expecting that. All right. And uh, Cruel Summer, season one, episode six, An Ocean Inside Me. So I, I really like this show. I, I'm really intrigued and curious about the – I can't wait to you know to see how all this unfolds. I love the fact – and I'll say this every week and I'll keep saying it. I love how it's taken place over three separate years. And you, you know, kind of have to keep on your toes to make sure you know you see what's going on. And just seeing how everything happens – it's a you know it's it may may is it a little awkward maybe sometimes because we you know we're not seeing it told linearly but I do like how you know seeing how everything happened the fact that it's all like a year or whatever you know to the date but that's what we're seeing so I'm I'm really enjoying this um, this episode didn't seem like it was very Kate centric you know it was it was more about Jeanette a lot of stuff with Jeanette which you know that's what our story is but we also see a little bit more with Martin Harris and I'm really curious um what what is going to happen next cuz with the way last episode ended with um yeah so it's, it's kind of it's leaving us hanging a little bit so this week the events that are about to unfold take place on approximately August 15th 1993 1994 1995 so it starts off, 93, Jeanette and her, and her brother make an, an anniversary breakfast for the parents. You know, they're happy, cheerful, happy household, almost disgusting, but everything, everyone's happy. 94, Jeanette's setting the breakfast table, and, you know, she's 
it's things aren't as happy as before. She's like, this is all my fault. Or, you know, her dad's losing clients. Parents are arguing. Her brother, Derek's like, you know, don't beat yourself up over this. And, you know, dad comes in. He grabs some coffee. There's a package at the door. It's like a gift basket. So the mom thinks it's for her. She's like, oh, you shouldn't have or whatever. She reads the cards and it says, thank you for setting me up in the perfect home, Angela. And then she's like, who's Angela? But it's like, okay, your husband is a real estate dude and it says thank you for setting up the perfect home so obviously derek being a real estate agent found this some person a nice home now there is a thing why is she sending a gift basket to his home she should be sending a gift basket to the realtor whatever office but it's like who's angela obviously well i mean i guess she has reason 95 Jeanette's watching like TV, like old family videos with her mom and everything like that. She has some tears and Angela walks in. So Angela is the bartender now, or she was, and now she is uh, uh, Jeanette's dad's girlfriend. And uh, so, you know, uh, Jeanette pauses it. Well, of course, she pauses it right in the screen of her mom's right there. And um, she's like, I'm not sitting here missing my mommy, if that's what you think. And Angela's like, I totally understand if you were. And then Jeanette says that she's like, I miss my dad. And Angela's like, well, I, is he, you know, is, is he spending too much time with me? She's like, I'm sorry. And, and Jeanette's like, no, no, it's it's not, it's not you. It's him. She's like, even when he's here, it's, he's like a million miles away. And she's like, you know, today used to be a holiday around the house. Now it just feels like a funeral. And then bing bong, doorbell. It's her lawyer. We have a problem. 93, Jeanette is, is hanging out with Vincent and Mallory. They talk about, um, doing more more things like you know like sneaking into a scary movie and you know other things on her summer list and but Jeanette points out she's like to Mallory she's like everything that you've added is illegal and she's like well whatever and, and so after Mall so they're about to do something there okay so back in 95 the lawyer tells Kate that the lawyers are deposing um to Neil Peterson's mother at first I'm like who to is one of the the best friends one of the, the two girls so um to mom Tanya they're deposing Tanya at her request so this is making Jeanette's lawyer incredibly nervous and Jeanette's like what's so special about Tanya and the lawyer says that she claims to have damning information so the lawyer asks she's like do you have any idea what it could be and then the dad comes in because Angela's sitting there with with Jeanette Dad comes in. He's like, Jeanette, you drink all the coffee or whatever? And Angela's like, oh, I saved you some. Hands him a thermos. He kisses her and then leaves. He totally ignores the lawyer. Doesn't say anything. You know, doesn't say bye to Jeanette, whatever. And the lawyer's like, always a pleasure, Greg. He, but he just leaves. Jeanette says that, you know, she, she's like, well, whatever Tanya has on me, he's like, you know, she has a lot worse on her or something like that. And then uh, the lawyer says that, well, you know, Tanya's not the one in the legal battle. If she assassinates your character in a deposition, you know, and that that's not going to be good. Then Jeanette's like, well, she won't. So it's like, okay. 93, Mallory and Jeanette are at the mall, sort of trying on clothes. And Jeanette, like, peeks out a curtain. She sees Mr. Harris is there trying on a suit. And, you know, Mallory, meanwhile, she's taking off the sensors on some clothes. Because I, I think it was, I don't know if it was her mom worked at a some store on weekends before she got fired so she has like one of those little things that take off the sensors and uh tanya Tanil's mom is helping martin with his suit and uh she's like oh it's Tanil's mom or whatever and she like at one point she's measuring his inseam and he's like whoa because she gets a little close to uh 
little Mr. Harris, little Martin, <laughs> whatever. And then she's talking. She invites him to dinner, and he's like, well, I probably shouldn't socialize with the student's parents. She's like, well, it's just a meal or whatever. And so he he agrees. Then um, I think it was 94. Maybe it was 94. It must be 94. Yeah, at first I was like, I was un- unclear if it was 94 or 95. Because Jeanette tried calling to Neil. Yeah, this has definitely got to be 94. And uh, so Tanya comes into Tanil's room and the other friend, what's the other friend's name? Um, she you know, tells her to clean up the mess. Uh, she has like some gals that are coming over to watch her interview because she was asked about Mr. Harris. And Tanil tells her mom, you know, she well, she's like, well, what should I say to Jeanette? And Tanil's like, tell her she's been permanently moved to Loser Island and they won't, we won't be joining her. And then the other girl's like, Loser Island, population one. <laughs> 93, Jeanette and Mallory, they're looking for Vincent. So they, they took a bunch of clothes. Like Mallory even put a shirt, like like tied it around Jeanette's waist. And she's like, I don't want it. She's like, well, it's a free shirt, whatever. So they're looking for Vincent. And then he comes out of a store and he's got like a CD in his hand. And you, you hear an alarm goes off. Hey, get back here with that CD. So I guess Vincent just tried stealing the CD because that, that was like one of the things on the list is to steal something. And Jeanette's like, I already stole something. I stole the yearbook. Then Jeanette, or uh, so basically, Jeanette grabs a CD from Vincent. Mallory grabs Vincent and they run off. Jeanette stays there and just like puts her hands up. So security takes her away. So even though she didn't even step foot in the mall or in the store, so it's kind of silly that they're taking her away. She could be just like, I has I found a CD on the floor and I picked it up. So security takes her. Uh, she gets brought into the back room until her parents arrive or whatever. And it turns out Jamie is, is there too. And and uh, he just kind of like giggles at her or whatever. And he's like, what are you in for? And, you know, she tries to play it cool. She's like, oh, you know, I'm here for shoplifting, whatever. And she's like, what about you? And he's like, well, I got busted for jumping in a fountain because it was, it was a dare. And then she introduced, she's like, I'm, I'm Jeanette. He's like, yeah, I remember. 94, the mom is eating like brie and crackers from the bis- gift basket. The phone rings. And someone asks for Jeanette. She's like, like, oh, she's not here or whatever. And then she's like, oh, that's too bad. I was, I was hoping to, you know, get some kidnapping tips. Then mom's like, who is this? You're harassing an innocent family. And she hangs up. Then the phone rings again. So she leaves the room, goes into Jeanette's closet, and she's like looking around, kind of poking, you know, through some, try not to mess anything up. Then she's, you know, at the dresser, kind of, you know, looks around, and she sees a jewelry box. So it's like that's where like the key and the necklace and stuff like that. So she opens it up, and there's nothing out of the ordinary there. And she like lifts up the like the top layer. There's nothing, but you know the one you go girl necklace isn't there. She says she threw it away. Kate says that she left it at at Martin Harris's house, whatever. But anyway, so she opens up or lifts up the top layer. There's like nothing there. And then um, she closes it, but then she kind of feels something underneath. So she flips it like upside down. There's like a sheet of paper or something taped. So she kind of peels it back, and there's a key taped under the jewelry box. So for whatever reason, Jeanette stopped keeping it like just regularly in the, the, the jewelry box. She took off the little tag that had the house address, and she's now taping it to the bottom. 93, Jamie and Jeanette are talking more in the back room at the mall. He says that, you know, she must not really get into much trouble. And she's like, oh, no, I do. She's like, I make trouble. I just don't usually get caught. And then he's like, oh, what kind of trouble? But then her dad comes in. And he, like, you know, sits, you know, moves away from her. In 94, 
mom wants to talk to Jeanette. She says that she can, you know, she's like, you can tell me anything. And, you know, she's a little freaked out or whatever. She And she's like, I'm going to ask you a question. And she's like, you know, whatever you say, we'll face it together. And she's like, have you ever been inside Mar- Martin Harris's house? And it was kind of weird. It's like, why would she ask that out of, out of anywhere? You know, was it because Kate said so or whatever? But then um, Jeanette's, you know, she pauses for like a, a heartbeat maybe or whatever. And she's like, why would you even ask me that? And her mom's like, you know, if, if you were carrying a secret, it would feel really good to get it off your chest. And Jeanette's like, those are just stupid rumors. She's like, you have to ignore them. And her mom's like, you know, if there's any truth, you need to tell me right now. And she's like, is there anything you need to tell your mama? And Jeanette's like, just kind of paused and everything. And she's like, no. So in 93, Jeanette and dad are walking through the mall. You know, he, he took her, picked her up, whatever. And she says, you know, it was Mallory's idea. And he's like, you know, don't blame someone else. And so it's like, yeah, throw her under the bus. And then she's like, you know, you can't tell Vincent's grandparents, you know, but he stole a CD and the alarm went off. So I grabbed a CD and he's like, why would you do that? And she's like, well, we always have each other's backs. You know, he's like, he's my friend. And then he's like, then he's like, well, you know, if your mom finds out, she's going to call Vincent's grandfather and, you know, he'll get mad. So why don't we just keep this between us? And she's like, thanks, dad. So he's going to cover up for her. 94 uh mom calls dad home he comes home from work and he's like what, what's going on you know is it what you know he thinks something's wrong with Jeanette. And she's like it's Jeanette. she's lying ever since she lied about the necklace she's like i've had this feeling and she shows him the key that was hidden in her jewelry box she's like i think this is a key to martin harris's house he's like that seems kind of like a bit of a stretch and she's like let's go see if the key fits and he's like what would people say if they saw us during broad daylight and then she's like, well, then we'll go tonight. And he's, the dad's, Greg, he's like, you know, we raised a good kid. And then her mom's like, and she changed right in front of us. 95, Vincent comes into Jeanette's room. And he's like, oh, Angela, let me in. And, you know, she, she's like, oh, her lawyer is bugging you too? He's like, no. She's like, I'm just checking on you. He's like, am I overstepping whatever? She's like, no. She's like, that, that's cool. She's like, thanks. And, you know, she's like, it is kind of weird. You know, you used to be over all the time. And she's like, now, you know, Mallory is Kate Wallace's, you know, best friend. And he's like, he's like, yeah, you know, she didn't want to be alone or something like that. And he's like, you know, you pushed us away. And, you know, she's like tying up her shoe or whatever. And he's like, are you going out? She's like, yeah, I have something I need to take care of. And Vince is like, do you want my help? She's like, no, uh, but you could distract the reporters while I sneak out the back. 94. Derek, uh, Jeanette's brother, stops by the house to. He wants to raid the cabinets for some dorm snacks. And, you know, he's in the kitchen. The mom asks him about this old tea party that they had in the rain and, like, a bunch of, like, stuffed animals got muddy or whatever. And then I think, I don't know if it was Jeanette or the dad said it, you know, it was Derek's idea. And so, you know, he took the blame. She's like, Was that your idea? And, you know, and he's like, That was forever ago. He's like, I don't remember. So she's like, basically wondering if he or if basically if her dad was covering for Jeanette or something like that. So mom says, she's like, I think Jeanette is lying and you know, your dad doesn't want to face it. She's like, there's an ocean inside me and it's spilling over and I, you know, can't deal with this or whatever. So there's like the title of the episode. 95 Jeanette goes to the mall changing room and Tanya's still working there. So she's, you know, she has some clothes, and Tanya's like, oh, I need to count how many those are. Jeanette's just, like, walks past her, like, looks in all the little changing stalls, like, flips a curtain, see if there's anyone else there. And then she's like, oh, Jeanette Turner, to what do I owe to displeasure? 
And Jeanette says that she's like, I heard you're requesting to be deposed. And she's like, that's unusual given that depositions can be minefields. Then it cuts to 93. Vincent asks Jeanette why she covered for him. And she says, because I knew my dad would go easy on me. And she mentions she got thrown into mall jail. And Vincent, he's like, oh, you seem to be excited about that. And she's like, it's like, yeah, you know, she says some stuff. She's like, but, you know, I don't want to talk bad about Mallory, but, you know, she's always pushing us to do what she wants to do. And, you know, she doesn't back down. And, you know, she's like cleaning out her closet as, as he's doing this. He's like, I agree. She's like, you do? He's like, yeah, I don't think we should be talking about bad about Mad Mallory. Then 94, Vincent's at the video store. Ben is there. So Ben and Vincent like each other. Um, they're like really close. They're talking about movies. And he's Vincent's like, well, you know, maybe you can come over and watch it with me. And it's like that. Jeanette walks in and they like awkwardly move apart because they're like kind of like busted. And they're, they're, you know, they don't know what to say. So Ben's like, oh, you know, I should probably go to the gym or whatever. And, you know, maybe I'll, I'll run a movie some other time or whatever. So he leaves and Jeanette's still there. And, and Vincent's like, uh, can we pretend that you didn't see that? And she's like, sure. And then she goes up to him later. She, she's like, you know, having a secret can be really scary. So if that's what you want, we can pretend it didn't happen. But you seem really happy. And he's like, I, I kind of am, whatever. 93, Jeanette goes to the Harris house with the key. So this is 93. I don't, she, I don't know how she knew, but she must have figured he wasn't home. But because she just sticks it in there, opens it, goes inside. And then she's like snooping around. She goes in. There's this like closet like in the living room. Uh, and she's looking at his music. I think she's going to steal a CD. It's like, why are you stealing a CD? You already stole something. And, you know, she's looking at see. I think she was about to stick in her, her bag or something like that. But then Mr. Harris and Tanya come in. You know, they were like they had her dinner date or something like that. And uh, so she, you know, she hears him. She closes the, the little closet door, and it's, it's like the, the 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 slatted doors, like two little folding doors. Ninety four. Jeanette talks to Vincent some more. Mentions her mom acting weird. Then, uh, sort of at the video store, the two BFs come in, and Jeanette says she's like, "Oh, I've been calling you." Tanil's like, "Yeah, it's called screening." Then the other friend mentions uh, that her mom, that Tanya's interviews on. Then uh, so Tanya Tanya says she's talking about Mr. Harris and she's like you know he put on a Midwestern act and when he got me alone he was so forceful then it, so now it's cutting back and forth between ninety three and ninety four so ninety three Jeanette's watching from the closet and Tanya's like you're sitting on the couch you're drinking wine and you know she gets like close to him she puts her hand on his knee and then um, in ninety four on in the interview she's like he was getting aggressive and he offered personal detail unprovoked which isn't true. And in 93, we see, you know, she, you know, he keeps kind of like scooting, you know, away a little bit. She keeps scooting closer. And then she's like, she's talking about something. She's like, yeah, and I got him good at the end. So she's like, my ex pays child support. And he thinks that he's my daughter's biological daddy, but he's not. So it's like, okay, this is not looking good for you to say this. And Mr. Harris is, he's like, you know, I probably shouldn't know something that personal about one of my students. And she keeps moving closer to him. He, you know, keeps moving away. And she, like, touches his hair and stuff like that. Then 94, back to the interview, she's like, I think he would have said or done anything to get me to go to bed with him. 93, Jeanette's still, like, watching this. And she kind of um, bumps into the stereo. And it goes, it goes off. It's, like, really loud. So he gets up to check what's going on. And then Tanya's like, oh, I must have sat on the remote. And he kind of turned around and she's like, oh, I made a mess of myself. So there's some spilt wine on her blouse. He's like, well, I'll go get a towel. 
So she starts to taking off her blouse, which obviously she probably did this on purpose. Then it cuts to 94 during the interview. Tanya's like, when I think about what he did to Kate Wallace, I just can't help but think that could have been me. So obviously she's lying, turning this all around her, trying to get the attention for her. People feel sorry, whatever. Um, and Jeanette's like, she's lying. Then Tanel's like, how would you know? The other girl's like, are you seriously defending a pedophile? And she's like, no, no. And Vincent's like, you know, I should probably like, you know, close up the store. Tanel's like, it's like, my mom isn't a liar. And Jeanette's like backpedaling. She's like, no, I didn't mean that. I, you know, whatever. And Tanel's like, and your mom is a freak show has been and everyone knows it. And she's like, and since you don't seem to be getting the memo, so are you. And then the other friend's like, let's go to Blockbuster. And then so they leave. And then Jeanette, she's like, I should go to 95. Angela asks uh, Jeanette, she's like, are you dating anyone? And because she's like, you know, and she's like, no. She's like, you know, a boy sitting around here waiting for you, you know, that, that kind of says something. So it's, it's Vincent. And Jeanette's like laugh. She's like, Angela says, you know, we, we should be, you know, dating or whatever. And she's like, I think you two are cute together. And Vincent's like, no, Jeanette's like my sister. So Angela's like, okay, I, I have to go to work. Then 94, Jeanette asks her, her brother to pick her up outside, the, you know, when she left the video store. So she's sitting in the car trying to compose herself. And he's like, what happened? She's like, Renee and Tennille. So Renee, that was the other friend. And he's like, you know, I told you to stop hanging out with them. And she's like, well, they made that decision for me. He's like, oh. then she's like, you have to go to college. He's like, it feels, you know, I feel so alone. Like everyone's leaving me. Then uh, 95, Vincent says that, you know, Jeanette needs a distraction. Then the dad comes in. He's like, how about some nerds? And, and she's like, did Angela say something? And he's like, yeah. You know, it's like, I'm sorry. I feel bad. You know, I thought you just wanted your space. So then we see at same 95, the lawyer asked Tanya if she has any reason. So um, Jeanette's lawyer's there with the with the Kate Wallace lawyer, I guess. So the lawyer asks um, Tanya, I think uh, the, the dude lawyer, uh, Kate's lawyer, if she has any reason to believe that Jeanette Turner isn't telling the truth. Then it cuts to 93. Tanya opens a closet to Harris's living room and sees Jeanette. She's like, what are you doing here? And Jeanette's like, she's like, I won't tell what you said about Tanil. And Tanya's like, I didn't see you. You didn't see me or hear anything. She's like, now go. Because Jeanette's like, deal. So then she like leaves. 95, the dad, Jeanette, and Vincent are playing nerds. So it's a game. And Jeanette, she won. She's like, woo, she's excited. And then they're like, two out of three. And Vince's like, yeah. And then she's like, oh, I don't know. And then the phone rings and she gets it. So, uh, Tanya's, then we see Tanya with the lawyers, and they're like, she's like, Jeanette Turner says she never saw Kate, and I have no reason to believe otherwise. Then it cuts to the mall. Tanya says that, you know, what she's doing is highly illegal, but Jeanette says, yeah, like paternity and child support fraud. So she threatens her. She's, you know, like what she knows could be have a devastating effect on her family. And Tanya's like, yeah, well, you know, your word is as good as toilet paper in this town. And Jeanette's like, well, do you want to bet on it? She's like, I think I can be pretty convincing. So basically, Jeanette is threatening, blackmailing Tanya. So, which, I mean, she, I guess she kind of deserves because she's not a good person. And, you know, she would probably lie anyways. And, you know, she's just trying to get the attention for herself. But whatever. So then uh, back to the, the phone call. Jeanette's lawyer on the phone says Tanya had zero interesting things to say. And she then she's like, she says, Jeanette, she's like, if you had anything to do with that, I don't ever want to know. Then in 95, pretty sure it was 95, um, Angela's at the bar. Yeah. Um, then Jeanette's mom comes in and she orders a Cosmo. 
and she's like, it's my wedding anniversary today. And Angela's like, oh, you know, happy anniversary. And she's like, uh, we're not together anymore. She's like, but I guess you knew that, right, Angela? So I, Angela didn't put two, she didn't realize who she was. And then, so now she realized, she's like, you know, if you're here for a cat fight, and she's like, no, no, no. She's like, I was just driving by and this and that. And then, you know, she's like, I thought I'd stop by. She's like, I'm dying to know, how is she? And, you know, she's like, Derek says, Jeanette blames me for the separation. And she's like, she misses you, you know. And the mom asks, she's like, do you want to have a drink with me? Then 94, dad comes home from work. Mom's sitting in the living room. And he's like, you know, two more houses fell out of escrow. So it's going to be, you know, he's lost two more sales, whatever. She asks if, she's like, do you remember when I said I want to be a flight attendant? And he's like, I, I don't remember, I don't, whatever. She's like, you know, I always dreamed of this. And she's like, it's not funny. She's like, I'm serious. 95, mom's talking about how her mom sacrificed everything. You know, she, uh, she wanted to break tradition. And Angela's like, you know, you started a whole new career while having two kids. And you're a great example, you know, doing things differently. And then her mom compliments her back. She's like, you know, well, look at you. You're running a bar. And Angela's like, I actually owned a bar. And the mom's like, she's like, I like you. She's like, no wonder Greg likes you. You're smart and you're open and you're bold. Angela's like, well, I like you too. And so like, cheers, dink. And then Angela's like, well, it's not like I stole your husband. You left him. And her mom's like, wait, is that what he told you? Then 94, the mom, you know, tells the dad that, you know, she had a dream. It was a real dream. Somewhere along the way, it just evaporated. And Greg's like, well, it's a little unrealistic. And she's like, well, having a career isn't unrealistic. He's like, no, I meant, you know, traveling all the time. And she's like, you know, I wanted to see the world. And she's like, maybe I wasn't loud enough about it. And, you know, I have been loud about Jeanette. And he's like, what does this have to do with, with Jeanette or, you know, whatever? She's like, I, you know, I pushed her to blossom, but I didn't show her how. Now she's making bad mistakes. And since, you know, you don't believe me, you know, I suggest, you know, she's like, why don't you try to key for yourself? And he's like, wait a second. Did you go to the house? And she's like, it shouldn't matter. She's like, I told you something was going on. And she's like, you know, why, why do I have to have proof for you to take me seriously? So she's like, I'm going to go stay with my sister for a little while. He's like, what? She's like, I just need some time to think. She's like, I'll come back, talk to Jeanette about this. So then, then she says, you know, when you finally face what is happening with our daughter, you'll be right where I am and it'll break your heart. It's excruciating and lonely not having you with me. So then still in 94, we saw, you know, the mom went to the house with the key. You know, she goes under the police tape that's, you know, still there. She sticks a key in, it fits. She's like, oh. And, she, and then it turns. And then the door opens. And then we see Greg. It's dark. It's, it must be nighttime. He's using the key, enters the house. And then he's just like, oh, you know, she was right. And he, like, kicks something over. And that's where it ends. So he knows that Jeanette was lying. That she, you know, assuming the key is, you know, she, mom's telling the truth, Jeanette had a key to the house. And she lied that she'd never been there. Dun, dun, dun. So I'm just, I, yeah, so not, not, there was like no Kate in this episode, which is like, what the heck, man? All right. And now DC's Legends of Tomorrow, season six, episode three, the X factor. X as an EX. Oh, my goodness. This, this was not a good episode. I did not like this. It was not my favorite episode. 
I did not care for it. And I looked at the IMDb. It was, it's at a 7.3. And I'm like, how, how is that a 7.3? This is so, so, so bad, in my opinion. It was, oh, my God. So I like the show. I like the characters. I'm not super crazy about it. And, and this is something that does come up. Uh, Rory is feeling a little kind of bummed because, you know, Sarah's kidnapped. And I forget who says it. If it's a, if it's a, what's her name? Piper, pooper, shooter, poop. <laughs> I can't even remember uh, the, the new Spooner. That's it. Uh, I think, I don't know if it was, Spooner. someone says how he's like the, the only one of the, the OG legends that are left because everyone else has gone their separate ways. And so, yeah, I'm not not super crazy about all of them. Berard looked a little different today. I don't know if his I don't I feel like there was like a gap in filming between last season and this season. I don't know if his hair was just different, if he was shaved, if he had more makeup on. And I, you know, I didn't bother looking back at the last episode, but he just it seemed kind of off. And and his behavior was a little different, but maybe I don't know. So. Uh, yeah, I want to like this show. I like the idea, but it was just, it was basically like a spoof of, um, not the voice, uh, the mask singer. Is that, that what it is? Well, actually, no, I guess it was kind of a combination of, of maybe more of the voice. I don't watch either of the shows, but it was, there was like, it was literally like a, a singing competition. Oh my gosh. So it starts off, <laughs> starts off in Palm Springs, 2045. So it's in the future. There's a kid in the convenience store getting like some slurpee or something like that. Then this armored dude comes in and he wants to see the leader or something like that. He sees this magazine about this rapper, whatever, on his throne. And the, key, the kid's like, that's DJ S'mores money or whatever. So we've seen, I think we've seen S'mores money. Uh, I forgot which episode it was. It was last season. And uh, he, he ends up, he, it turns out he is Zari's ex. So there was an episode, I, I just remember, he's got like a big mask over his head, like a big styrofoam thing in the shape of a, a s'mores. And are there a dollar sign under her <laughs> and whatever? So we've seen, and he wears like a suit usually. So you never see his actual face. So he's on this like throne or whatever. And so that the this uh, armored dude, he's an alien. He thinks that he's like this leader. So he wants the throne or something like that. So then we see um, John, Constantine, and Zari. They're they're going at it on a couch, whatever. And these these two just seem so out of character. And I don't know if because she just doesn't seem John's type. And you know she because she's very not pretentious, but you know she's she's all like social media and and everything like kind of uptight and all about the image and everything like that. So it's almost like John is kind of like a because you know he's more of a rebel. So maybe it's it's her way to rebel by going after you know whatever this other guy. But yeah. So anyways, they're they're going at it, and um, there there's a this one song playing that comes into it later. Uh, they they keep getting interrupted because she has all these different phones and stuff like that. But then like her emergency phone goes off. So Barard opens up a portal because they're I guess they're at like John's house mystery house whatever and he comes in with the phone he's like got his eyes covered in case they're whatever 
it's her friend calling and at first i'm like wait because she calls like she holds her phone out and it's like little hologram pops up like out of the screen like so she's holding it flat and it's like whatever it's, it's yeah because it's 2045 so i guess they have holo phones back then so she says that her friend dj s'mores has been eviscerated by an alien and uh Zari's, she doesn't seem that broken up over it or anything so you know they're, they're talking about the funeral and whatever then uh later on the ship they're they're talking about how dj s'mores uh so Zari and, and um Berard are talking about how he saved network television with like this reality show or whatever and Nate's like, I'm just surprised uh, network television is still going, which is that a dig at themselves? Whatever. So then they see the alien arrive to kill the, the quote-unquote king, which is the DJ, and stab him. Because it's so all of this was televised. So Berard immediately suggests, he's like, maybe he mistook him for a real king. And it's, so it's like... The, the the jump that he's like oh yeah that's exactly what he thought and you just watch this like just 30 seconds if that and you already have his whole motivation you figured it all out which it's a, a way to move the show the plot forward but it's just it makes it it's like okay that is such a huge grasp that you're able to figure that out so i guess they're gonna try to stop the murder from happening which I, that's what they do, but it's it, you know this is natural events. Why is this a? I don't. I didn't pick up on. Maybe they mentioned. It. I didn't see how this was like a time anomaly or anything like that. This season, they tend to be they're going after aliens because they're hoping that if they track down an alien, the alien will be able to tell them where Sarah is. Maybe they're looking at it. Well, the alien was unle- possibly unleashed because of Sarah getting kidnapped, but I don't think that's the case with this one. So, I don't know. So, then we see, uh, oh, Rory is, um, this is where where we see that he's taking Sarah's absence kind of hard. And he's like, he's refusing to listen to Ava or anything like that. And then, you know, he's he's not going to go along on this mission because he says he's taking a day off. And he was supposed to be uh, showing Spooner, like showing her the ropes or whatever, like, I guess. So, then we see Sarah. So, she's on an alien world still with Gary. And Gary, so Gary's an alien as we found out this season. And she got jabbed by an alien tongue tendril, whatever. So she's weak. She tells Gary that he's going to have to fight, but he's like, I'm not a fighter. And she reminds him that, you know, he's an alien that eats people and stuff like that. Then it cuts back to Hollywood 2045. So we're going to visit the throne TV show, D.A. throne TV show. So they say it like I say the 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 throne <laughs> and and then uh it seems like constantine's jealous of zari's ex you know because he doesn't really seem the jealous type but i guess he is and again th- when i'm watching it at this point it's like it's like why does berard look so different they they mention how dwayne johnson's the president because you know you got to throw in these little pop culture things uh, to catch people's interest or, or whatever and they need to try to sneak into the studio this works out so conveniently the way they they get onto the show and everything like that. So even though Zari knows DJ S'mores, it's just they get passed through. You cut through any red tape, just get on there. Zari causes like a distraction in front of people because, you know, she's like a social media influencer. So people are like, oh, Zari, and they start taking her picture and stuff like that. And then uh, Ava, Berard, and Nate, they can sneak in. So then we, we see... 
bits of the TV show. So it's again, it's like a singing competition, and it is so freaking bad. Uh, it's just it's not my thing. There's like I think there's this rapper woman that was on there. That's not my type of music. And not that rap's not a music, but this is more like I don't even know how you describe it. And they're supposed to be these K-pop twin girls that are like playing guitar, and we don't really see them like what their their thing is. But now the armored aliens there, Nate um, runs out. You know, so the sort of armored aliens. He's about to stab DJ S'mores, and Nate runs up to him, armors up to stop the big blade from stabbing him. Then Berard uses his wind powers to blow him away. And then he comes at it again. And then this, this alien, this armored alien is kind of like roaring and he like easily dodges their attack or whatever. And then, you know, so the, the fight's kind of over or whatever. And then S'more's like, man, that was tight. And so the, the killer, he, the, so the, the killer, he gets uh, raided and there's like all these lights and, and noise and music. So he kind of gets distracted by all this. So uh, S'mores says that he's, he just moved one step closer to getting the throne because if it's a singing show and then he just basically, it was like a choreographed fight or whatever. I, I don't understand that. We see Rory, he's drinking drinking a beer. Spooner takes his beer because he's supposed to be showing her ropes and they're, they're talking about it and you know, she's trying to get through to him or whatever. And he's like, rawr, 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 whatever. Like nothing really goes um, anywhere with that. Ava, um, she starts talking to the armored alien, kind of like she works on a show. She has like a clipboard or something like that. And then she gets him to um, walk through a portal, like onto the wave rider, like, like nothing. And he walks right into like the force field prison thing. And Ava, you know, she acts like she's working for a show. She asks him a question, and she's like, you know where Sarah Lance is? And, and the alien's like, what's with Sarah Lance? And then, you know, so it's like, I don't understand. Why would he know? that? I feel like that I missed something. So he's an alien? He's trying to uh, uh, t- rule the Earth or whatever? So just because he's an alien, he's supposed to know where, where Sarah is? I just doesn't make any sense. Spooner comes in because she detects an alien and they, they still haven't explained like what her powers are. She was kidnapped by an alien. There's no device implanted in her head, but she can sense aliens somehow. And I don't understand where she gets all these like high tech guns from. I don't know. So she, um, she detects the alien. The alien's able, able to blast through the force field. And then Spooner pulls out a gun and uh, then he threatens to, to call an armada to destroy the planet. They convince him to do a song and dance to rule a planet instead. So the, the, if he wins a competition, he can rule the planet. So then Zari's friend comes up, uh, shows up, and um, she mentions that her products aren't selling. And she hasn't been putting any public appearances in because you know, she's going all over with the legends. S'more comes up. And then Constantine kind of gets all like puffy chest, like he's he's because obviously he's jealous. And then he decides to make S'mores head catch on fire since he's supposed to be a S'mores or whatever. Zari decides to talk to her Z Nation and she claims that she's the wild card on a game show. So I guess she just invited herself to perform. This is supposed to be a competition, like a singing competition. And she just basically put herself like in a final three or something like that. And, uh, and again, like through all of this, she, she could have asked s'mores since they were exes and maybe they're still on good terms, but she just, she just does this and no one, no one questions it. There's like no producers or anything to say, Hey, what the heck is going on? So then Zari performs 
And it is so freaking bad. It's just like this. Ah, oh man. I just. Then we see uh, back on an alien planet. Gary's attacking and eating some soldiers. Sarah's vision gets all fuzzy. Then she sees Ava standing and kind of turns and walks away. So she starts following what she thinks is Ava. Gary, um, after he fights, you know, defeats all these soldiers, he takes a helmet off of one of them, and it turns out it's Ava. Then he realizes they're on a planet full of Ava clones, which makes zero sense. I mean, they, they, it's not even explained in this episode, unless I totally missed it. So maybe that's something that'll come up. I still understand. So they find this, they crash on this planet. They find Amelia Earhart, who turns out to be an alien. And then now there's a bunch of Ava clones. So Ava is a clone, but there's a bunch of these other clones for some reason. Berard um, suggests that the in, they do an in, interviews, whatever, with the love story connection to help Zari win over to audience because that tends to work on these shows. So then he, Nate, and Zari think that Constantine could use like a makeover or something, like or do something with his hair. And he's like, so they all like leave. Zari's mom shows up. She saw Zari on TV, and she's surprised that you know her daughter was on her t- favorite TV show. And, you know, didn't tell her and that he she's dating a, a street magician. And, you know, so they're talking and stuff like that. Then her, her mom finally asked, she's like, you know, if, if you really care for this magic man, you know, I'll try to support you, whatever. And then Zari's like, no, no, he's just a fling. You know, it won't last. And Constantine's like outside, like the dressing room, whatever. And he hears this and his little heart gets broken. So John, I guess, agreed to the makeover because now he's he's wearing like black pants, a black leather jacket. His hair is a little little. I guess his hair is always kind of spikier. You know, he's got some chains and stuff like that. So they're sitting doing an interview, and, and you know, he tells the uh, the interviewer that, um, or no, Zari says that she was like on a health retreat or something like that with friends. That's why she was out of the, the spotlight. She says that John is actually like minor royalty or something like that, and um, then. John's like, he's just sitting there listening. He says a couple of things, but he's like, oh, you want to see some magic? He's like, how about I'll make myself disappear? And he gets up and walks off the stage. <laughs> so then they argue back backstage and, and you know, Zari's like, you embarrass me in front of everyone. He's like, well, that's all you care about, you know, what people think and bicker, bicker, blah, blah, blah. DJ Smore comes in. He's like, hey, you know, things aren't going so well or, you know, whatever, because he's probably happy because he's, you know, her ex. So then we see Sarah chasing Ava. Um, the alien infection is like spreading. It's it's like going over her arms and like her chest and stuff like that. And it's starting to look like they're like on an old Star Trek like TV set, like the original Star Trek. It's just uh, the backgrounds is it just looks kind of sketch. Then she um, she starts to attack Ava. So it's like, wait, you're following her now. You're fighting her, and then she's like, you think I don't know my own Ava? So then they're fighting, even though she's like weak and everything. So now the alien interviewer or alien interview, the alien killer gets interviewed. Uh, Ava and um, Spooner are watching the show on a wave rider. Rory decides he's going to do something. So he tells Gideon to uncloak and then uh, so that the ship appears. And then he like armed, he's like, do whatever protocol, some plan or something like that. All his weapons are armed. And then the, the alien, armored alien, can detect the wave rider now. So he calls his whole armada and you all these ships up here like outside of earth and these big like guns pop out <laughs> it's, just, it's almost like cartoon guns sticking outside the on top of the ship and then they're like rory what'd you do and he's like well earth was doomed anyways and he just like walks away so ava goes after him and you know she's like trying to argue with him and he's like if you were kidnapped by aliens sarah would have found you by now 
And she's like, yeah, you're right. She's like, but I'm not Sarah. And, and you know, she really kind of lays into him. And, uh, you know, but then she basically, what it comes down to, she tells him how it is. She's like, you know, you need to get in line or get off my ship. So she's finally, you know, taking some initiative of taking a stand against him because, you know, he, he doesn't listen to her. Um, S'mores decides to, you know, there's this like female empowerment ballad that Zarya was supposed to sing, but because she was like arguing whatever she was in there. So he gives it to the armored killer. And, you know, he's like, oh, but it's a, you know, it's a female empowerment song. And, and the alien's like, we don't use binary genders or whatever on our planet. He's like, you know, we all carry and bear children or something like that. So then he like looks at the song. He's like, okay, I'm going to optimize my voice to, to sing, you know, whatever. So then it, it, he sings like a pop dude, whatever singer. Uh, Zari gets upset because that was supposed to be her song. And, and then John comes up, he's like, well, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, there's no connection to the song. So, you know, whatever. So then John decides to confront Zari about what she said to her mom. And, you know, he says basically like he wants this to be real or something like that. You know, they're, they're talking. He's like, you know, what do you what do you have to say about that? She just walks off. She she goes on stage. She starts singing the song that, that was playing earlier, um, Ever Fall in Love by Buzzcocks. And so, you know, John's like, yeah. she's like, I've never heard this before. He's like, oh, this is punk and you don't know this or whatever. So she starts singing it like a you know, acapella, just on the spot. She's singing it. <laughs> then John comes out strumming a guitar to the song. It's like, okay, it's a little cheesy, but I didn't realize John could play the guitar, but I guess he can, or maybe use magic to learn. Who knows? And then the K-pop twins decide to come out, and there's someone else on drums, and then they're all playing this. And and throughout the whole thing, you see, like, the studio audiences, like, kind of glimpses, like, screenshots of them on their phone, like, they're FaceTiming to be part of the audience. And, and they're sitting there with, like, holding, which doesn't make any sense, but they're, like, holding their phones, like, you know, when you go to concerts, people shine the light on their phone and wave it over the head. So they're doing this, and it just looks so silly that they're waving their phones because they're, like, in a brightly lit room wherever they're at doing this, and it's just... It's just so silly. And, you know, John even, like, sings, like, the final bit, like, back-to-back with Zari and stuff like that. So the votes come in. The, you know, the audience likes it. And uh, so now it's, it's between Zari and uh, the the alien. It's, like, neck and neck. You see, like, these little little icons going along this line, like, side by side. Like, you know, one's inching above the other, whatever. And then it goes, at the end, Zari wins. So then the, the killer alien gets on a knee, you know, bows to... Zari calls off the armada. They all just like hyperspace out of there. So then on the wave rider, Zari, you know, she's like, oh, you know, congratulations. She's like, I couldn't have done it without, you know, my team and my boyfriend. And they're like, oh. so then uh, the, the alien killer's there. And then uh, the, the, the helmet of the, the armor opens up. So it's kind of like men in black, totally. And there's this tiny, cute little alien sitting inside the head. And, you know, he's got, like, big ears. So it's almost like it's like this blue alien, big ears, not quite Grogu um, ears. But then, you know, Spooner is about to shoot it, but they, like, like they stop her. So the, the alien starts talking everything like that, and they're, like, listening to it. I think, I think it was Nate. You know, he's, like, down on the floor, like, laying on the floor, like, like getting close to, like, listening to it. All of a sudden, a foot stomps on it. Rory just smashed it. He's like, whatever. And so he has a plan. And he, he drew this cartoon alien. He says it was Kayla. That if they find this alien, that they can find Sarah. I don't know. I told. I'm. I'm watching. I'm literally watching the show. I don't know what his where he got this Kayla from. This plan. 
So then uh, Ava's like, okay, let's go. And we see Sarah still stumbling around. And then she goes in this building. She finds some dude, and he's in a suit. And he's like, oh, Sarah, Lance, I've been waiting for you, whatever. I wasn't sure if this was Spartacus because his hair was pulled back like in a bun or I don't think it was in a ponytail, but he's dressed like in like regular clothes, like, you know, buttoned up shirt. And uh, so Spartacus was basically like no shirt and, you know, like Spartacus garb. So I don't know if this is supposed to be Spartacus or just someone else. Uh, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but this episode, <laughs> it was going to make me cry. It was so bad. And I get the again the, the what's nice about the show is they don't take themselves seriously, you know they're they're doing spoofs and everything like that. But to just to do this voice, mass singer, whatever, my goodness, why? Oh man, I don't know. So um, yeah, there's that. <laughs> but <laughs> we got at least we got the Flash and Superman Lois back this week or the flash has been back but superman Lois is coming up but first the flash season seven episode 10 family matters part one so how was this episode before i get into it it was it was okay uh i better than (laughs) i I don't want to compare but better than legends uh there's still some parts that were a little little hokey hokey pokey and, you know, some, some things are just a little too convenient. I mean, if, if you've been listening to me talk about this show, you know there's one issue that I, I, I tend to have. And it, it, but it's mainly when characters conveniently have the solution to something. And, you know, like we saw that in, in Legends. And it's, I get that it's a way to progress the, the plot line for that episode. It's a way to give other characters... A role and you know it's some that they're contributing something but sometimes it's just like you're off the top of your head it's like oh it must be this and it's like you are absolutely correct you're 100 percent dead on you pull this magic crazy hypothesis out of your butt and and you're dead on so it's just it's like it doesn't really happen that way I, I don't know but so with with this episode it picks up from the last one where we see Speed Force Nora. I feel like there should be another Speed Force with Nora. Because I don't want to call her Nora. And and calling her Nora, I keep thinking of, of Barry and Iris's daughter, Nora, which kind of bums me out. Because as I mentioned before, I, at, at first I found her a little annoying, but then I, I kind of grew to appreciate her uh, as uh, as we got to know her more. And so it's too bad that she's gone, but whatever. So it starts off with Speed Force Nora confronting Dion. So Dion's like the the time force person and he's like back off lady and she she tells him that he can't run from her past present or future whatever and um he says that he could snap his fingers and send her back a thousand years and she's like well that's no way to treat your sister she's like we're connected then he's you know he's kind of thinks about it he's like okay yeah maybe and she's like no we're born at the same time but she explains that even though she was just born, this isn't her first time around. And, uh, you know, she's like, I could kill you anytime, but I need you, basically. She's like, our father, Barry Allen, so it's like way to, to spoil his, or just reveal his identity. She's like, our father rejected me just like he rejected you. So she's like, how does that make you feel? 
It's, but it's like he didn't really reject Dion. You know, he was. Yeah, so I don't. And Nora, what are you doing? Then at Star Labs, they explain to Alexa. So Alexa is uh, strength force, fuerza. Well, like they explain to her what's going on. You know, she's one of the forces. They tell her Barry's the Flash. So I guess it's like, okay, all the cards are on the table. Barry and Iris birthed her, and she has three siblings. So then, uh, and Caitlin says that, you know, one sibling did kill her, but her vitals are, you know, say that she's, she's fine now. And uh, they share the same genome sequence or something like that. So they can sense each other on a quantum level. And Cisco has detected, detected a lot of Nora's isotopic energy all over the cities. So all that isotopic energy. But, and Alexa's worried that, you know, it's like, well, isn't Nora just going to try to kill me again? And Barry's like, he's like, no, he's like, we'll train you to use your powers. But she's like, I don't want to hurt or kill anyone because, you know, that's what happened with uh, Abracadabra. Or Abracadabra just sounds like so weird. Anyway, Camilla, Camilla and Cisco are talking. So I'm a little confused here because they were talking about going to San Francisco, but she's talking about Miami now. So it's like you, she mentioned her friend's gallery in San Francisco, and that was the whole thing about them moving. But she said that there's a new gallery now in Miami, so she's thinking about that. And uh, then she's she's like asked him how he's doing, and he, he – um, or you know he Cisco's like oh you're ready job hunting and she's like yeah she's like aren't you and he's like mm-hmm but obviously he's not some business guy um, his name's Caleb he's he's like in his his home and he's like on the phone making some deal and playing you know putting his golf whatever and uh, then uh, Psych is is calling him you hear his voice and then he shows up he's there and his mask like like disappears. And we see his face. So now we see who uh, or what Psych looks like. Because I don't think we did before. So Psych is, I forget the actor's name, but he was Rich.com in Blindspot. That was a Jamie Alexander. And I don't know why, whenever I think about that, which I still need to finish that show, that doesn't sound right. So so he, it's it's weird seeing him because uh, Rich.com wasn't, I mean, he was a smart, smart guy, but he wasn't like the deadly guy. So anyways, uh, this guy, Caleb, he recognizes him as Bashir, and then uh, Psych pounces on him. So then there's a crime scene at, at the, the rich dude's place. Barry and Joe are there. And guess who just walks right in? <laughs> Iris just walks into the crime scene. And you know, here's a reporter. She's like, do-do-do. And uh, so they mention, you know, they're just telling her to, uh, all the details that this is like the, the fourth billionaire killed like this. Barry detects uh, some, sig- you know, whatever signature around there. So he figures out it was it was Psych. Iris snoops around, and then she's just like looking at like there's some a bunch of pictures sitting like on a shelf or a mantle or, or something. So she's just like looking at all, all, all the pictures, and she keeps like staring closer, you know, because she figures there's got to be something there. Then we see this one picture. There's this this club that I, apparently this guy was in, uh, the the League of Lions. But the picture, it's not like it's a group picture, like all of them standing together. It's it's something like out of a yearbook. And it's just, like, you know, all these little headshots, like kind of like in a grid or something like that with like the logo, the League of Lions, whatever, in the middle. It's uh, why would he have that picture up? Why would he have that in a frame? It's like the stupidest thing. <laughs> it's, again, if you want to do it, take a picture of them all standing together. Like, hey, but this just... 
I don't know. So then you're like, oh, go, what's this? It's like an Ivy League society. It's like this must be something. So of of course the the one clue that they need that this is what I'm talking about. How things are so convenient. It just happens to be there. Let alone. So what does this mean? Like Barry, the CSI guy, is an idiot that he doesn't notice it. Who here's a, a big clue here. But you know, okay, yeah, Iris is I guess an investigative reporter, so it makes sense. You know, she could find it. But come on, <laughs> it's just. Uh, anyways uh so then joe meets with kramer so she uh she's still there because she said some like uh killer frost stuff is keeping her there longer she's looking to like where all the metahuman criminals disappear to and she mentions like rainbow raider so at first i thought it's like because remember they used to lock up all the villains at star labs and like the big centriculum whatever device the big thing I don't think they're still doing that. I hope they're not still doing it. I mean, are there still people locked up there? Because, you know, I always wondered, are in these little rooms, do they, I don't know if there's any, maybe there's like a secret toilet that pops out of the wall, you know, so it's not always there. And, you know, do they get any exercise? Who's, you know, do they get fed automatically? What are they getting fed? I don't think they're still locked up. Maybe they all escaped or broke out or were let out at one point. So anyways, she's looking, you know, she mentions Rainbow Raider. And she's like, oh, you know, who else worked these cases? And she pulls one. Patty Spivet reassigned, which that reminds me, I, I need to finish uh, For All Mankind. Because Patty, Spiv- Patty Spivet, the actress that plays her, she's awesome in For All Mankind. Uh, and uh, then she's like, Julian Albert reassigned. Barry Allen, oh, he's still here. And she's like, uh, can you have him send, sent in? And Joe's like, he's on a case? And she's just like looking at him. He's like, well, I'll see if I can pull him off of, of the case. It's like, okay, so what, what he's doing isn't important. But now they're doing some training for Alexa. Cisco reassures her, so they're going to put her in this force field. Um, so this force field that they have can like handle everything. And it says that, you know, the stronger she pushes, the stronger the force field gets. So it would actually use Forza's strength against her or something like that. And um, so they're, they're saying that, you know, Forza won't even be able to push through. Barry um, says that, uh, you know, because he's there. He, I guess he's not working on the case anymore. <laughs> but he's like, you know, she just needs to transform into Forza. So he tries coaching her how to, like, calmly do it, whatever. And, uh, you know, because if Nora shows up, she's going to need to be able to protect herself. So then uh, then the Three Stooges go, <laughs> um, um, Iris, uh, Camilla, and Allegra. Uh, they're, they go to talk to this lady who was in the League of Lions. <laughs> And she, you know, she's this lady's like, oh, like, doot, 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 doot. you know, she's like, I'm wealthier than all the league combined. And, you know, she's at first she thinks that they're, they want to interview her for um, a, whatever, some some company thing that she's doing, whatever. But Iris tries telling her that there's a meta targeting them. And, and it seems kind of weird that the three of them go together. And uh, I. I don't know. I mean, it kind of struck me the way they they looks like they didn't look like they were together because you know you have Iris wearing this like big. So I'm, I'm critiquing the fashion now, which I, is so stupid. But you know, Iris is wearing this like big black coat, and then Allegra is in her regular, and she's got like like torn jeans, like the the fashionably torn, like but pre- precisely torn, you know, in just the right spots. And uh, Camilla, what was Camilla wearing? But but it's like, and and Camilla does. It's not like I don't even think she had a camera in her hand or whatever. So they're not there. I guess they they weren't there to interview or whatever. They're they're trying to. Well, they no because Iris does want to find out why is she she wants the story. It's not like she's trying to help Team Flash or anything. I mean, in a, in a sense, she is, but whatever. 
So she, you know, Iris tries saying that there's a meta that's targeting the, the league. Then Psyche shows up. So does this lady recognizes his voice right away? She knows that it's this Bashir guy. And then Barry um, gets called. You know, Iris is like, Psyche is here or whatever. So he, he runs down there. The lady, like, stands up to Bashir. And she figures that he's broke again. He just wants another handout. He starts, like, doing his mind zapping thing on her. So she's starting to freak out because he's showing her her nightmares or whatever. And uh, the Three Stooges, they're just standing there watching as this happening. They're like, not, I was like, can can you like push him or hit him from behind? I mean, I don't know. Is there is would it have any effect on him or whatever? So they're just standing there, and then Flash zoom, comes there, zips them away. You know, takes them somewhere to safety. Then he tries talking to Psych about um, another force is trying to get him, and he's like boring. And then he hits Flash with like he's got these purple tendrils now to come out. He hits him and sends him like smashing into like a limo. So then we see Barry back at Star Labs, and he's bruised from where Psych attacked him. They asked him, they're like, well, what did he show you this time? So he didn't show him anything, like any nightmare stuff like that, but he said his power is growing. So and he mentions that, you know, he made these tendrils that move faster than he did. And he says that, you know, he's not strong enough to fight him, but Forza is. And then uh, Alexa comes in. She's like, you want me to fight him? She's like, what if I kill him? And you know, she says, you know, she can't make her come out yet but barry wants to force force out caitlin's like they added that's not a good idea but barry's like you know he starts saying some more stuff about how dangerous he is and everything like that so alexa's like all right fine you know yeah i'll do it i'll try it iris and the other two they're looking into the lions club everyone apparently bailed on bashir and like his family and his friends whatever so he's out for revenge. So that that's obviously that that's his problem. Joe um, goes into police armory and he picks up this case. It has like, and inside there's like this special gun with like these glowing bullets. Then Kramer comes in behind him and he's like, yeah, this, we got a order that this came in, but I didn't authorize it. And he sees the bullets. They contain the Medicare. And she says, you know, if metas are threatening people, then, you know, we need to be able to protect the city. And he's like, this is illegal. And she's like, no, there's just no precedence for it yet. And, you know, he's like, you know, you didn't get your way with a case and now you're trying to do this, whatever. And she's like, I have full authority to use extreme measure under dire situations or whatever. And he's like, well, this, you know, this is still my precinct. He's like, and I'll call, I'll call the governor's office, whatever. And she's like, well, the governor authorized this. So Joe's like crap <laughs> so lex is doing more training and uh she's starting to overload whatever so now fuerza comes out she tries punching at barry and caitlin but barry zips uh caitlin away cisco has his gaunt power gauntlet things like he uh, like shoots her doesn't really do anything and then boom she's like back fuerza just backhands cisco he goes flying across the room smashes into some stuff or whatever and then barry goes and checks on him and then alexa change back and barry looks at her she's like i told you i couldn't control it so then we see cisco's in in the med room caitlin tells uh alexa that you know he'll be okay you know don't don't feel bad or whatever and barry's like okay we need to get back to work and alexa's like what and caitlin tells him she's like you know i think we need a little time he's like and alexa's like i won't be your weapon and she's like i'm, I'm done with this and she walks out but barry tries going after her and caitlin's like like dude She's like, she's not ready. You know, you have to be patient with him. And, you know, she's trying to explain stuff to him about teaching him. And she mentions, like, stuff with his daughter or whatever. Or whatever. So then uh, Joe's talking to Cecile. He's like, uh, Kramer's looking to start a war. And, you know, he's like, she's being smart about it. She's doing things by the book. 
And so he wants to investigate Kramer. And he's got like all his like some files and stuff like that. Cecile's like, you know, I just went up against her. And it's like, you know, she's she won't back down unless it's her choice. So she's like, so what are you going to do about that? You know, how are you going to try to get through to her? Cisco, he's out of bed. So he's back at like his lab or whatever working. And Camille's like, you know, should you be working or whatever? He's like, oh, I'm fine. And then she gets an email and she's excited. She's like, oh, the, the gallery in Miami want, wants to schedule an interview. And she looks at him. And she sees that he's not really excited. And he's like, you know, he's like, I'm qualified for 7,685 jobs in the U.S. alone. 83 of them are in Miami. He's like, and trust me, I know how lucky I am to say that. So he's not like, you know, just being a jerk and bragging. He's like, but if I'm being honest, I have no clue what I'm supposed to be doing right now. And so like when Psych whammied him before, he saw his worst nightmare. He saw himself 40 years from now still working at Star Labs. He's like, it's not a bad thing, you know, because he's like, I learned a lot here and I made a family. But in the nightmare, everyone had moved on, but he had it. So it was just him. He's like, I felt this insane regret for not even trying to do something else with my career. And he's like, I don't, I don't want that future. So it's like, what the hell am I supposed to do? She's like, well, you know, it's a big decision. You don't have to make it right now. Give it time. And she's like, the right job will, will find you. So maybe he'll stay around, <laughs> but probably not. I don't know. So Alexa is like packing up her stuff. Caitlin says that, you know, it might seem safer, but running away isn't going to help. Alexa says that when Fuerza came out, it wanted to stay out. And she's like, you know, what if it, it doesn't want to go back? So Caitlin starts talking about, you know, what it was like sharing a body with frost when, when she was killer frost and she's you know doing all these bad things and she says that she finally you know used this mental activator thing so they could talk to each other she's like you know it's going to take some time and you know barry says you know, he comes in he's like you know forget the training he's like i should have listened to you when you said that you weren't ready and he's like you know whatever you want to do we'll do that and she's like thanks but what she wants to do is try to get in sync with her other half but then an alarm goes off Iris and Allegra are monitoring the computers, whatever, of course, and they detect some rich dude's license plate or something like that. I was like, wait, whose license plate? I guess it's one of the guys in the Lions Club or whatever. They just had the alarm set to it. I don't know. And then uh, so we see this car, like sports, expensive sports car speeding along. Psych standing in the middle of the road. So the the car had, he, the dude has to like swerve. And then, uh, then Psyche is, is like right up next to the, the car and he his, he reveals his face. He's like, Lucas or whatever. And he's like, Lucas is like, where have you been all these years? Blah, 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 all this stuff like that. And then uh, Psyche is like, well, while I got here, can I pick your brain for old time's sake? So he wants to do whatever he's doing and, and get into his, his brain. Iris tells Barry that there's more to Bashir's story. She's like, I can tell you like what to say when you, when you get to him. So of course... Iris figured something out. And again, this is to give Iris something to do in this episode. You know, it's written this way that, you know, she's going to be the one to help stop him or whatever. And Alexa says that, you know, she wants to go too. She wants to, you know, try to stop him. So Bashir is talking to Lucas. He says that, you know, he just watched the others destroy his life that, you know, he's going to pay. He's like, just like them. And Flash shows up with Alexa. And I was like, oh, who's this? And he's, then he's like, oh, I have a baby sister. And Flash is like, you know, he's like, we know what your parents did to you or whatever. You can't keep punishing the world. And he's like, yes, I can. And Alexa puts on her forehead thing. And she's like trying to talk to Forza. Necesito tu ayuda. Because I need your help. And then Psych grabs Flash with his tendril. 
and then you know he's lifted up in the air and he drops flash and but then force is there now catches flesh so they're going to be working together she charges at him the tendrils can't really get to her she just kind of knocks them away and she's getting like closer and closer then force is like you know you don't have to fight us and force says listen listen howard first talks and then it's like just he does listen he like powers down and then alex powers down flash is like you know it doesn't have to be this way He's like, you know, your friends, they actually, they never gave up on you. They care about you uh, more than you realize. You know, they started a fund to help you get on your feet. And you didn't know this because you just pushed them away. And he's like, we want to help you too. He's like, don't push us away. And he's, uh, Psych is like, no, he's like, you don't know my pain. But Alexa's like, you know, you're right. But I know. She's like, I've been clean for five years. And before... I was pushing everyone away. You know, my parents, then, you know, they wouldn't even talk to me. She's like, you need to knock down the walls that you build up and, you know, ac accept help from other people. And then uh, Psych removes his mask and he's like, continue. <laughs> and then Alexa's like, you know, we'll wait for you as long as it takes. He's like, the choice is yours. So then at Star Labs, we see Cisco, Caitlin, Allegra, and Camilla, they all weapon up. They're, they're gritting guns. <laughs> You know, and having these like stern looks on her faces. Then Iris gets off the phone. So she's like, Bashir's victims are going to be okay. And then they say, well, Barry's bringing a monster into the house, uh, you know, two actually, because, you know, she's like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, you know, we can't be too safe. Then they walk in and Psych is like, oh, those rifles and gloves, they won't do any good. You know, just a heads up. And they're just like, oh. And then Forrest is like, you know, don't make us angry. And then, that's a standoff of you know she's her eyes start glowing he starts glowing and then but then they both back off and as as they're talking whatever cisco he gets like a text or a call from argus so i don't know if this has to do with what he may do that he's gonna at first i was like does this have to do with him getting a job or does this have something to do with trying to stop the meta human cure because since uh, kramer went to argus and had someone replicate the cure so anyways joe um you know, he's in his office. He called Kramer in, so she comes in to talk to him. And he says, you know, he wants to talk about what happened today. You know, he's like, as captain, it's hard to watch your, you know, my ideals, the ideals that I've spent my whole life building get taken away. And he's like, you know, I wish that you could try to see what the city really needs. And she's like, you know, well, I, I, I'm doing things by the book. And he's like, it's going to take a whole lot more than that to protect the people of Central City. And since your by the book is nowhere near mine, then he takes off his badge, puts it on his desk, puts a gun down. And she's like, do you realize what you're doing? And he's like, yeah. And he, so he starts walking out. He's like, I'm staying on the right side of the line. So then he has a, like his little box packed with all his stuff. And as he walks out, like all the cops and like in the peanut gallery whatever they're just like standing in silence like watching joe leave and then he walks by to truth liberty and justice big huge sign and just walks up so bashir they tell him all the stuff now so he knows everything and he's like you have four kids and he's like well maybe some people shouldn't have kids and alexa's like you're such an ass or whatever and iris mentions that nor has been around since the dawn of time and they need to find Dion as soon as possible. But then Nora and Dion show up, like right then. So um, Dion's like, I'm sorry. And then uh, Barry walks up to Nora. He's like, please. And Dion stops everyone. And Nora's like, you made me do this, Barry. She starts, zaps everyone, including Iris. And Dion's just sitting there watching, like, 
he doesn't really want to do this. He, I mean, you see a little like remorse or regret or whatever, and then he snaps them out of there. And then Barry's like unfrozen. So everyone's laying there. They're all dead. And Barry's in shock. So, yeah, everyone's dead. Even Iris. Iris, uh, Alexa, uh, Bashir, and I don't know who else was in there. They're not. They're probably not. I, you would think they should be dead. But obviously they're not going to kill Iris and everyone else. So we'll have to see what happens. What is Barry going to do? And why didn't they, I guess, she's, Nora didn't want to kill Barry, even though she's betraying him. But that was the end of the episode. Okay, but now, Superman and Lois, Season 1, Episode 6, Broken Trust. Superman and Lois is back. And at first, I was like, wait, what are the kids' names? I had to kind of think about what's going on. So I, this show, I, I'm so surprised by this show, how much I like it. Because with this, this guy that's playing Superman, at first, I, I wasn't super into him. And, and it's also weird to think about it that, you know, he was in Palm Springs and, you know, he wasn't a likable character in Palm Springs. You know, he wasn't supposed to be a likable character. And now as him as Superman, I'm just like, I'm down with it. You know, I, I almost feel like he, maybe he's like worked out a little bit since then as well. And um, I'm warming up to Lois. I, I, I think I've, I've come to accept this her as Lois, as our, our current Lois. I'm, I'm totally down with her as Lois. And then when I heard the idea about the kids, that the kids are going to be age. First of all, they only had one kid on Supergirl, but now they suddenly have two after Crisis. And now they're suddenly 14 years old. They don't really look 14. But I was like, really? Is this going to be like a, just a CW teen drama? So even though we do have some teen drama stuff, it's it's a good show. I don't know what it is about it. I'm just I'm really digging it, and there's just like some some cool moments. So hopefully you remember what's been going on since the last episode was on. It starts off where Jordan's running from Tag. So Tag is the kid that developed powers when uh they were having a bonfire, and Jordan his heat vision went off and he caused like an explosion whatever and somehow tag got powers from this he was taken away to some special powers school thing that general sam lane knew about but somehow he broke out and he came back and so he catches up to jordan he like he's like punching him because he's he's like at the bonfire. He's like, "What'd you do to me?" And Jordan's like, "I don't know what you're talking about." He's like, "Liar!" He's like, "Because you have, I know you have abilities too, or whatever." Because Jordan tried to calm him down before when he was like like shaking or whatever. And and tags like, he's like, "I watched a video." He's like, "Something caused that explosion." He's like, "You were right there." And uh, so he doesn't really see. You know, they don't show us the video. I mean, they kind of show it like from a you know not super close. So you don't really see anything. He doesn't really see anything, obviously, because otherwise it'd, it'd be all out. And uh, so Jordan, is, he's able to hit the Superman call button. And that, that device is so big. You think they would make something smaller. And Superman arrives. And uh, so then he asks Jordan, he's like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, because so Tag took, took off running. So he goes after Tag. Tag. Tag is just running super speed. And he's like looking around. And Superman's catching up to him there's a train of course going so tag runs cuts in front of the train because superman's like no tag don't do it and then as he 
goes in front of the train, like the force, the wind or whatever, kind of causes the rails to buckle and the train starts to derail, starts going up. So it was a pretty cool sequence. You know, obviously it's obviously it's all CG or whatever. It was what are not perfect, but it, it looked pretty cool because Superman has to catch, you know, hold on to the train. And then he uses his heat vision to try to, I'm assuming I'm no, um, whatever scientist or <laughs> i'm assuming he's heating up the rails to, to soften them up a little bit to try to get them back you know in place and then and he's trying to like guide them back in letting this putting the train back down this is all while it's still going and everything so the train is, is safe doesn't skip a beat you know keeps going tag got away so then back home uh you know jordan's there he said he, you know, he tried to fight back, but Tag was was stronger. In fact, he did not try to fight back. He just took off running. But Clark's like, you know, he you can heal faster, but you you can still get hurt. And uh, so he said, you know, Tag wanted answers because he thinks that you know Jordan caused this. And John's like, uh, you know, what if he says something? You know, because he thinks that Jordan has powers. And then uh, you know, Lois and Clark, they're like, well, you know, don't worry about it. Just go to bed, and you know, we're going to talk about this. So Lois is like, she says that she hates the internet, that, you know, this video is up online. And uh, her dad called. He says that he's he's on this. You know, he's looking into, he's going to, you know, whatever, help get tag. So it, I, apparently his powers developed faster or more intense than they thought. So he that's how he got away. And they're like, you know, it, it must be something in those minds. And Clark can't see what's going on in the mines. He can't see anything because it's, I don't know if it's lined with lead or they lined it with lead. If they, Morgan Edge did something, whatever. So Lois wants to find proof of evidence to get a court order so they can, you know, investigate or whatever. So next day, Jordan has a headache. You know, he keeps like hearing like just noises, just loud or whatever. Clark wants him to sit out the game tomorrow because whatever, you know, with his interaction with tag might still be affecting him but he's like i have to play he's like we're playing metropolis that's our old school and he's like i'm totally okay you know i'm, I'm fine and everything and clark's like okay you know if, if you're okay then after school you'll prove it so then we see morgan edge he gives a speech outside the mines and kyle's there he's happy and you know he talks to morgan uh you know because he's gonna give a lot of people jobs and everything like that he's with lana and, you know, he's like, oh, thanks, you know, whatever. And, he, and they're like, we'll do whatever we can to help. And then Morgan's like, oh, that's good to hear because he's like, you know, the Smallville team will need a strong leader. And he's like, and that's why I'm asking you to fill the role. And, and he says this to Lana because Kyle was like, like yeah, great. I, what can I do for you? And then he wants Lana because he's like, you know, the, the work that you did with the reverse mortgages shows that, you know, you really know your stuff. The people like you and they trust you. And, you know, she's like, I don't know what to say, whatever. He's like, well, when you see the starting salary, you'll say yes. So then, uh, you know, and Lois is there too. You know, she's just kind of like looking around, you know, because of the press conference, whatever. She can't, you know, do anything. The Marcus dude, Lex, the alternate world Lex, he's there as a reporter or whatever. He asked Lois if she's figured out a way to get inside the mines yet. And she's like, I'm doing just as well as you are. And then he's like, well, may the best reporter win. At uh, Smallville School, you know, Jordan's talking to John. John closes his locker, and it hurts Jordan's ears. And, you know, and then Sarah shows up, and she sees Jordan's face is, like, kind of bruised. She's like, what happened to your face? She's like, did you get in a fight on the way home? And then John's like, oh, no, you know, we were running plays this morning, and I juked him or, what, or whatever. He tripped or something. And so then she, 
she's talking about the game and they're like oh you're going to the game tomorrow she's like yeah you know that's what friends do and stuff like that so she goes off and then the the bell rings and jordan like crouches down because that's hurting his ears ears too and then his eyes start glowing you know so his head hurts so much that his his heat vision is going to go off so john has to like take him into the bathroom and he's like she's like you need to calm you need to breathe you need to calm down and everything and then he's like what what was that and Jordan says that since Tag jumped him, he's been hearing like a high pitched sound. And John's like, "Well, we have to tell Dad." And Jordan's like, "If we tell Dad, he's not gonna let me play." And Jordan's like, "He's like, I have to play." He's like, "We have to shut up those Metropolis guys." So basically, since Jordan was getting picked on, you know, by the the jocks, they were being bullies to him. So he wants to play to get basically get revenge against him. He wants to kind of put him in his space and their place since he has some powers now. And never mind the fact that things are going wonky with him. He doesn't know what's going. I mean, his eyes were glowing in the middle of school and he's like, oh no, we got to play. You got to, I got to do this. Kids, <laughs> you got to make smarter choices. Lois goes to see Kyle. Uh, she has reason to believe that Morgan is involved in illegal activities, so she wants uh, him and Lana. You know, he, she goes in, so she's talking to both of them. She wants them to help her get into the mines. And Kyle's like, he's like, Morgan Edge is helping the whole town, and you want us to go behind his back? And she's like, you know, I'm not alone with my suspicions. She's like, Superman's looking into it too, and he's just like, oh, you know, like kind of rolls his eyes or whatever. And then Lana's like, does Clark know? And she's like, she's careful. She's like, Clark doesn't know I'm here, which is true. You know, he probably doesn't know that she's that Lois is talking to him, but he, obviously he knows what's going on. And uh, Kyle's like, you know, I, I talked to a buddy who hasn't worked a long time, and you know, now he's going to be able to put food on the table and everything like that. And he's just he walks out. So Lana says that you know this is their chance to help the town, and she's basically like, you know, she's like, sorry, you know, we can't help you. And Lois tells Lana, she's like, you know that I respect you but something bad is happening and you might not find out until it's too late. So after school, Clark has the kids down in the cellar. He wants to do some training. There's he, there, there's this tarp. He pulls a tarp. There's this old log, like solid, like log petrified. I don't know what it is. And there's like some fist indentations. So then he tells, uh, George's like, what am I supposed to split this? He's like, no, just punch it. He's like, should I put gloves on? He's like, no, just trust me. So he hits it, and he's like, ah, ouch. He's like, okay, okay. So Clark's like, okay, you know, spread your feet apart, lean it, you know, transfer your the weight into it, whatever. And then John's like, just imagine it's Cutter's face right there. And so Cutter is like one of the, the jock bullies from Metropolis. So he punches it, and it makes he makes like an indentation, like a fist indentation. And they're like, yeah, yeah, woo. You know, they're all like happy and like that. And then uh, Clark gets a call. So uh, Lois's dad, Sam, calls. Harris, Tag, um, Tag Harris, he was spotted in Metropolis. So they have like some camera footage of him. So he's fast. He's hard to track. And Clark's like, well, that's where the boys football game is tomorrow. So maybe he's going to do something. He's going to show up there. And Sam says that, you know, he's like, I want to get him and, you know, put him away. You know, he attacked my grandson. And, you know, he's like, I, we need to incapacitate the threat. So then uh, Lana's talking to Sarah, her daughter. And uh, they're going to go, she, you know, she says she's going out to dinner 
with uh, Kyle, with, with her husband, with her dad, <laughs> to celebrate the promotion. And Sarah's like, oh, he finally got over himself and, and congratulated his wife. And she's like, were you listening? Whatever. And she's like, the, the walls are thin. So she, then, then uh, Sarah's like, she's like, okay, but you know, I can watch Sophie. But Lana's like, well, what about the football game? And and you know, Sarah's like, you know, this this is important. Whatever, that's fine, and all this like that. And as they're talking, you know, they're sitting in the living room. We see tags like sitting outside their house, and it's like, could he hear them? Or you know, what's why is he being a creeper out there? So now it's it's uh, the day of the football game. So we're at Metropolis High School. The, the the game is on. It's thirteen to seven. Metropolis is in the lead. Coach decides to put Jordan in. Um, one of the kids, I'm assuming it's Cutter. I don't remember. He starts taunting uh, Jordan, and as the coach or the ref blows a whistle, it hurts his ear, and because of that, he misses uh, blocking the quarterback. The quarterback gets sacked, and he gets hurt. So I was like, oh, man, George, you know, all stuff like that. So uh, Lois is talking to Clark about what's going on. And, you know, she's so she's not even there. She's at home working. And she asked that, you know, with everything is going on, you know, is he sure that Jordan's OK? And he's like, yeah, you know, but, you know, there, there may be something that he's not, you know, telling me or whatever. So John, uh, meanwhile, goes up to the coach. He's like, you know, we need to throw, you know, and the coach is like, but we don't have a quarterback. And John's like, you have me. And he's like, you know, I, I, I can do it. And he's like, okay, fine, whatever. He's like, run does whatever, blah, 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 play. So there, there's more taunting. Uh, they, they say something. He says something to John about his ex-girlfriend and now she's with him or someone or whatever. So the, the play starts. Jordan makes a big block, knocks the kid back. John throws, touchdown. And Jordan's like taunting Cutter. He's like, oh, yeah, what do you think of that? You know, or whatever while he's done. And then Clark grabs you know because he's like rein it in or you're done he's like what he's like you know what i'm talking about so he's talking about his powers so then there's a a knock on lois's door and uh, she gets up she's like you know she's not expecting him she doesn't know what's going on so she has her superman call device ready and she's like who is it and you hear it's, it's your new best friend so it's marcus Lex Luthor, the Lex Luthor, General Luthor, whatever the heck you want to call him, the stranger, the visitor, what is his name? Stranger, visitor. <laughs> so he he's at the door and he's like, are you still willing to share the byline or whatever? Because he's like, a friend of mine got a couple of inspector badges and he like shows her. He's like, one's for you, for you if you want it. And she's like, you just happen to get not one, but two badges and you're willing to give me one? And he's like, well, you know, they're working around the clock. You know, they're, they're under a lot of pressure. You know, they got people coming and going. And he's like, a lone black guy might be suspicious going in there. But, you know, the two of us together, we could probably get in. So then we see Lana and Sophie. They're watching TV. And you're kind of not really arguing. They're trying to find something to watch because Sophie just wants to watch cartoons or something like that. And uh, then uh, she, the doorbell rings. She's like, oh, that must be the pizza guy, whatever. She's like, okay, go go change for bed or something like that, and then you know we'll, we'll watch whatever you want. So she goes, it's not the pizza guy. It's Tag. And she's like, oh, you back in your town? I thought you were with your dad or something like that. He's like, the truth is complicated. So then he's like, you know, you were always my friend. And as, as he's talking, his hands all suddenly starts vibrating. And she's like, no. So she like closed the door, but he puts his hand up to stop it. And the vibration knocks the door like off the hinges. I think it knocked it off the hinges. She goes flying back. I can't remember if it knocked it off the hinges or just forced it open. Shoves her back. She hits her head like on a table. It's like in the hall there. 
and she's knocked out. And then uh, it cuts to back to the football game. So uh, Smallville wins. The Crows win. Jordan's, uh, but the, on the last play, Jordan's getting piled on. You know, there's a bunch of guys are on him. And then he's like underneath there and his eyes start glowing. So Clark runs up to him and then, you know, they dispersed. And Jordan's like, I can't hold it in. So then Clark puts his hands in front of his face because his head's like on the ground. You know, he's all, and he's like, just just let it out. And you can see that like Clark's actually feeling it. So he's, you know, containing it in his hand and whatever. So then Lana and Kyle come home. And, you know, she's talking to Lana. So she's like, I really had a good time tonight and everything. And she's like, you know, is it going to be, are you going to be okay? You know, because there might be longer hours and, you know, you have to do stuff with the kids and everything like that. And he's like, you know, that that's fine. He's like, you know, we'll do what we got to do. He's like, you know, yeah, I, I was a little upset at first, but it, it's fine. He's like, you know, I'm real proud of you. Sophie comes in the kitchen. She's like, oh, did you bring any dessert? And they're like, Sophie, what are you doing up? It's past your bedtime. And they're like, Where, where's Sarah? She's like, oh, I, I think she's in her bedroom. So Kyle goes and checks on her. Then he comes back. She's not there. So then they're like, well, it's not like her to leave Sophie alone. He's like, well, I'll go check the security cam footage. So back in Metropolis, Clark is talking to Jordan and John in, in the hotel room. And Jordan's like, I'm fine. He's like, no, you're not. He's like, you detonated like a bomb in front of a, a crowd of people. He's like, what if I wasn't there? And Clark said, you know, he's like, was there anything leading up to this? And Jordan's like, like, no, you know, I was just got caught up in a moment, everything like that. And John's like, he's like, that's not true. And John's like, Jordan. And then he's, he's like, dad needs to know. So he tells him and, uh, you know, Jordan's like, well, you know, this was, this was my shot at showing the D bags, you know, who I am. He's like, I just wanted to be good at something. Clark's like, that's not what the powers are for. And Jordan's like, I'm not you. Okay. And, you know, so as this is going on, Lana calls and Clark's like, hey, Lana, he's like, can I call you? I can't talk right now. Can I call you back? But she's like, oh, yeah, but uh, is, is Sarah, did she go to the game? You know, she was supposed to be here watching Sophie, whatever. And then Kyle, like, walks in while she's on the phone. He's like, is this the Harris kid? You know, he, there's a, he can see a footage from the, the whatever security cam. And Clark hears this. So then he gets off the phone or he's like, he tells Jordan, he's like, you stay here. And he says, the John, you too, you stay here. And they're like, well, what's going on? And he does, like, doesn't say anything to him. He just like leaves. So in the mines, uh, Marcus has a laser cutter. And Lois is like, you came prepared. So you know, he's like cutting into some stuff. Meanwhile, we see Tag has Sarah on this like, old building. So she's like on this old mattress, whatever. She gets up and she's like, what the hell? She's like, where are we? And Tag's like, we're in Metropolis. And she's like, how? He's like, that's the thing. He's like, I can move pretty fast. And you see there's like a pile of worn out shoes like next, you know, next to where she's laying. Lois in the mind, she's like, so a high-tech gadget guy works for LexCorp only to quit and become a journalist? She's like, did I get that right? And she's like, I think I should be focusing the story on you. So he's like cutting through like, you know, the wall, whatever. He makes a little hole and he's like, the real story is what's in this cave. So he pulls out like a piece of like, this is... Um, XK, otherwise known as X kryptonite. He's like, it's with the rarest form of kryptonite. And so he's saying that these mines must have the largest supply. He's like, there's your story. And then you hear a voice, too bad no one's going to read it. So it's Leslie Lahr, Morgan's uh, assistant who has powers. She zaps at them with, with her heat vision and they like duck out of the way. Back at the Metropolis hotel room, you know, John's like, there's nothing 
they were looking at the news, nothing about that on the news, and then uh, maybe it was Jordan, then John's like, nothing on the internet, whatever. They were each looking at something. And then John asks Jordan, he's like, are you still mad at me? He's like, no. He's like, I'm just a little tired of being told what to do. Then there's a pounding on the door. They open up. It's it's the boys, the, the team. So they, they're like, yeah, we paid some millennials to get us a sixer so we can celebrate properly. They're like, come on, let's go. The liquor store is just up the street. And John's like, I, you know, our dad said we had to stay here. And Jordan's like, come on, you know, let's just go. Just, just live a little or whatever. So John's like, okay. Marcus, uh, you know, they're, they're ducking around a corner. He does something to his laser cutter thing, and he zaps uh, Leslie with it, and it sends her flying back and knocks her out. So this is just like a regular laser cutter. Somehow it has like some con- concussive blast. Superman's floating. He's outside Metropolis. He's like listening, and then he finally hears Sarah mention Tag. So he you know goes to make his way. Tag shows her the video, and he's like, See that flare? He's like, I think it came from Jordan or whatever. He's like, he did something to me. She's like, and he's like, you know him. Did he tell you something that, that could help me? And Superman arrives. And he's like, don't run. He's like, I'm here to help you. So then we see the Smallville football team. They're out celebrating. They're just like out hanging out in the streets and stuff like that. And then wouldn't you know it, the Metropolis kids show up. So Cutter's like, blah, blah, blah. Oh, Jojo, looks like you're doing better and everything. So and then Jordan finally stands up to him. It's it's cutting back and forth between uh, the the kids, the boys, and Tag and Superman. So Superman's like, "You need to, you know, come with me." And Tag's like, "No." He's like, "You took me to that place." And Superman's like, "I didn't know what it was like." He's like, "I give you my word. I'm gonna get you help." And he's like, "And we need to leave because the DOD is coming." And they like bust in at that moment. They all have rifles out. Back on the streets, Cutter's like taunting and everything like that. He ends up like shoving Jordan, and he's like, he's like, why don't you shut shut me up? And he's like patting his cheek. He's like, right here, right here. And so John's like, don't do it, whatever. So, but then finally Jordan goes to punch him because he he pushes John out of the way. So he goes to punch Cutter in the face, but then John comes in, tries to block the punch, tries to grab his hand. His hand's busted. The DOD uh, soldiers are, they end up like firing because Tag starts vibrating because he's like freaking out. So the soldiers start shooting him because he's vibrating. So Superman zooms zooms in front of Tag to block the bullets. One soldier shoots around like kryptonite darts. There's like four of them all in one. And it's like in slow motion. Hits Superman in the shoulder. And he's like, ah, he goes down on the ground and his eyes start glowing. So he's like slowly gets up. It looks like this is what I I love the scene because it looks like he's angry. Not that I want angry Superman because obviously we have plenty. We've had plenty of that. But this was just a good scene because he's trying to protect a kid, you know, a kid that was getting shot at. So he struggles to to get up and then he grabs like the darts and he like rips them out of out of his shoulders and he like screams and he's like throws him like across the, the the room and he blasts him with his heat vision and then shoom, he like zoops zips up in front of the soldier's face he's like stand down and then it cuts to uh superman's talking to sam and he's like well i didn't i don't know what you're upset about he's like the girl is safe on our way back home and the subject's back in custody superman's like his name is tag and Superman, he's like, you know, I thought about all the ways, you know, we, I could 
try to stop the boy, never occurred to me that you'd use live rounds, let alone ones fitted with kryptonite. And Sam's like, well, he's like, my job is to protect American people by any means necessary. And Superman's like, and now I know. And then he like hears something, like the kids, you know, hears his, his Jonathan and Jordan, and he zips off. And Sam's like, uh, uh. so then Lois is, you know, outside the mine. She's walking up to Mark, and she's like, hey, she's like, are, are we just going to talk about what happened back there? And she's like, you know, you're armed to the teeth with the kind of weapons that would put you on the Fed's most wanted list. And she's like, you know, and I sent sent a friend of mine a copy of the badge, and she said it was like one of the best forgeries that she's ever seen. She's like, so why don't you tell me why you're really in Smallville? Because I don't buy that you're just trying to write a story. And he's like, I can't tell you why I'm here, but I can tell you that I'm trying to prevent something bad from happening. And then she gets a call from Clark, and she's like, oh, okay, I'll be right there. He's like, is everything okay? And she's like, to be continued. So then it cuts to like later at, at the farm. Clark's says, well, you know, the cast can come off in six to eight weeks. And Lois is like, you know, it could have been worse. And John's like, yeah. And, and you know, maybe I, I'll get full range motion back. Jordan's like, I'm sorry. He's And he's like, John's just like, just shut up. He's like, please. He's like, John, Jordan's like, you know, I never meant to. But John's like, but you did. You did. You got emotional. And I tried to step in the middle of it like an idiot. And now I got a broke-ass arm and I'll probably never play quarterback. So thanks. So then he he's like, I'm going to bed. And Clark, you know, he tells Jordan, he's like, you know, John is upset and has every right to be. He's like, I told you your powers come with responsibility. He's like, I need you to understand that. And, you know, he, he's understanding. And Lois is like, you know, yeah, accidents happen. You know, that is right. Things are different now. Jordan's like, I, I understand that now. And Clark is like, do you? He's like, you made a big point at the hotel to say that you weren't like me, but you you're you are. He's like, the anger that you had that makes you want to use your powers, he's like, I have those feelings too. And Jordan's like, you do? He's like, yes, but I keep those feelings in check. Otherwise, I lose their trust. He's like, you know, there was a lot of talk about me when I first showed up. And, he, uh, you know, other people were more afraid of my powers than I was. He's like, every time I use my power, that trust is tested. Every time. He's like, just today, in fact. He's like, the thing about trust, Jordan, once you break it, it takes a lot longer to heal than a wrist. So then Lois like, why don't you get some sleep and we'll talk about it in the morning. So then she's talking to Clark, you know, she's like, he's just confused. You know, he's not ready for this. And Clark's like, I know. He's like, but neither was I. Lois is like, you know, this is probably isn't the best time to tell you, but I almost got killed tonight. And he's like, what? And she's like, yeah, I, I got <laughs> help. Uh, with the yeah, I, or I, I got by with the help of a supposed journalist and you know she's like have you ever heard of X kryptonite and Clark's like no but back up it's like what you almost got and she's like Leslie Lahr came after us and, and she has powers she's like oh and Marcus he isn't a journalist and we need to figure out what he has on Morgan Edge so then it's the next day I guess Sarah is over um, Lana's over in, inside with, with Lois but Jordan's like, are you okay? And she's like, I know Tag, I've, I've known Tag my whole life, and now he has powers. She's like, I knew that he'd never hurt me, and you know, and she's like, he was pretty focused on on you, Jordan, and you know, he, he, she's like, he showed me a, a video from the night of the bonfire, and you know, he's, you know, she shows in the video, she's like, he had this whole theory that whatever gave him his powers has something to do with you, and so and he's like looking at the video, and Jordan's like. I don't know why he said that. 
And, he, and she's like, you know, even if there was something, you know, you could tell me, right? He's like, of course, yeah. But he doesn't tell her anything. So then inside, Lois asks Lana how she's doing. And, you know, she thinks about what could have happened. And, you know, Sarah told Tag that, or Sarah told her that Tag had special abilities and that he's not sh- sure how he got them. He's like, clearly that has something to do with the mines. And so she's like, you know, what, what aren't you telling me? And Lois is like, I haven't put it all together yet. And Lana's like, well, you know, if, if I can help you find out what Morgan Edge is doing, if he's doing something illegal, you know, I'll, I'll help you. Lois like, you know, he's a very powerful man. Are you sure you want to do that? Lana's like, you know, if it helps protect other people, she's like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll help. So Lois is like, well, does Kyle know anything about this? And she's like, no, it's probably best if he doesn't know about it just yet. And Lois is like, okay. So then Lois, uh, Lois, Lois, Lois tells Jordan, you know, they're, they're sitting outside the, the, on the, the porch when Lana and Sarah leave. She's like, you know, I think we have a ton of Rocky Road in the freezer and I, I can't handle it all by myself. And Jordan's like, what do you think? I'm six? She's like, no, but, you know, I, I, th- I kind of wish that you were this morning, whatever. And Jordan's like, I don't know how to fix it. She's like, I hurt John bad. He's like, I can still hear his bones cracking. And Lois is like, it was an accident. And he's like, yeah. And, and tag, that was an accident too. He's like, and I had to look Sarah in the eyes. She just wanted the truth. And I had to lie to the one friend I have. He's like, I thought these powers would get me closer to people, but all it's done is bring me further away. And she's like, oh, come here, kiddo. And she hugs him. And he's like crying. He's like, I just wanted to end. And then there's a high-pitched ringing. And he, he falls, he collapses. And she's, Clark! She screams him. And he's like, I got to get him to the fortress. So he looks at him. And I don't know if his head was glowing. It was like kind of like a yellowish glow. Or I don't know if Superman was using like his x-ray vision on him. But there was like some glowing. He grabs him. And they fly off. So he's going to take him to the fortress to find out like what the heck is going on. So that was the episode. So that was pretty, again, even though you got all this kid drama, whatever, I'm, I'm digging it. I'm enjoying it. I, I, I think everyone's doing a, a, a great job. So I, I was glad it's back. Okay. Then the bad batch season one, episode four cornered. This was a, a good episode, but it felt like it flew by and like at the heart of it, it doesn't really feel like there's a whole lot to it. So I feel like this is going to be like like a fast recap. But even though it went fast, there's some some cool things that that happen here. So we we finally see the appearance of a certain character who was uh, mentioned that, that they were going to be in in this the show whatever. So it starts off the the clones of Bad Batch. They're they want to go to this planet, um, Ildefor or something like the Ildefor. And Wrecker's like, I thought that place wasn't even inhabited. And Hunter's like, yeah, that's what makes it a perfect place to hide. But Tech's like, you know, it, it kind of doesn't matter because we don't really have enough fuel to get there. And we're, we're pretty much out of rations. And he's like, you know, since the Republic isn't giving us supplies, we have to get them on our own now. Echo comes in because, you know, they're on a ship. And he's like, he's like yeah, and we're also like on a, whatever the Empire's wanted list. Tech's like, well, I, I can change that, but, you know, we'll, we'll have to land someplace so I can, you know, work, do some work or whatever, do that. So the nearest planet is uh, someplace called Pantora. And Omega's excited because, you know, she wants to go somewhere else because, you know, she wants to explore. She's just been on Camino her whole life. So then when she hears like Pantora, you know, I don't think she knows anything about it, but 
it's just it's some place to go to so another planet is, is good with her we see Pantora. It looks like it's a pretty busy planet. Uh, you know, not quite like Coruscant, but kind of similar. Like maybe you know, a, a smaller version of it, or slightly less busy. They land at the spaceport, and the, the dude running the place, he like suspiciously like looks at his screen on his little iPad device thing, and uh, you know, text talking about that they're gonna have to scrabble the, sh- the the ship's signature key so no one can detect him or whatever. The dude comes up to him, and you know, he he's like, oh, I'm gonna have to. Uh, scan your ship and records like kind of steps in in front of him he's like oh you know you don't have to do that whatever and he's like oh yeah i, I could skip that basically he wants to get paid off so tech has to give him some credits like is that enough and then the guy's still holding his hand out so that he has to give him some more and then uh then the dude goes back in his office and of course he calls someone you know he's like the ship is here or whatever i think you're looking for this he calls fennec shand so from the Mandalorian, so Ming Na Wen's character, and uh, she, so she's on her ship, and she pulls up a, a hole of Omega, so she's interested in Omega, and you know she's like, you know, keep them there, and I'll make it worth your while or whatever. So Hunter is going to go out to, um, with Echo to try to sell some stuff. Like there's this one explosive, and Wrecker's like, oh, that's our last explosive or whatever, but they need money. And uh, then Wrecker is not happy that he and Tech have to stay and do repairs while they go sightseeing. And Omega's like, sightseeing? And Hunter's like, no, we're not, we're not going sightseeing. It's a supply run. And so Omega's happy either way because she gets to go with. Now, that's the other thing. It's like, I, I guess maybe Hunter wanted just to keep an eye on her. But it's like, why not keep her on the ship while they do the repairs? You know, I guess they're not going to be able to keep an eye on her. Maybe he wants to keep an eye on her. I don't know. But it seems like it would be more dangerous to take her out into some strange city where they're already on a wanted list. So anyways, uh, as they're walking around, there's people all over the streets and you, like a bunch of clone troopers are walking, kind of like not really like a, a per, like a, they're marching along. People are cheering them. They also notice that there's like a chain code post like on the other planet where you can turn in your Republic credits and get new, you know, Imperial credits or whatever and your identity thing, whatever. So Hunter goes to like some shop and he's going to try to sell the stuff and he like gives an explosive, but the guy doesn't want it. He's like, I'm a reputable, you know, businessman or whatever. And then, um, but then he sees Echo who's like in disguise, like a droid. He's like, well, I'll, I'll buy your, your droid. I was like, I'll give you 2000 for it. So then he, or Hunter goes to talk to Echo and, you know, there's like, well, you know, let's just do this, whatever. He's like, it's like, oh man. But then he's like, but I'm, I'm worth more than that. So Hunter tries saying like 4,000, the guy's like 3,000, whatever. So the idea is, you know, he'll sell them. Then when they get, you know, the repairs done and then he'll call Echo and he can like leave the place basically. So they're going to pull a scam on, on him. And while they're, they're negotiating whatever, because o- Omega saw this little like clone trooper doll and I don't, I'm assuming they're, they paid for it too. But then she sees these little like alien dog creatures. They're like sluggish dog, whatever, in the back of this little vehicle. And, and they're like barking. And she's like, oh, and she goes and pets one or whatever. But then one grabs the, the doll out of her hand and then the vehicle keeps going. So she has to go after it. And, and then while this happens, Fennec somehow is like right there in this busy city and sees her. So she starts going after Omega. Hunter gets his credits. And uh, the get the owner takes um, Echo into the back, and then Hunter notices that Omega's gone. So then we we see her. She's lost in the streets, and she kind of gets bumped around. And you know she's turned around, doesn't know what's going on. There's you know little vehicles zipping by, and and all this stuff. Then this woman comes up and asks if she's all right, 
and it's Fennec. She took off her helmet to look less intimidating. And, you know, Omega's like, oh, I got separated from my friends. And, and Fennec's like, well, you know, I can help you find them. So then Hunter's like out looking for Omega and he sees a clone trooper doll that got, you know, knocked or dropped on the floor. Then Fennec asks Omega, she's like, are you hungry? And she's like, yeah, but I don't have any credits. So Fennec kind of bumps into some alien carrying a, like a bunch of food or whatever. And so she bends down and, and starts picking up the stuff that fell out of this like bag thing. And, and she puts a couple of things like in her helmet. And she, while she's doing this, Fennec sees that, or Omega sees that Fennec has a blaster. So then um, the alien leaves and Fennec gives her some food. And then Omega's like, are you a soldier? And she's like, no. And she's like, well, why do you have a blaster? And Fennec's like, to protect myself. And, you know, she's like, I'm just, you know, out here on my own or whatever. And Omega's like, well, you know, if you're alone, you should come with us. And you know, she's like, that might not be a bad idea. But it's like, oh, so here's some person she just meets. And she's just going to invite whoever. <laughs> you know, they don't have any any rations for themselves. And so she just invites someone else to, to go with them. But then uh, Hunter catches up with him and calls out to him. And he tells Omega to step away from her. And she's like, you know, so Fennec starts making a move. They, they, it's shoot out, shooting each other. Then, you know, fights. He throws a knife and fighting with the knives and everything like that and fists. And then he, he Hunter grabs Fennec like by her wrist and kind of like bends him a little bit. So she has to like drop her blaster and drop the, the knife. But then she headbutts him because she put the helmet back on. So it kind of like knocks him out. So they then um, Omega was able to kind of get away and Fennec's trying to you know catch up to her. So Hunter calls Tech and Wrecker, says that he lost Omega. Someone attacked them. So Tech's like, okay, I'm going to hack into the street security footage because there's like cameras everywhere, and Wrecker is going to go off to you know try to try to help out. Echo is in uh, the back of the shop. There's some other droids there, and he wants to take them to fix the ship. There's a little like a uh, confrontation because like this one protocol protocol droid claims that it was the one that was in charge of the droids and everything, but then when it saw that Echo was human, it was going to report him, but then he convinces it. Con, you know, quote unquote, convinces it not to, and so I mean, he's, he's like, he's going to take them to fix the ship because they're going to have to leave in a hurry. Omega's running off on her own. She sees like a little uh, maintenance tunnel hatch, so she's going to go down there. Echo sees her on a camera go down there, and he notices that she has company that, like, you know, Phoenix, like right, right behind. So he tells the other, he gives the coordinates. Uh, he tells them wh where where she's at. Wrecker somehow gets there down in the tunnel and then he finds her. So then he you know picks her up and they're, they're headed towards the ship. Then Fennec's like right behind them. So he tells Omega to get to the ship. He'll he'll take care of her. So he'll take care of Fennec. Um, he charges at her. She kind of uses his mo momentum, whatever, to make him like slam into the wall. And he gets like knocked out like that easily. Some like gas or something, steam blasts him. But I don't know why that would knock him out. So Omega climbed up this ladder, but then when she comes out of a hatch, she's like way high up on a building. It's like, how far up did she climb? Because, you know, she just went down from the street level, I, I thought. And, you know, she like closed the door and kind of like bolted her or something like that. But then, you know, she sees how high she is and it's just like this little little ledge thing. There's like a kind of like a blaster bolt because I'm assuming Fennec's like trying to blast open the door. So she kind of like stumbles back and almost falls up. And then, you know, she's like hanging on to the edge while you know all these vehicles are, are zipping by beneath her 
So then she's hanging and hanging. Um, they, they see on a camera where she is. She slips. She's falling. But then Fennec grabs her as she slips off. So Hunter had stole like a speeder bike. So he sees them. Fennec kind of drops Omega like on this like truck transport, like space thing that's going beneath them. And she jumps down um, with it. So Hunter is coming up behind him. Fennec starts shooting at him. Omega sees like a lever thing for the transport and kind of and hits it. So the back end kind of it's kind of like a like almost like a space uh, dump truck because <laughs> then the back end starts going up. So like the the bundles of stuff start like falling back and Fennec gets gets knocked off and she falls on this other vehicle uh, beneath her. So she she climbs around to the the driver, bangs his head on it and just like flings him out. So he's dead. <laughs> just kills this this guy. She also like shot some in, in other people. She has no problem killing innocents. So Hunter's continuing to to chase. Uh, Omega's like still on a, the first transport thing. He's like kind of hanging onto a strap, and then she starts falling. Hunter manages to catch her. Uh, he still has the explosive that he tried selling that the guy wouldn't buy. So he throws it at Fennec's vehicle. She sees it, jumps out, r- rolls, you know, lands on the street, and then uh, the, the vehicle blows up or whatever. She has like a slight limp, and she just sees him like take off. She's not happy. So back at the ship, the, the droids fix the ship. Hunter and Omega arrived, and they're like, "You, we have to go now." And Wrecker, he comes running up. He was upset before with like like some uh, police troopers like zip by him. He's like, "Oh man, I'm missing all the action." So he gets there, and then uh, they they're getting ready to leave. And then like the the port the ship port dude comes out. He's like, no no no, you can't. I don't, I don't know if he said you didn't you didn't pay me or she didn't pay me. I think he said you. I don't know. But then they take off, and then uh, on the ship, Hunter's trying to figure out. He's like, she has to be uh, a bounty hunter, and Omega appears to be the target. So Hunter's like, we have to find out who she is and who hired her. So then uh, Fennec approaches a ship port guy and he's like backing away. He's, you know, because he's like, oh crap, you know, they got away and I was supposed to keep them here. And I, I think she paid him. She gives him something. It was either credits or a com. I think it was, it was probably a credit. And she's like, if they come back, you know how to contact me. And then she calls someone on her com. She's like, the target got away, but I'll find her. So we don't know who hired her. You know, is it, uh, I don't know, because who would be after her? Because. And the whole thing is like, what was her role on on Camino, and you know, because the day was like when she left, it didn't seem like there's any mention of that. So I don't think it's Tarkin. Uh, would he know? Does he? I don't know. So I'm curious to who 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 hired her, and we'll have to see how how this goes. But it, so it was cool to to see Fennec's character here, you know, because she was cool. I mean, one, I I love Ming Na Wen. I think she's super awesome. And so, you know, I was glad to see her in The Mandalorian. So, and it's cool that we have her on this show now to get a little more continuity or whatever connection between the two, even though it's, you know, different time periods and all that. But I, I, so, but then that's what I was trying to think about. Like, how much, so this is definitely obviously, like, definitely obviously, this is a younger Fennec and that. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, like, her in her younger days. And I don't know how much more she'll be, like, how often she'll be in, in the show. But it, it's cool to have her established here at, at this point. Okay, then uh, this week's feature. So uh, it was a, basically like a, a change of plans. Originally, it was going to be Zack Snyder's uh, Army of the Dead. But 
it was Thursday night, so I'm like, okay, so the movie's coming out Friday. I need to, you know, and and I try recording, you know, on on Fridays if I can, Friday afternoon, so then I could start doing some editing Saturday or Sunday or whatever, and then you know, post it Sunday night. So I was like, I'm gonna have to watch this movie. You know, I work Friday, and you know, I teach. Then I got to watch this movie. It's and it's two and a half hours. So I was like, well, maybe Netflix will drop it early, you know, Thursday night, but they didn't. But then I noticed Hulu dropped Modoc early. And originally I was going to watch all of Modoc and have it be the feature for next week, have it the whole season be the feature. But then since it dropped early, I was like, well, I got absolutely nothing. Well, I have other stuff I could watch. I didn't have anything to watch. So I was like, why don't I just start watching Modoc? And then as I'm watching this and I was like, you know, why don't I just make Modoc the feature? Because I'm super excited. I'm more excited for Modoc than Army of the Dead. You know, I, I'm I'm curious, to, you know, about Army of the Dead and all that. But it's a zombie movie. It's a Zack Snyder movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it'll be good. But is Mod? I mean, I love Modoc. You know, as, as you you may be aware. And I I was just super excited. Can't wait. So I was like, okay, well, why don't I do this? So I ended up watching the five episodes, 10 episodes in a season. And since it's Hulu, they dropped all, all 10 episodes at once. So I ended up watching the first five and I was like, okay, I'm going to force myself to stop there. Plus it was like, it was like just after midnight. I was like, I should probably try to get some sleep since I got to work the next day. And then I figured, so what I could do is, is watch the first five for this week and then do the second five next week. And then, you know, Army of the Dead can be the feature for next week. So that way, kind of spreads it out. So it's not like a super long MODOK segment this week. It, we'll just split it up. So, and the show is great. I love it. it. It looks like robot chicken type style, you know, and it's it's hilarious. There's a t- lot of cameos, a lot of, of obscure characters, like B-list villains and stuff like that that you wouldn't expect. Some I was surprised by a couple. And, uh, you know, Pat Oswalt is great. And like John Hamm, I think he's Iron Man. So, you know, we, we have some other... You know, there's there's some there's some names attached to this, so it's 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 a great show. So here we go, F- five episodes, episode one, one hundred one. If this be Modoc, so it starts off thirty five years ago. We see this boy crying, and you know he, he's it's Modoc as a kid. You know he comes home from school. They broke his invention. They call him Big Head, and his mom's like, you know, oh that's okay. You know one of these days, you know they'll they'll see. You know you're gonna grow up, and you know you'll change the world. So then it cuts to today. Modak is attacking S.H.I.E.L.D. agents with his AIM soldiers. Iron Man shows up, starts firing on him. And he's like kind of talking as he's firing, as he's fighting. And Modak's like, are you watching the Great British Bake Off you know, while, while you're watching? And so he was. And then as they're fighting, Modak ends up, he, he somehow managed to get one of Iron Man's boots. <laughs> and you know, then they, they make their escape. So then at AIM headquarters, you know, advanced idea mechanics, uh, Monica comes out and, you know, so it's like his coworker and she's complaining. So Ma- Monica Rappuccini, she, she works with AIM and she basically, she doesn't like MODOK. They're, you know, they're, they're kind of like competing against each other or whatever. So she's, she's complaining a bunch, what a bunch of stuff. And, you know, she's like, you know, Iron Man knew, that, you know, that we were coming because you tweeted about it, whatever. And then, uh, we, then we see like the opening it's there's not much of opening credits but it's it, yeah it was just like really really short and really brief and but uh so then it's end of the day and some aim soldiers or whatever you want to call them they're like you know where does he go at you know where does modok go no one knows he goes in this like secret tunnel or whatever and he comes out 
in like a garage because you know there's even like a little tennis ball hanging out you know uh, over whatever and and then he's like you know he looks all menacing then he's like oh man no one took the cans out so he has to take the garbage out like one tips over and he's like oh. so then uh his wife jody she's excited because uh she, she's she has like a book or you know she's some she got some promotion whatever they have a super adaptoid in the living room and they're just using it for whatever, like, you know, they, they make it turn, turn into a blender to make a smoothie and, and stuff like that. Um, the mom wants Modoc to talk to their son, Lou. So Lou looks like a normal kid, they, you know, because they spent all day at the mall looking for a bar mitzvah suit. And, he, you know, he, I think, I forget what he, he wanted like a special suit for doves to come out or something like that. And then their daughter, Melissa, she comes in. So Melissa looks more like Modoc. And, you know, she's upset. She talks about like, this drama with her friends and she got mad at one of her friends and ended up catfishing her and all this stuff or whatever and and she's the one that got in trouble even though she was upset and yeah and then uh so then back at work budget reports um monica comes in with this nasty dog experiment thing or whatever so she basically wants modok to step down so she can run aim and then the accountant's like well you know it doesn't matter because we're bankrupt so you know there's no there's not gonna be an aim for anyone to run Modoc has a big plan to save AIM, and uh, he's he's about you know he's going over to plan, but then the power goes off because they couldn't pay the bill, and basically his plan is like to rob Fort Knox is what it comes down to. This helicopter shows up, and there's this like kind of like this hipster annoying guy named Austin Vandersleet, and he works for this this uh, app company or whatever called Grumble, like with that just an L at the end, like kind of whatever, and. Uh, he says they want to buy a controlling stake in AIM. So Modoc's not really keen on this. You know, he has his brain, tr- brain trust at his house. He has a bunch of just AIM soldiers, which is weird because I thought no one knew where he went, but then now they're in his living room. And uh, his wife says, you know, maybe it's time for him to let AIM go. You know, she's making enough money for both of them. And then Austin shows up because, you know, I don't know. He's seen figure out where he lives. He wants to take Modoc to a, a fancy restaurant. So they, they go to... Fin Fang Farm to Table. So we get first cameo besides Iron Man. We get Fin Fang Foom and he's like serving them and he like torches, you know, some like critter thing and he like flames it, you know, fire breath. And then Austin takes him to this like party or some, I don't know if it was a show or whatever. Then he takes him to arcade. Then they have to stop by Grumble Headquarter. And so it looks like Modoc's going to let Grumble invest in AIM. Then he shows up at AIM the next day. There's like a ping pong table. There's like a cereal bar. And in his torture chamber room, it was turned into a daycare. So Modoc's not happy. There, he also had this really big like, mural with, I think it was like a naked Modoc on there. But it, they're starting to cover it up because someone complained about its inappropriateness. Which And Monica's like, it was me. I complained because she doesn't like him. So he wants things back to normal. But Austin's like, uh, no, because you signed over creative control. So Modoc is then going to be forced to take a three-day sabbatical suspension because he tried like zapping Austin, whatever. Technically, he find he finds out that they haven't taken over yet because Grumble has to approve the contract. So he decides he has to force Austin to change his mind. So he's going to try to do some mind manipulation thing, whatever. So he met Modoc somehow reverse engineered pim particles. And he puts them into like these chewy things. So he's going to shrink himself and then shoot himself into Austin via dart gun. So they, they, they go outside uh, Austin's office and he's like, gets ready 
um, they they shoot, but someone else was in the office and they they get in the way, so they they get hit with the the thing, and so now Modok is inside this other person. So he kind of looks through. It turns out it's his wife, and uh, so she's meeting with Austin. Something you know, because with her her and her book dealer, whatever, and stuff like that. But then um, Austin's like, oh, you know, by the way, I just need to finish you know signing these forms. So he's trying to do it. So Modok goes through this whole thing about whether or not he he can take over his wife's body for this and then he's like going through like her memories and then there's like it doesn't even she's like well you know i'll support you how i can so he's like oh she just said i could hijack her body so she's like trying to knock the pen out of his hand and all this it just escalates and everything like that and then they find out that you know he's there so he um comes out and uh he's not able to to get him to stop signing so then he takes some stuff and he makes a new tab because one of the things that austin said is is that he they want like a new tablet you know like that's part of the deal and then you know they, they can do like other things that they want so modak just he's like here's your new tablet and he's like but you know you need to rehire my guys and stuff like that so then at dinner uh jody's not happy with like what happened and everything like that so they talk and and she's like basically i want a divorce so that's the end of the first episode. So then episode one or two, the Modoc that time forgot. Lou and Melissa are running around. They're putting their names and everything. And they're basically claiming things because their parents are splitting up or whatever. And then they, they come to the super adaptoid and neither one of them wants it. So super adaptoid is kind of upset. Modoc's like, he's like, I'm, I'm just moving out. I'm not dead or whatever. Melissa's kind of sad. She looks at, she's like, oh, I'm sad. I'm sad to see dad's CD collection. She's like, who still has CDs? And Lou like looks at her. He's like, "Who's Hoobastank?" And Modoc's like, "They're the, the Beatles of the '90s." Then he's like, "Who's the Beatles? They're the Hoobastank of the '60s." And Jody looks and she sees this uh, Third Eye Blind CD, <laughs> and she thinks back, you know, because they're they're supposed to go to this concert, but they miss it or whatever. And then he tells her, he's like, "Oh, you can keep it. You can keep that CD, but you know, I, I can't part with it, so I should probably just stick around." And she's like, "No." She's like, "You need to make an appointment for the movers to come and take your stuff." So then at AIM headquarters, he's uh, he's hacking into S.H.I.E.L.D. servers because he wants uh, his time machine that they stole. He, um, he talks to Gary. So Gary's this one dude who um, Modag zapped his arm off. So he's like a one-armed AIM soldier. So he's talking to, to Gary about um, the time machine and how he wants to use it to save his marriage and everything. So he, he figures that he'll they can go to that Third Eye Blind concert but then Austin comes in. He sees he has like the CD there. He's like, "Oh, you have a CD." He's like, "I sometimes forget that you know, even though I'm your superior, that I, how much older you are than I am." So you know that just makes Modoc you know angry and stuff like that. So they um, Modoc and, and tries infiltrating the Shield headquarters, or you know he's he's has like a fake suit that's just like kind of sitting in front of him. He's not even wearing it, and he's he's acting like he's a, a waddle a water delivery guy. And uh, then uh, Gary comes in too, as as a uh, another another dude. The the guy's like, wait, we don't even have water coolers here. He's like, how'd you get on here? Because they're on a on a helicarrier. So then Modoc says something like like human body destruction or whatever. Picks up Gary, throws it at the 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 dust guy, whatever. Then uh, the next scenes are like looking through boxes and stuff like that, and like bunch of stuff that Shield has. He's like, oh, Cerebro, Ultimate Nullifier, Doctor Strange's prescription pad. He's like, oh wait, and he like rips one, takes one. 
So then later he tells Jody that he wants to take her someplace that no one's ever taken her, the third eye blind the third eye blind concert that they missed 17 years ago. And she's hesitant, you know, she she doesn't really want to do go because you know time travel is complicated. She has a book signing to do and stuff like that. But he's like, well, that's the thing. You know, with, with time travel, you know, we'll be back before you know it. And, you know, it'll be like no time. So he convinces her, opens his portal. They they basically go through there. When they come out, there's no one there. And it turns out they're early. And she looks at paper. She's like, we're four years early. Uh, so they're outside Kirby University. And this is where Modoc, he's going to, the, I guess, college there. He's like torturing his roommate because he ate his ramen or something like that. And then younger Modoc hears them outside and he sees the older one. And then this portal opens up and young Modoc goes too. He ends up jumping into, or jump, sort of gets sucked in, jumps into portal after them. So then they manage to make it to the Third Eye Blind concert. They're there. And the song Never Let You Go is playing. I'll never let you. I can't even sing that. I, I'm not even going to try it. That would be so horrible. And I don't want you to stop listening to the podcast if I start singing. So uh, Jody's like happy. She starts dancing and everything like that. And, and Modak's seeing that she's how happy she is. And she tells him to dance too. And then, you know, she's like, oh, I, you know, I want to try to get closer to stage. And Modak's like, I'll help. He's like zapping people out of her way. So she's like, and she's going to do a stage dive and stuff like that. Now he's debating about fixing his, you know, his, his, uh, his HUD display, whatever comes up. And it's flipping back and forth between fixing his relationship or killing Austin. Because, you know, he, he's just, he's done with Austin. So he decides that he, he can go off real quick. And then he ends up in, in little Austin's uh, bedroom. He's sleeping in like a race car bed. And, oh, he also found out that he's allergic to strawberries before. So he has like some strawberry like go-gurt or something like that that he's going to try to pour on him. But then um, Jody comes in the window. And then she's now she's mad. She's like, this was just a work trip or whatever. And then young Modoc appears. They start fighting with like their weapons, like their big like buzz saws or whatever, stuff like that. And then... Uh, Young Modoc gets like sucked into a portal or something like that. So it's like, wait, did Modoc kill Young Modoc? Because if that's his younger self, that could be a prom. So she's like, are you gonna just like disappear now or whatever? They decide to go through the timeline to see if he's still there, and then she remembers that they missed a concert because they found that sh that she was pregnant with Melissa. So then you know they're they're like they, you know they see like was it the doctor's office or something? I forget. But then she's like, well, why don't you just build a new time machine? And he's like, well, you know, I never actually invented it. I said I indented it because he sat on it or something like that and, and put a dent there. So then they, it turns out that Monica was the one that actually invented it. So they go to her, but she's a little kid at a science fair. And, you know, she had this, this uh, like plant reproduction or whatever, sustainable something, project and then it kind of gets ruined and partly because of modak and so she gets like insulted by the judge and the judge is like well you sh that's you should just leave science to the boys and then she gets angry so this is probably what's like set her off to be kind of how she is now now so it turns out they're stuck in the past because they have no way to get back and uh jody's like you know i won't get to see you know our kids grow up and get married and everything like that and she's like you know i'd rather be stuck in a pass alone than with you so then nine months it's nine months later they're still in the past and we see like modok watching what was he watching they're watching some movie with like jody on the couch but 
he was really so he's at ikea and he made like a a meatball like a bunch of pile of meatballs that was supposed to be jody and everything like that and like this one of the store guys is trying to kick him out whatever so then uh modak goes he's gonna rob himself right and jody shows like she's actually gonna rob us or something like that then they they see inside the house that they're with baby melissa and then an acoustic version of never let you go starts playing so we see Modak gets Melissa like the little floating chair because you know she was crying or whatever. They're like watching themselves. Um, then they start getting old and they're holding hands and everything like that. So then it cuts to the present day, back at the portal um, when they're about to leave. So now we have old Modak and old Jody. They jump out and they stomp on the the device, you know, to, to close the portal. Then old Jody says, "Wait, we need to tell them that we belong," and then they disappear. Because they now they changed their past, so that they they faded away, and then um, so Modak's well, you know, I, I still have like a cosmic cube or whatever, and she's like, no, no more time traveling or stalling, because he's like, oh, I wonder what they were gonna say. We belong what, and you know, Jody's like, we're, we're not those people anymore. He's like, we've changed, you know. So then he gets in the moving van, and he drives away. He goes to this like old apartment, and he still has a CD. And then he starts singing to himself. He's like, I want something else to get me through this semi-charm kind of life. He's like saying, and then Super Adapto, he comes in and he's like, oh yeah, do, 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 do. And he like, he has to close the door on him. But then young Modoc is in the present because so I guess he has a time machine now because that's what happened when he went through the portal. He sees news of like Iron Man attacking Modoc, and he's like, that's, he's kind of, He's disappointed at like what a joke he is, so he decides he's going to change things. So then, episode one of three, beware what from portal comes. Modok, he's flying on Fin Fang Foom. <laughs> he's like on the back. They arrive. He's like, where are we at? They're like, this is your utopia. So he's like, I did it. I conquered the world. But he's really dreaming. So it's his uh, first weekend with the kids, and he's like, looks at the apartment. The place is a mess. So he's like, oh, I need to clean this because Super Adapto doesn't do floors or whatever. So there's like this blood stain on the floor. He's, so he starts scrubbing it. Four hours later, he's still in the same spot, still scrubbing the blood stain because uh, the former tenant was like a blood killer. I forget what it was. So the kids arrive, and Melissa's like, it smells like soup. And he's like, yeah, it's like oh, there's so many old people, and they're all making some kind of soup or whatever. So Austin um, gives him a holo call, a hologram call, and he, he's like, "You need. there's this leadership conference. You have to go there. He's like, well, I, I because he's, he's like, we can't have the conference without you. And he's like, well, I have the kids this weekend. They're like, well, bring the kids because it's in Boca Raton. And uh, so they, they arrive there, and uh, Modak got a, a, a partial ocean view room because he, you know, he thought you know full view would be too much. So Lou's like super excited to be in a hotel room. He tries on a robe and everything like that. Melissa just isn't happy because you know she'd rather be home with mom or whatever. And then they... Um, Lou and Melissa go down to get some food and Melissa notices that that there really are other important people there like other like tech people and stuff like that so it's time for the big speech uh, Modak gets upset because there's a Tony Stark hologram there that like does some talking he tried tries shooting it because first like when uh, Austin tried calling him he shot at it but it was a, a hologram and <laughs> there's like a bunch of rats in the place because he like shot a hole in the wall and a bunch of rats scurried out and later they're like trying to carry austin away but then uh when he hears iron man he tries shooting iron man but it was again another hologram so it turns out um austin's there too he's the one that's giving the leadership address modok thought he was and Audox like austin's like no i just wanted feedback on my speech 
And so basically, he gets embarrassed in front of everyone and everything like that. So Melissa figures that, you know, because uh, like high up in this room, like you see these sh- like three shadowy figures, and that's supposed to be like the grumble board, like the board of directors or whatever. And so Melissa, she's very like conniving and everything. She was, she she figures out that they want Modoc to act out in front of the the grumble board, so maybe that that way they can fire him or do whatever. So you know she has some ideas like what they could do. So then later they're doing this like weird golf game where they're playing like golf and there's like they hit the ball and like a horse is supposed to catch it and all this stuff whatever. And, you know, Melissa's like, you know, we just have to watch him for weakness. Like, the one guy, you could tell he lost weight. um, Because I I don't know if it's because of his belt or the way he's pulling up his pants or whatever. So, um, basically, it's like, you know, compliment the others. And then, you know, kind of insult the guy. Like, not notice that he's lost weight. And, you know, he's like, like, yeah, you know, guys like us, we need to, you know, figure something out. And there's this like this lady, you know, she does, she waxes her eyebrows or something like that. So Modoc goes up to her, he's like, you know, I was like, I have some tweezers if, if you need them or whatever. She's like, what, what? So, you know, just stuff like that. Meanwhile, while all this is going on, Lou's still in the hotel room. He's just like enjoying everything. And then he sees like mom's on TV for her book. And uh, she's on this talk show and like Master Pandemonium is the host. <laughs> so he's in a suit with his little demon hands. I never thought I would see Master Pandemonium. Master Pandemonium is such a joke of a character. I can't stand him and his history and like what that means for like Wanda and Vision. But he was on, he's on the show. So then uh, Modoc, he he there's like the, in a big conference room, whatever they're doing something else, and he tries opening a portal to the bro, Brood World so he can save everyone. But then he actually brings in this party species. So they're, they're kind of like these alien turtle things or whatever, and everyone loves them because, you know, they got this, like, goopy whatever stuff on their skin, and when you touch it, it, it affects them right away. And, you know, so everyone's partying with them, and one guy's like, you can have sex with them too, whatever. So then Modoc takes the credit. He's like, oh, I, I brought them and all this stuff like that. Melissa's kind of upset because he didn't follow her advice because she's more about, like, the, the, the long game. Modoc... Um, he ends up going to the portal and he's like, Oh, it was the brood world. And he sees there's one dying and it's like those things. He's like, they never stop partying, whatever. And he's like, people end up partying until they die. So then back at, at the conference, you know, the board isn't too happy. Uh, Melissa or Modoc decides it's time to start blasting. So he tries shooting these alien things, but then they hide in their shells. So Modoc tries calling Melissa. She's getting a massage and now she doesn't want to help him. And so Modoc figures like, well, you know, he needs to observe their weakness. And, uh, you know, he realizes that, that they all need to be like the wildest, that they're insecure. Um, that makes them competitive. Actually, I think like Melissa might have mentioned this. So then uh, he goes up to me. He's like, like, oh, you must feel really safe, you know, having your shell all the time, everything like that. So then one is like, like, oh, I don't need my shell. So it takes it off. And then since they're competitive, the other ones start taking their shells off. So this allows Modoc to blast them all. So Melissa's still kind of bitter with him, even though um, he killed all the aliens. Uh, he scans her and sees like her weakness, and it, it, his display says "desperate for father's approval," and it also says she hates herself for this. So he's like, "Okay, you know, he, he's thinking about this." He drops him off, and Melissa's like, "You know, she mentions, you know, the deal that they made, you know, for her to help him was that she'd never have to go to his apartment." And he's like, "Okay, yeah, you know, a deal's a deal." And He's like, but if you change your mind, and so he figures that he has to play the, the the long game with her to try to win her over. And then Austin tells 
the board, he's talking to them. He's like, we obtained another MODOK device. You know, it's a planetary portal. And we see that the board isn't real people. It's like this weird alien thing. Episode 104, if Saturday be for the boys. So MODOK's trying to figure out what he can do. Uh, you know, because he has all this stuff. He like he has a new book. He has like a box set of the wire, and you know all this. But he just like just scans it. He just like looks at it, and he's like he consumes them like within seconds. He's like, I still have like fourteen hours, whatever. Go. So super adaptoid wants to hang out with him, but Modoc he tells him to turn into a TV, and then uh, he sees a commercial or something. He decides to go drinking. So um, he goes to a club, and here more cameos. We see King Leader. Mr. Sinister and Madam Mask. So they don't want to hang out with Modoc because they, they think he's a joke or whatever. So then the, the leader basically tells him, he's like, you know, go fetch Captain America's shield if, if you want to impress us. And he Modoc's like, he loves that shield, whatever, whatever. So then uh, uh, the hostess mentions that like the, the lesser villains or something like that, they tend to hang out at the bar with no names. So he goes over there. Meanwhile, we see Jody. She shows up at the AIM headquarters with Lou because um, she needed to drop him off or something. She for some he she drops him off at daycare. It's like how old is this kid that he needs to go to daycare? At the bar with no name, we see other lame villains there, like Armadillo's there. Um, he's gonna end up like talking with the Melter, Whirlwind, Screaming Angar, <laughs> Pound Cakes, and Tenpin. So he figures that they can help him get Cap's shield. He wants to basically do a heist. He uh, tries making plans with them and explaining things, but none of them are too bright. It's like, you know, they can't read and stuff like that. And uh, as they're sitting around this table, like, you know, other ones are raising their hand, and Armadillo's like, yes, 10-pin. And Modak's like, why, wait, why are you calling on them to, to, to talk or whatever? So they, they decide to go um, to this pawn shop to get 10-pin's exploding pins. But so Modoc has to trade in one of his saw blades, and the owner's like kind of really freaky. He's like really admiring it. He's like starts licking it, and Modoc's like, you know, be careful with that. And he's just look, and it, the the owner ends up like chopping his tongue off, <laughs> and he's like, oh, okay. And um, Ang Angar like wanted team jackets, and they all complain about the names or anything like that. And an armadillo sees, he's like, why do you have my wife's ring in in this you know jewelry case or whatever? He smashes it. I have to go save my marriage. And uh, so things are, and they look back at like the shop owner and he's like using a saw. like, he ended up chopping his fingers off and he's like, what, what? <laughs> it's like so bizarre. So Modoc has to call Super Adaptoid and he's super excited, but they call him to be a band so they can have some transport. Uh, Monica finds Jody at AIM and, you know, cause she was like looking for Modoc or something like that. And then when she finds out that Jody is Modoc's wife, she's like, I have so many questions. And she pulls out like a bottle of whiskey or something like that. So Armadillo goes to his ex-wife's house and the mandrill is there. I never thought I'd see the mandrill. And, you know, the wife, she's like, we were, we've been divorced for eight years. She's like, and you never got me a ring. And he's like, but if I did, it'd be like this one. <laughs> so it wasn't even her ring. So there's like the whole big thing there. Jody and Monica are drinking and talking. But then... Uh, Jody feels bad because you know she's bagging on Modoc, but she's there for his help because she wants to get a video off the internet or erase everyone's mind or something like that. I'm not really sure what that was about. I don't think it had to do with the interview. Um, but then uh, the team's ready to give up Modoc's team, and Modoc tries to you know he gives him a pep talk and everything like that, and he l lets it slip out that it's really about Cap Shield, and then they're upset because they thought that they were gonna this heist there was gonna be money involved.
So they leave, and oh, there's these kids that they they interact. They're at us like a stoplight, and Angar is like sort of like behind the wheel, and these two kids are like, oh, look at that old man, and they're and so Angar like screams at them and it kind of you know cracks the windshield and you know shakes the car so then they pull out like a, a bow you know bow gun and uh whatever so anyways they end up stealing the van the adaptoid van so now modok has no way to to get home or anywhere he ends up walking around and he finds them at this meatloaf place that they mentioned earlier and uh, so he goes in there at aim uh lou who so he's in daycare he's been talking to monica's daughter and monica gives him a peanut allergy so i i don't she injects him with a peanut allergy and they're like you can do that and so i like i don't know what the point of that was um then on a, a so that the team now uh modok kind of won them over they're on a subway they missed their stop and they have to get off at the end so they're like you know coney island exit or whatever they're sitting at the beach and you know they decide to finish the night with one more drink at, at the bar with no name but as they all get up melters like sitting there he just falls over and he died so it's like wait what happened why and then uh we see the super adaptoid van you know sitting whatever and then modok comes up but it's actually young modok that finds him episode 105 so to be the last one for this week if bureaucracy be thy death so we see this woman sobbing or whatever. She's uh, at Melter's funeral. She's talking. Modoc and his kids come in. He's like very loudly. He's like, oh, is this Melter's you know, funeral or whatever? And and then uh, then at one point, Modoc starts crying. He's like, what if I die? And, and Melissa, she's like, is this the first time you've questioned your own mortality? So uh, we see some a- AIM agents are watching Jody's video, whatever. And Mo- Modoc sees Monica and, you know, he mentions a funeral, you know, so he's like, you know, today's the day I get back to my roots. And, you know, he wants to take down Iron Man. Austin talks to Monica about her lab spending. You know, you know he, something needs to be done about that. So Modoc's trying to make his plan. He wants uh, this black hole gun to send Tony Stark into a black hole. And he, he goes to, like, the weapons guy, whatever like that. He's like, okay, but it's going to have to be approved by the three different branches of Grumble, you know, East Coast, West Coast, and whatever. He's like, that should, uh, should take about three months. So Modoc's plans are kind of ruined. Austin tells Monica that uh, HR said that like in the 10 years she's been there, she's never used any of her vacation days. So she has to use them tomorrow starting. So she's going to have three months of fun in the sun. Modoc then talks to Monica and he's like, you know, they're sort of both upset with how, you know, things are, are going. He's like, remember what it used to be like? And she thinks back to 2009 when she was getting to interview it's the timing is weird, but I guess this when this was made, uh, or it takes a couple years. I don't know. She's uh, you know she's getting ready to interview at AIM, and she mentions like you know she wants to work with her hero Modok, so she actually liked Modok in the beginning. So then she agrees that it was better before, and you know she says oh, you know we're two of the smartest people on the planet. Some of us a little smarter than others. So it's like you know we should be able to take them down. She has these like silicone based body doubles and uh, they have like limited phrases that are recorded. So they'll just say like say these random phrases and they'll decompose after like two hours. And they're pretty rough looking like the Monica ones, like all blue and Modox is just like flesh colors. So it's like there's not even like super detail. Uh, so Monica and Modoc are making plans. Uh, they decide to throw like a party for Gary. And, and she's like, will people actually go to party for him? Then uh, there's this big emergency, so they end up getting the gun. But then uh, as Modoc comes out, Monica and Austin are standing outside. So she told him 
that um, he sing- single-handedly hacked the system or something like that. And they're like, what, what, what's going on? So then there's this flashback. Monica killed an Avenger and Moadak comes up to her. So this is like in the beginning of her career. He's like, wow, if this is a movie that, you know, you just ruined any chance for this character to ever come out with her. He's, and he's like, there's no need to say her name, you know, when, you know, all stuff like that. So she killed an Avenger, but they don't want to tell us who the Avenger is. And, uh, yeah. Then when other agents come up, other aim come up, he's like, "Yeah, I just killed you know this this, this Avenger and stuff like that." So he takes all the credit. And then uh, so Modok and Monica are fight. She has like lots of gadgets too, and you know the, uh, that she has can pull out whatever. Um, so then there's more. So the, the fighting continues. She like at one point she stabs him in the eye with because he has like a little shiv. But then there's like all this blood, and it looks like he's dead. He's just lying on the ground in a pool of blood. But then she sprays him in his eye. His eye comes back, and he's like back to life or something like that because you know she can do all this genetic stuff or somehow. Austin um, shows the board uh, this video, and they're impressed with how she's doing. So Modoc gets demoted, and she's made their new scientist supreme. So then Austin um, says that she has to make the soft jiggly bros. That's what they're calling them so they can sell them because they can make a lot of money off them he's like but you know we just have to figure out how to stop people from trying to have sex with them so he's like that could be your first task and he and he's like he mentions that they're going to take away like all her weapon stuff so that she can concentrate on this and so she's not really happy with that modok then goes to stark tower and he's like you know knocking on a door in intercom whatever iron man comes out he's like hey you know we're trying to have a work party here and modok um He's, he's referred to him as like a wet bitch or something like that. And he's like, what was that about anyways? And then Modoc takes out like a squirt bottle and like sprays him in the face. And so Iron Man's like, okay, whatever. He's like, I'm out of here. So then uh, the last scene is we see Austin calls the board. And he's like, yeah, we took away Monica's weapons and are keeping her occupied. And he, I think he refers to the board as Hexus, the living corporation. So it's like this weird like and so the three board members are really one and there's like tentacles and i don't know what's going on there so that's uh the first five episodes so uh it's better than i made it sound if my just so that's the problem with when i describe the comedy stuff because the jokes don't necessarily they're not as funny when i explain it than if you actually see it in person so hopefully you're watching it too it's it's a great i, I can't wait to finish the rest and i'm actually going to do that uh, probably before this podcast goes live, but yeah, it's I'm so so happy for this show, and I'll never let this show go, and I'll never let you go. But it is time to let this episode go because we have reached the end of this episode. So big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken, and I'll hopefully they'll never let us go, they'll never let this show go because they are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter. And never, I've got to stop that. You can be a big supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanformec. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. And if you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And like last week, I talked about Taxi Driver, Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver. And before that was a Vision and the Scarlet Witch miniseries from the mid-80s. And this week, so I haven't really, I think I mentioned earlier at the beginning, that it was going to be a classic Batman story arc, and uh, I will say it's a it's a it's so classic. It's written by Marv Wolfman, so we're talking like like old school Batman stuff. That and I'm excited to to read these because I, I it's another one that it's been so long I don't remember 
how it goes. I think I know like the main beats of it, but it'll be interesting to see what happens here. So, but if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or two. How about two? And it's ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. All right. So next week, as you know, as I mentioned, um, Army of the Dead will be the main feature. I don't think anything else is going to pop up. The but I, I don't know why I do this sometimes because like my plans keep changing it, but it, it you, keeps us on our toes, right? You go with the flow. You never know what's going to happen. So we'll have Army of the Dead, uh, and I'll probably watch that. Like, right? Actually, I'm going to watch that after I finish uh, Modoc. And then uh, we'll have the rest of MODOK next week. We'll have more Bad Batch, more Superman Lois, more Flash, more Legends Tomorrow, more Cruel Summer, more Mayor of Easttown. Um, no more Nevers until it comes back. I don't know when that's going to be. And then comics and news and all that stuff. So that is going to be it. And again, who knows if something else is going to pop up. I, sh I should play. Yeah. So I, I, I try plannings, but every once in a while, I was like, wait, where, I didn't know anything about this. So we'll see. And that, that makes things excited, I hope. So thank you for listening. I hope you have a great week. We are getting, if you're in school in any capacity, like I am, getting closer to summer. Yes. So just got to hang in there a little bit longer. So I hope you are doing well. I hope everything is going awesome. And I hope um, if you believe in it, which... I feel you should. I hope you, you're able to get vaccinated if you haven't already. hope you're taking care of yourself. Keep wearing your mask. Stay safe. Take care of yourself. Take care of others. And make sure you remember to be good to each other.